THADH heard world in the global 1960s protest, culture and society general editors. Catherine Fallenbrack, Institute for Media and Communication, University of Hamburg. Martin Klimke, German Historical Institute, Washington, D.C., Heidelberg Center for American Studies, HCA, University of Heidelberg, Germany, Joachim Charloth, Department of German, Tokyo University, Tokyo, Japan. Protest movements have been recognized as significant contributors to processes of political participation and transformations of culture and value systems, as well as to the development of both a national and transnational civil society. TH's series brings together the various innovative approaches to phenomena of social change, protest and dissent which have emerged in recent years, from an interdisciplinary perspective. It contextualizes social protest and cultures of dissent and larger political processes and socio-cultural transformations by examining the influence of historical trajectories and the response of various segments of society, political and legal institutions on a national and international level. In doing so, the series offers a more comprehensive and multi-dimensional view of historical and cultural change in the 20th and 20th IRST century. Volume 1 Voices of the Valley, Voices of the Straits, How Protest Creates Communities Donatello Della Porter and Johnny Piazza Volume 2 Transformations in Crises, THE Left in the Nation in Denmark and Sweden, 1956-1980 THO Ekman Jorgensen Volume 3 Changing the World, Changing Oneself, Political Protest and Collective Identities in West Germany and the U.S. in the 1960s and 1970s edited by Belinda Davis, Wilfried Mausbach, Martin Klimke, and Carla McDougall Volume 4 THE Transnational Condition, Protest Dynamics in an Entangled Europe edited by Simon Tune Volume 5 Protest Beyond Borders, Revisiting Social Mobilization in Europe after 1945 edited by Harakao Uki and Eduardo Romano's Volume 6 Between the Avant-Garde and the Everyday, Subversive Politics in Europe, 1958-2008 edited by Timothy Brown and Lorena Anton Volume 7 Between Prague Spring and French May, Opposition and Revolt in Europe 1960-1980 edited by Martin Klimke, Jack Peck Helder, and Joachim Charlotte Volume 78 Earth World in the Global 1960s edited by Samantha Christensen and Zachary A. Scarlett DHETH Earth World in the Global 1960s edited by Samantha Christensen and Zachary A. Scarlett Bergon Books New York Bullet Oxford first published in 2013 by Bergon Books www.bergonbooks.com Copyright sign 2013 Samantha Christensen Zachary A. Scarlett All rights reserved Except for the quotation of short passages for the purposes of criticism and review, no part of this book may be reproduced in any form or by any means, electronic or mechanical, including photocopying, recording, or any information storage and retrieval system now known or to be invented, without written permission of the publisher. Library of Congress Cataloging and Publication Data THETH Erd World in the Global 1960s Edited by Samantha Christensen, Zachary A. Scarlett. P. Centimeters, Protest, Culture and Society, V. 8 includes bibliographical references and index. ISBN 9780857455573 4.
hardback, bulk, paper. 1. Youth protest movements. Developing countries, history, 20th century. 2. Youth, political activity. Developing countries, history, 20th century. 3. Student movements. Developing countries, history, 20th century. 4. Students, political activity. Developing countries, history, 20th century. 5. Developing countries, social conditions, history, 20th century. I. Christensen, Samantha, 2. Scarlett, Zachary A. HN19.T43-2012-305.2305-09-2012-2013-2014-2015-2016-2017-2018-2019-2020-2021-2022-2023-2024-2025-2026-2027-2028-2029-2030-2031-2032-2033-2034-2035-2036-2037-2038-2039
M.A.N. in the rebellious 60s 198 Erwin S. Fernandez Bibliography 211 Notes on Contributors 218 Index 221 Illustrations Follow page 85. Vi. Contents forward THETH Art World in 1968 Arif Gruelik About 10 years ago, I received an invitation to contribute an essay to a volume on 1968. In the course of a conference on which the volume was based, the editors had realized that nothing on the TH Erd world had been included, which seemed like a serious absence. My essay was intended to make up for this absence. When I sent in my essay, it was with the title above, THETH Erd world in 1968. Somewhere during the editorial process, someone in his her wisdom, assuming, I suppose, that the in 1968 part was redundant in a volume entitled 1968, took that part out of the title, leaving just THETH Heard World, which more or less made a mockery of the introductory paragraph where I had written, DH ambiguity built into the title of this chapter is intentional. A DH Heard World perspective on 1968 requires a double vision. First, it demands recognition that as idea in reality the THR world was conspicuously present in the events of 1968, not only in the many different areas encompassed by the term THR world but also and more importantly in the first and second worlds. It is reasonable to suggest that the emergence of the THR world as a challenge to the first but also as a substitute for the second world of Soviet and Eastern European communism was a crucial aspect of 1968. Second, it enjoins us to recognize the many contexts that shaped the participation of people in the THR world in the events of 1968. DHS raises the question of whether or not 1968 can serve as a marker in THR world histories in the same sense that it has come to mark a watershed in first and second world histories and, for that very reason, of the dialectic between the general and the particular and the construction of 1968 as a historical marker. One, I cite this paragraph not to get back at the editors of that volume for the discrepancy their editorial work created between the title and the substance of my essay, but because the issues raised in that paragraph serve as an appropriate introduction to the present volume. My essay in the earlier volume was the sole representative of the THR world and made an effort to cover a number of countries, THE People's Republic of China, India, Turkey, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Mexico, to illustrate the VI, Forward Tree Continental Spatial Scope of 1968, on the one hand, and the diversity of the movement spawned in the globalization of the protest activity of that year. THE present volume undertakes a similar task, but at a much larger scale, in greater detail for a wider number of societies, and richer and more varied subject matter. It is a welcome addition to the scant literature on an important subject, the contradictions in THR world societies that 1968 brought to the surface and the longer-term consequences for radical politics of the particular course the events of 1968 took in different societies, that also varied in duration and temporality in different contexts. The volume is of obvious historical significance, which is not unrelated to its political significance as a reminder of the importance of both 1968 and the. The world, 
which appear in a negative light these days not just for their detractors but even those who were participants in the events of the time. D.H.E.D. politicized post-revolutionary post-colonialism that has acquired popularity with the retreat and corruption of D.H.R. world radical politics has repudiated not just the commonalities but also the solidarities of earlier D.H.R. world movements, in the process calling into question the very idea of the D.H.R. world. DHE events of which the year 1968 became the temporal symbol have been discredited, partly because of their own degeneration into a mindless radicalism in the face of political repression that allowed few alternatives, and partly because the victory of global capitalism has successfully recast in a negative light the efforts of an earlier age to hold it in check. The events of 1968 worldwide were directly inspired by the crisis of colonialism and the implications for capitalism of decolonization, but also by the seeming crisis of actually existing socialism, until then the only challenger to capitalism. DHE crisis gave renewed hope to DHR world struggles for liberation, autonomy, and new modes of development that would avoid the pitfalls of capitalism as well as of Stalinist communism. It is probably futile and unnecessary politically, to ask whether it was the urban revolt in the First World that inspired the THR, or the anti-colonial struggles of the THR that inspired the First, as a ready, and empirically verifiable, dialectical interplay of the various movements is quite apparent throughout the 1960s if not earlier and into the early 1970s. But there is probably good reason to describe 1968 as the year of the THR world, not because the THR world was responsible for the events of that year but because the THR world was everywhere in the consciousness of political activists. It was a mobilizing idea for those involved in the struggles against colonialism and new colonialism. Among first world radicals and progressives, solidarity with the THR world represented a new measure of political radicalism. 1968 may well be described as the political coming of age of the THR world that had assumed visibility with the Bandung Conference of 1955, but now became a focal point of radical activity globally. Both 1968 and the THR world have disappeared into the past. But that does not mean that they have not left important legacies that are still invoked against the continuing injustices of the capitalist system, and colonial legacies forward, ics that refuse to go away despite all the brave talk about post-coloniality. The more constructive legacies of 1968 are still visible in the flourishing place-based politics of the global north, which have regained strength in response to the globalization of capital and the crisis of the environment. In the THR world, and globally, the solidarities of an earlier day are still invoked in the construction of social movements that have taken over from political parties the task of protecting livelihood and freedom against an increasingly oppressive regime of capital. The context of contemporary struggles is different from that of an earlier day, with its clearly delineated divisions between the East and the West, colonialism and anti-colonialism, or the First, Second, and THR worlds. Neoliberal policies since the 1980s have succeeded in consolidating the global power of a ruling class that has assumed a transnational visage through the recruitment into its ranks of newcomers from the former second and THR worlds. 
Earlier divisions have been scrambled by changes in the global political economy. DHE past is not sufficient to guide or explain the present, and it may be necessary on occasion to forget the past in order to recognize what is different about the world. But forgetting may also serve as a blinder on reality. For some, memories of 1968 are uncomfortable reminders of a bygone past, but despite all the effort to forget them, they refuse to go away because of the persistence of the contradictions that are the legacies of the past to the present. On the other hand, those memories are still of some inspiration to those engaged in oppositional movements, now, more than ever, movements for survival, that themselves need to go global if they are to have any hope of effectiveness, not to speak of success. Studies such as those in this volume, to the extent that they contribute to the preservation of those memories, are not of merely of academic historical but also of contemporary political significance. Notes 1. Arif Gerlich, THETHRD World, in Carol Fink, Philip Gassert, and Detlef Junker, eds. 1968, DHE World Transformed, Cambridge. Cambridge University Press, 1998, 295-317. Introduction Samantha Christensen and Zachary A. Scarlet THE shadow of the THRD world hangs over the study of the radical protest movements of the 1960s in Europe and the United States. When thinking about this decade, THRD world actors such as Che Guevara, Franz Fanon, Emilcar Cabral, and Ho Chi Minh often spring to mind alongside the likes of Rudy Dutschke, Daniel Cohen-Bendit, Stokely Carmichael, and Tom Hayden. Scholars have long acknowledged that individuals, groups, language, ideology, tactics, and, indeed, the very idea of a THR world liberation movement inspired student groups and activists in Europe and the United States. DHE scholars have referred to the THR world as providing a mandate for revolution, one and of receiving unprecedented attention, two from activists in the West. Three many radicals hoped that a new THR world international could be formed out of the solidarity between Western and non-Western students. For as Max Elbaum notes, in the 1960s, THR world liberation Marxism-Leninism came to replace Soviet Marxism, effectively differentiating one generation of leftist dissent, what became known as the New Left, from an older generation. Five DHE editors of 1968. DHE World Transformed note that, with the failing of the Marxist and Soviet models, the heroic factory worker and peasant had been replaced by the heroic DH Erd World Freedom Figter. Six scholars have also examined the FECT of the TH Erd World on Specificy student movements. Timothy Brown and Quinn Slobodian both point out that the state visits of Chilm and the Shah of Iran galvanized West German students, leading to the massive outpouring of dissent in 1967 and 1968.7. Meanwhile, Kristen Ross's study of May 68 traces the origins of the French student movement to the Algerian Civil War. As each of these authors demonstrates, the THR world became the vehicle for the social, cultural, and political transformation in the West. DHETHR world not only inspired many students to take to the street in the 1960s, it also provided a model for the radicalism of the decade.
Many activists in the civil rights movement, for example, saw the DHR world as a natural ally. DHR world and the Black Power movement became so intertwined in the 1960s that many in the United States no longer differentiated between the two causes. Decolonizing the THR world meant freedom at home for African Americans. And vice, versa.10 DHETHR world also impacted many white students. As Todd Gitlin notes, the anti-war movement's inability to end the Vietnam War also caused many white middle-class youth to turn to the revolutionary tactics of the THR world. DH's frustration also tore apart the Students for a Democracy Society, SDS, one of the foundational organizations of the 1960s. Two. Introduction What emerged out of this factionalism was the Weather Underground, a group that, as Jeremy Varon notes, believed that only the THR world revolutionary, and not the white middle class in the United States, could actually stop the monolithic force of American imperialism. DHE weathermen saw themselves as a complement to the THR world revolution, struggling against imperialism inside the centers of power. One two DHE Red Army faction in Germany, meanwhile, asserted that anyone who identified themselves with THR world revolutionaries, and not the proletariat, were themselves part of the new revolutionary vanguard.13 and yet, despite its importance to activists and revolutionaries in the West, the THR world remains terra incognita in the scholarship on the 1960s. To be sure, there are a number of excellent studies on individual countries in the THR world, 14 as well as numerous discussions of THR world countries that appear in global examinations of the 1960s.15 Still, the THR world as a body politic has yet to be considered. And if we are to produce a truly global understanding of the 1960s, we must, as Martin Klimke suggests, take up the case of the THR world, not as it was in the minds of Western students, but as it exists in history and on the ground.16 It is here in which we will encounter both familiar and novel aspects of the struggles of the 1960s, and confi RM as well as challenge previous categories and notions about this decade. THE present study in no way represents a complete survey of the 1960s in the DHR world. Indeed, such a task would exceed the length of this book. While we are pleased to include case studies that spread across Africa, Asia, and Latin America, we recognize that for every new contribution to the field off aired by this volume, there are just as many silences. The reader will no doubt wonder why Pakistan and Bangladesh, Turkey, Ethiopia, Peru, Egypt, and a host of other countries are not included. To be frank, it is not because they are not important or do not fit into the THR world matrix, but simply because we could not cover every aspect of this rich and nuanced decade. We therefore consider this book to be the opening, rather than the decisive, remarks on the THR world in the 1960s. DHE case studies that follow offer a diverse sample of the THR world experience in the 1960s. DHA illuminate new features and novel paradigms of the 1960s that are not discussed in most studies of Western student movements. In such a re-examination there are some questions that arise at the outset. 
What is the TH Erd world and how can we analyze the TH Erd world as a part of 1960s radicalism? Does the periodization of the 1960s even fit with the TH Erd world? If not, how should one think about the 1960s as a historical period in the TH Erd world? Finally, for the sake of global context, what are the similarities and differences between the activism of the THR world and the movements of Europe and the United States, and how can exploring them increase the understanding of each arena? Instead of rehashing themes with which many readers will be familiar, this introduction focuses much more on the differences between Western and THR world movements in an attempt to break down old paradigms and discuss new categories. Introduction Three Time and Place Why the THR World? Why the 1960s? We have purposefully chosen to include the term THR World in the title of this volume. We do so knowing the controversy surrounding its usage, as well as its implied global hierarchy based on a modernization. Paradigm.17 We also understand that the term has become outmoded since the end of the Cold War.18 Although we reject its pejorative connotation, we use the term in this volume to elucidate its meaning in a specificy historical epoch.19 For one, it allows for the distinct grouping of different countries with the shared historical experience of colonialism, which shaped some of the protest movements of the 1960s. Second, the term helps distinguish a group of countries that hoped to avoid Soviet and American influence during the Cold War, with varying degrees of success. Despite its Western origins, the term comes from a French sociologist 20. The idea of the THR world was realized in political practice with the formation of loosely based political, cultural, and social groupings articulated at the 1955 Bandung. Conference.21 It was at Bandung that leaders from countries throughout the THR world recognized the importance of non-alignment and pledged to remain neutral in the Cold War. We may therefore conclude that the countries in this volume share a similar, although certainly not homogeneous historical experience during the Cold War. TH's FL Exible Network of Loosely Bound States operated via degrees of affinity rather than a hard sense of uniqueness. 22 Although the term THR world may be outmoded today, replaced by the vague and equally questionable Global South, we stand by its value as a historical idea of vital importance during the Cold War. Discarding the term would be to erase a historical situation that did indeed play a central role in the global protest movement of the 1960s. From this perspective, Applying the modern concept of a global south to the 1960s is anachronistic and temporally disjointed. Because of its importance, the idea of the THR world, as well as a lengthy examination of the term's origins and variations, occupies the FRST section of this volume. If THR world is indeed a useful term, then how does it fit into the idea of the 1960s? Was the 1960s even a decade of any great significance to the THR world, which experienced almost non-stop social and political agitation since the end of World War II? THS question of periodization is perhaps one of the most difficult to answer because the borders of the 1960s are so complex and hazy. Indeed, the 1960s had multiple trajectories. 
and it therefore seems logical to contend that it has multiple periodizations. In the West, one may begin an analysis of the 1960s, or at least the civil rights movement, with the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955.23. It was in Montgomery that Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., FRST rose to national prominence. Perhaps the spirit or the ethos of the 1960s in the THR world emerged in 1947 with the independence of the Indian subcontinent, where a great tide of anti-colonialism signaled the final destruction of the French and British empires. Or, as Frederick Jameson contends, Perhaps the 1960s began somewhere in the late 1950s, in the streets of Algiers, or in the four, introduction Ghanaian capital of Accra, or outside of the gates of Dinbianfu, or maybe even in Havana, which validated the Foucault theory that provided a theoretical basis for Western youth and global revolutionaries. Indeed, the impact of Ghana's independence in 1957 could serve as an excellent starting point. Not only did Ghanaian independence stir the entire continent of Africa, but it also made an important impact across the Atlantic. Dr. King's visit to Ghana in the year of its independence inspired the young members of the civil rights movement to look toward Africa in their struggle for equality and justice. 25 The point is that we need to allow ourselves FLA's ability in our understanding of time. The 1960s is a general time frame not a hardened structure into which we can place the vast movements and ideas examined in this volume. And yet the protest movements explored in this volume were distinct from the anti-colonial struggle in Ghana or Algeria discussed above. If the 1960s were born in struggle against colonialism, then they matured in a very different milieu. With that in mind, the THR world in the 1960s may be conceived of in two overlapping waves. THEFRST wave, which ended in the mid-1960s, consisted of movements that focused on the anti-colonial struggle for national independence. Indeed, between 1945 and 1965, more than 50 independent states emerged most of them in the THR world. 26 activists in the second wave, however, fought against neocolonialism and the project of the nation-state, which tended to subvert progressive activism in favor of stability. 27 Indeed, many of the charismatic and progressive nationalist leaders of the anti-colonial movement had lost power by the early and mid-1960s, and were replaced by leaders who were more authoritarian and less tolerant of dissent. 28 What replaced the radical anti-colonialism of the earlier part of the decade was therefore a frustration with the NFIGNC and injustice of post-colonial society, the lingering presence of colonial institutions, mentalities, and influences, and the subordination of the socialist agenda to that of the Nation. 29 The new elites of the THR world realized that the radicalism and progressivism of the anti-colonial agenda was defy, called to merge with the new project of nation-building. As Frederick Cooper notes regarding the process of decolonization in Africa, politicians built a powerful challenge to colonial regimes. But once in power, such leaders understood all too well how dangerous such claims were. 30 The nation-state as it turned out, was simply unable to create an equal and just society, and instead began to repress any challenge to its power. It was this political, social, 
and cultural environment that sparked the protests of the second wave of the 1960s. By focusing on the this second wave in the THR world, this volume presents case studies that have by and large not been considered in analyses of the decade. However, the two waves of the 1960s is a soft rather than hard point of demarcation. The themes that comprised the anti-colonial nationalism of the earlier part of the decade often echoed in the social movements discussed in this volume. As Prasenjiduara notes, the movement against colonialism was not simply fought for the transference of power, but was also a movement for introduction, five moral justice and political solidarity against imperialism. 31 The second wave of the 1960s in the THR world was in many ways the same GHT, although the disputants had changed. Even in the Americas, where many nations had experienced independence well before much of Africa and Asia, the ideological battle against imperialism, neocolonialism, and the abuses of the nation-state also fueled countless protests in the 1960s. In addition, it's important to recognize that colonial rule was still present in some parts of the th-erd world during the 1960s, even if the white elite considered their country to be independent. Indeed, this volume contains accounts of anti-colonial struggles against minority white rule in Rhodesia and South Africa. Even those states that had gained formal independence still had to contend with the continued influence of the Western powers. 32th has presented a difficult dilemma for many activists in the THR world. On the one hand, strengthening the nation-state was the surest antidote to neocolonialism. On the other hand, a strong state often came at the expense of individual rights and political dissent. Many activists thus had to walk a very fine line between the nation-state and neo-colonialism. 33 The second wave of the 1960s therefore became a movement against the former colonial powers who sought to manipulate the THR world, as well an attempt to gain access to new institutions and rights, which were often suppressed in favor of projects of nation-building and modernization. The beginning of the decade may have hazy boundaries, but it clearly marked a moment of transition in the THR world just as it did in Europe and the United States.34 But what of an end to the decade? Many participants and scholars have recognized that the energy of the 1960s in the West was transferred to other important movements, such as the women's rights and nuclear nonproliferation movements, the FGHT for gay rights, and numerous environmental causes among others. The 1960s in America and Europe did not end it simply diffused. The same can be said for the THR world. Marking an end to the 1960s in the THR world is to suggest that either the activists were victorious in their respective struggles, or that they were silenced by their opponents. THE events of 1960s should be understood as situated within struggles against oppression that continued in subsequent decades, the most notable being against South African apartheid. As in the West, the 1960s continues to shape social movements and collective action throughout Asia, Africa, and Latin America, suggesting that the ideas of this decade had no clearly definable ending. 35 Common ground and new territory THIR certain hurdles one must surmount in order to create a global framework that properly captures the social movements of the 1960s.
scholars must primarily define a certain similarities and differences that existed between the West and the THR world. Pointing out these differences will help identify new six introduction paradigms and patterns that will help scholars draw a more global portrait of the 1960s. Of course, differences and similarities between different countries and continents abound. Instead of becoming bogged down in an infinite comparative analysis, this study takes a more thematic approach to the THR world. One important catalyst that sparked social movements in Europe and the United States, as well as in the THR world, was an active concern over education and education reform. In fact, education reform provides an excellent example of the intersections between first, second, and THR world movements. DHE importance of education reform has been well documented in the scholarship on Western student movements in the 1960s.36 DHE Western education system was outmoded and ill-prepared for the massive influx of new students after World War II. As several studies in this volume point out, this was also the case in the THR world. Education reform was an impetus for broader social movements. VRST encouraging mobilization and then fostering a rebellious milieu that quickly expanded beyond college and secondary school campuses. Many students began to see the university as a microcosm for society's ills. For example, Congolese students' complaints about the continued Dutch influence at Lovanium, the county's most prestigious university, eventually came to represent President Mobutu's refusal to Africanize Congolese society. Seminary students in Rhodesia felt the same way. The racist policies of the church denied the students their African heritage at their school, just as did white rule in Rhodesia. In Brazil, students entered into an intense and prolonged dialogue about the meaning of education and its role in Brazilian society. THA also protested against the collaboration between Brazil's Ministry of Education and the United States government and the imperialistic relationship between these two countries. Similarly, students in the Philippines coalesced around the movement for the advancement of nationalism, and demanded less U.S. influence and more Filipino say in the education system. As these cases demonstrate, protests that began at universities often became emblematic of deep-seated problems in these individual societies. Despite this and other similarities, there are countless historical developments unique to the THR world experience in the 1960s. Highlighting the differences between the West and the THR world, which occupies the majority of this section, is not meant to obviate a broader global perspective, but rather to suggest new categories of analysis and new ways of understanding the radicalism of the 1960s. THs is particularly illuminating when considering the source and simultaneity of the THR world 1960s. Scholars of the 1960s have long attempted to locate a common impulse that drove students and activists into the streets in the West. DHE scholars have reached varying conclusions. Some claim that the influence of the mass media galvanized Western students.37 Others claim that a certain zeitgeist, what George Katsiafikas refers to as the Eros FECT 38, swept over the generation.
Still others have identified the political and cultural climate of the Cold War as a main reason for the many social movements in the 1960s.39. While these models may feature Western cases, it is difficult introduction. 7. To apply some of these explanations to the THR world. For example, television did not enjoy the same widespread dissemination and impact in the THR world as it did in Europe and the United States, where viewers tuned into the nightly news and found on their screens the horrors of the Vietnam War. Furthermore, Information in many parts of the THR world was censored on a more pervasive level. Radio and print media were heavily regulated, and in many cases, operated by the state. DHE mass media thus proves inadequate as a general explanation for the scope of these movements in the THR world. Furthermore, the Cold War resonated very differently in the THR world than it did in the first and second. For one, the Cold War was far more than the cold battle of ideologies in the THR world. Proxy wars orchestrated on behalf of the superpowers were part of the day-to-day -day experience of many young THR world nations and nationalists in the 1960s, and the reality of assassination, political imprisonment, and outright massacre amounted to much more than an ideological debate. And yet, there was also a certain distance to the Cold War. In the THR world there was an open engagement with and blending of various ideologies that seemed diametrically opposed to the blustering political battles of the first and second worlds. Leftists in much of the THR world embraced an ideology that blurred the Sino-Soviet split, and they dependent governments often walked a thin line between economic systems in order to maintain relations with both sides of the cold. War.40 Such perfect use behavior was not accepted in the first or second worlds. THR world leaders also used the Cold War to advance their own politics. DHE Cold War presented many governments with an easy excuse to deal harshly with internal dissent. DHE trade and arms deals made in the name of ideological alignment or non-alignment or more physically present as an aspect of the Cold War for THR world dissidents opposing a military junta than for activists facing a comparatively less armed police force in the West.41 DHE diversity of participants and activists in the THR world 1960s also indicates that many of the categories and classifications used to understand the Western 1960s are untenable in the context of the THR world. For example, Although heavily disputed, the 1960s in the West is often categorized as a youth revolt. Forty-two scholars have asserted that the fusion of youth with consumer societies acted as catalysts for the unrest of the 1960s in the United States and Europe. Forty-three applying this term to the THR world, however, holds little value. Despite the important role that students played in the anti-authoritarian revolt of the decade. Instead of classifying the 1960s in the THR world as a youth revolt, this volume illustrates that a host of institutions participated in the myriad social movements discussed herein. Churches and religious institutions, NGOs, radical nationalist movements, various left and right wing organizations, and, in the case of Indonesia, the army all played an important role in the THR world 1960s. While the movements in 1960s in the THR world were driven by younger people, youth as a category, with its own language, style, habit, 8, 
introduction or mentality, was not an essential part of many of these protest movements, ideology, resources, familial and societal links, and a host of other factors took precedence over youth as a distinctive social category. 44 Not only does this volume present new actors and institutions that were important to the THR world in the 1960s, it also challenges the mythology that came to embody the THR world in the West. Todd Gitlin notes that the radicals of the 1960s in the United States increasingly found exemplars and heroes in Cuba. In China, in the DHR World Guerrilla Movement, in Mao and Franz Fanon and Che and D. Bray. 45 and yet, one will notice that these heroes of the THR world are not central figures in this volume. THR is not to deny the profound impact that these people had on the world in the 1960s. THR's volume, however, has consciously decided to focus on the characters, actors, and dissidents that are not often present in the Western discussion of the DHR world. It is therefore not a study of the heroic THR world guerrilla, but instead a look at those who were on the ground, who were in the arenas, who were waging their respective FGHTS, and who sometimes came and went too quickly to make a global impact. We should therefore think of the THR world in the 1960s with a more complete list of characters, Che Guevara and the Jamaican dance hall crowds, France Fanon and the Indian journalists, the Cuba guerrillas and the Rhodesian seminary student. DHE goal is to compare and contrast the Western imagination of the DHR world and the THR world as it existed on the ground in the 1960s, populated by those who are often invisible in popular memories of the decade. DHE merger of these two realities can provide a more complete and indeed more global and dynamic, landscape of the 1960s. Despite this expanded list of the activists who affected their respective societies in the 1960s, the THR world lacked any significant or united countercultural movement. DHE counterculture was an important if not central characteristic of the Western student movement. 46 Groups like the hippies, the situationists, or Kamunai saw cultural freedom as the key to political liberation and infused cultural space with political meaning. The provos in the Netherlands, for example, staged large public provocations such as a free bicycle program in order to draw attention to the negative impact that the automobile had on society. Others, like the Situationists and the members of Kamunai placed great currency in the impact of the spectacle and attempted to shock a complacent society out of its lethargy by exposing the pernicious FECT of bourgeois culture. 47 For many of the countercultural groups, challenging cultural norms was a means to also confront social and economic inequities. The situationists, for example, believed that art needed to fend its role in the transformation of everyday life and that artists were to agitate and polemicize against the sterility of and oppression of the ruling economic and political system. 48 The counterculture in general became an international phenomenon and also acted as a key means of organizing youth in Europe and the United States. 49 It was in the end, one of the cornerstones of the 1960s in the West.50 Introduction 90H's volume is noticeably devoid of any equivalent countercultural movement that resembles the Western experience.
DHL is not to say that culture as a point of contention or as a political byproduct was absent from the TH Bird world experience during the 1960s. Indeed, as James Bradford's chapter demonstrates, reggae and the culture surrounding this musical genre played a major role in the Jamaican protest movement of the 1960s. And of course active countercultures emerged in places like Brazil and Mexico. 51 and formed around new modes of expression throughout the THR world. Culture was central to the 1960s in the THR world. Activists infused their political demands with culture symbols and constructed meanings. But the ethos of the Western countercultural movements, a desire to completely remove oneself from society, is less in the forefront in the THR world. The idea of turning on, tuning in, and dropping out, as U.S. countercultural icon Timothy Leary prescribed, is not present in many of the case studies of this volume. One of the reasons for this is that the actors and dissidents in this volume had nothing to drop out from. Many felt that they did not have a place in society, whether because of racism, authoritarianism, or the lingering FECTs of colonialism. THE's activists believed that dropping out of a society in which they had no rights was useless. Many others were still actively engaged in the crafting of new nations. THE 1960s in much of the THR world was therefore a movement to drop into society, a battle for inclusion and for representation. THR is also a notable difference in the pitch and level of violence in the THR world as compared to the Western experience. Of course, Europe and the United States were not without their incidents of violence during the 1960s. Italy experienced a prolonged period of intense violence, while certain organizations in West Germany and the United States turned toward terrorism after realizing the ineffectiveness of nonviolent tactics. And yet, as Arthur Marwick observes, the 1960s was characterized by a measured judgment from the authorities. 52 according to Marwick, the freedom of the student movement, and particularly the counterculture, to act without massive interference was due to the existence and positions of authority of men and women, who responded flexibly and tolerantly to their sick demands. 53 such tolerance and flexibility did not generally exist in the THR world. Almost every case study presented in this volume, from Brazil and Mexico, to the Congo and South Africa, to the Philippines and Indonesia, contains instances of extreme violence, most often originating from the state or other institutions of authority. TH has made some of the protest movements of the TH bird world in the 1960s rather short-lived. Activists were readily harassed, arrested, imprisoned, physically abused, and sometimes executed. Violence therefore became a tool of the TH Third World Authorities, an antidote to dissent that leaders in the West were unwilling or unable to use. DHs does not, however, exonerate the West from any sort of violent reaction to dissent. By and large, the Western states used violence against their own people less than the authorities in the TH Third World, although the nature of 10, Introduction Western capitalism relied on the deprivation and continued political injustice of the THR world. While the authorities proved flexible and tolerant of dissent in their own country, their entire system in part relied on the continuation of violence in the THR world. The United States, for example, 
may have moderately tolerated the hippies or the new left, but they would not tolerate the Viet Cong or anyone accused of being a part of that revolutionary group in Southeast Asia. The same can be said of France. Measured judgment was observed in the streets of Paris in May 1968, but not in the streets of Algiers several years before that. Cases of this nature abound. The victims of this violence in the dehered world were not the political elites, but instead were often the very actors and characters included in this volume. The students, farmers, activists, and dissidents bore the brunt of violence not only from their own leaders, but from many Western countries alike. No roadmaps for new directions in light of these differences, is it still possible to claim that a global protest movement did indeed exist in the 1960s that encompassed Europe, the United States, and the THR world? Yes. The 1960s was the weaving together of individual, national, strands of history. DHE strands can stand alone, but the tapestry that they produced represented a semi-cohesive whole. One can therefore choose to study these national strands, or step back and examine the entirety of their individual efforts. This volume does both. Each chapter focuses on individual THR world social movements of the 1960s. The reader, upon finishing this book, however, will have gained a wider understanding of the decade. TH's in-depth and prolonged discussion of the THR world, when considered alongside the myriad studies of the 1960s in Europe and the United States, will produce a truly global topography of the decade. Studying the THR world, and the case studies presented in this volume, however, requires what Arif Gerlich has called a double vision. The reader must hold in his or her mind both the individuality of each case study, as well as the recognition that the examples presented herein represent one part of a larger narrative that took on a global shape in the 1960s.54. To make this task more manageable, the present volume is arranged along thematic rather than geographical lines, grouping together case studies with similar stories, narratives, actors, and examples better illuminate some of the major themes of the 1960s in the THR world that stretched across both temporal and geographical boundaries. We recognize the power that such groupings hold, however, and emphasize that the purpose of this volume is not to build borders, but to cross them. Th us, the reader will fee and that many of the chapters might also fee t well in another section, or come together in a completely new pattern if viewed side by side. Th's new connections are precisely what we hope introduction, 11 to accomplish, and see this structure as an introductory schematic, open to change, interpretation, and new directions. The FRST section, crossing borders, the idea of the THR world and the global 1960s offers four chapters that examine the historical development of the term THR world, as well as the ways in which the idea of the THR world gained currency during the 1960s. DHE's chapters together illustrate that just as the THR world itself was a dynamic arena with a multiplicity of sometimes competing voices, so too were the imaginary and discursive spaces of the THR world. Together, these chapters point to wide-ranging, and at times even FLWID, notions of the THR world that moved across borders in all directions. In addition, 
as this section endeavors to highlight, the THR world has always existed in a conceptual dialectic. In all of the defined ions of THR world, we see ideas of first and second world defined and negotiated as well. As a point of departure, Christoph Kalter explores the initial usage of the term Tiersmund and its journey through time and space to the usage employed by the French radical left of the global 1960s. The essays that follow, in this section and throughout the volume, represent different trajectories of this idea, sometimes overlapping, sometimes wildly divergent from previous usages. Within these variations, one particularly salient feature of the term is the fundamental inspiration of Th. Erd world as a potentially revolutionary force, like the Th. stay during the French Revolution. Th's prediction of revolutionary perspective remain common throughout many of the different ideological manifestations. Indeed, as Coulter illustrates, France Fanon saw the discursive power of the term THR world alongside its literal power and used it as a unifying identity in the form of THR worldism for a potentially global collective of formerly colonized THR world revolutionaries. THR world then could rally around a shared experience of oppression and abuse, as did the THR state on one hand, but also a shared identity based on a collective power that if united, could undoubtedly overwhelm the global power dynamic. The term THR world, for Fanon and those that agreed with him, was certainly not a pejorative term. It was the reclamation of an idea and a militant position. Similar notions of empowerment are seen in the periodicals examined by Avishak Gangali. In India, we can observe a FL Ipping of the lens. Rather than a worldview, in which when we look into the THR world other, we see an articulation of the first world other. THE view of the 1960s from an Uxalite perspective, and their supporters, was decidedly more guided by the revolutionary forces in the THR world, and the actions taking place in Europe and the US were more echoes of the battles at home. Certainly there are expressions of solidarity, and even a shared identity on a basic level, but the THR world worked from a self-DEFI net position of influential dominance, and in doing so, on at least a discursive level, placed the first world into a more THR world-centered world order. 12. Introduction THR is not to say that the term was applied in the same way across different countries, Zachary Scarlett illustrates how this recognition of the revolutionary potential of the THR world was present in Chinese students' imaginations and put to very China-centric usages. By positioning Mao Zedong as a glorious leader of global anti-imperialism, vis a gravis THR world revolution, the symbol did more to define a Chinese student's sense of their own revolutionary identity during the Cultural Revolution than to collectively empower the THR world. In fact, as both Scarlett and Gangela's work demonstrates, the Maoism of different THR world interpretations took a decidedly non-China-centric trajectory, and responded to locally relevant issues. DHS, while Chinese students imagined that they were inspiring the poor masses of the world, Many of their would-be followers had adopted only certain facets of Maoism and moved on. Of course this is not to cynically imply that the expressions of solidarity were not genuine. 
or that students in China or elsewhere outside the THR world were unable to see beyond their own myopic experience. Indeed, as can be seen in Conrad Kuhn's chapter, the idea of the THR world had a massive mobilizing appeal in Europe, and solidarity with THR world struggles presented a new, and highly effective, framing opportunity for humanitarian aid organizations. Famine and disaster imagery may have been fundamentally othering in their representations, but they also provided a starting point, or a foothold, for first-world actors who engage with the negative consequences of imperialism and neocolonial exploitation. Furthermore, the issue of solidarity with the THR world victims built bridges between organizations with different goals, and to some extent, a new, more informed, politicization of aid and compassion work. DHE's bridges extended across borders and linked not only first world activists with THR world activists, but opened new channels of movement resources to which the THR world gained access. Indeed, in the issue of solidarity and aid we see a widening of the cast of players engaging in the global 1960s on both sides of protests. All of the chapters in the volume demonstrate that the idea of the THR world was mobile, highly malleable, and far from monolithic. In the second section, Fresh Battles in Old Struggles, New Voices and Modes of Expression, we explore four case studies that deal with protest movements that began long before, and in many cases extended long after, the 1960s. TH's section demonstrates that the 1960s did not exist in a temporal vacuum and that these movements are part of a long history preceding, and following, the sensational moments of the late 1960s. Within these protracted struggles, however, the presence the global milieu of the 1960s is visible, as are new modes of expression and negotiation that emerged during the decade. THS, this section illuminates the FECT of the 1960s on longer campaigns of resistance as well as placing aspects of the 1960s into a clearer historical context. As Colin Snyder's chapter demonstrates, university reform in Brazil is rooted in a larger dialogue between the state and population over the direction and introduction, 13 development of the nation, the role of education, and eventually, the role of democracy. As Brazilian students negotiated with the state, the 1968 reform universitaria represented a significant success in and of itself, but in the larger struggles for democratization, the decade was less clearly victorious. The students' ability to form new alliances and the adaptability of the students' campaign to the introduction of military rule marks only one aspect of the longer process of negotiation and contests for power. While Brazil's students were contending with a new regime of power in the form of military rule, other cases in the section present cases of old power facing new consciousness. White dominance and racist oppression was certainly not new in the 1960s, nor was resistance to these institutions. However, the 1960s did mark a point in which blackness as a mobilizing identity crested. The influence of both the U.S. civil rights movement and the black power movement in South Africa and Jamaica, as presented in this section in the chapters by Chris Saunders and James Bradford, 
are two of countless examples illustrating black empowerment as one the most mobile and lasting ideas circulated in the 1960s. The racist roots of colonial domination were clearly present in the policies of apartheid under which South African blacks lived every day, and the presence of oppression was irrefutable and certainly deeply entrenched in local societal structure. Yet, as Sonner's chapter demonstrates, in the 1960s a globally informed black consciousness drew inspiration from writings by authors with origins outside of South Africa, France Fanon, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and Malcolm X expressed a black solidarity and identity that echoed and embodied the idea of a THR'd world revolutionary potential. TH's empowerment would take many more years to manifest into actual freedom for blacks in South Africa, but the struggle against apartheid became ideologically and physically more global in the 1960s. Similarly, as James Bradford demonstrates, the influence of black power in Jamaica's poor quarters led to expressions of both outrage and hope. The Rodney riots represented black frustration with continued oppression, and the politicization of music, in the form of reggae, embodied another mode of black consciousness. Both the riots and the reggae drew on international notions of black consciousness and THR world empowerment, but also placed the identity in a very personal and local mode of expression. Nicholas Creerai's chapter also presents a case in which black seminary students contended with a newfound sense of empowerment. In this study, however, the focus of white domination is the church. Creary brings a new dynamic into the discussion of race in the 1960s. Analysis of race in the 1960s often centers on governmental policies, but there were certainly institutions of power outside of the government exercising racist oppression as well. As Creary's contribution deftly reminds us, the 1960s unsettled that power in various corridors. In addition to the tension between white domination and black oppression, this section also illustrates important moments of cooperation on issues of race. 14. Introduction Saunders and Creary both provide examples in which white and black students were able to see a common identity beyond, or at least beside, race and oppose the injustice together. THE's alliances offered shining examples in the 1960s that a movement built of new Globally informed ideas of justice was possible. DHE's struggle against racism was not new, nor was it one, in the 1960s. Neither was the struggle for university reform or democratization in Brazil. Indeed, very few of the issues of the 1960s were actually new at all. THE 1960s, in these chapters, represented a new engagement with old issues. DH's new engagement also took novel forms and allowed for fresh voices to come forward. DHE's studies demonstrate that while much of the action of the 1960s took place in the street and on college campuses, it also occurred in quiet seminary halls, cricket fields, the offices of military dictators, and dance halls. In the finale section, Unfinished Business, Challenging the state's revolution, we present four case studies in which students in Mexico, the Philippines, Indonesia, and the Congo challenged the state's claim to represent a revolutionary or post-colonial government. In each of these cases, students ask a fundamental question, 
what do we do now that the revolution has supposedly already taken place? Th's question was particularly important for the DHRD world. DHE French and American revolutions aside, students in Western Europe and the United States all looked at social and cultural transformation as something that was to come in the future and did not have to contend with governments that claimed that revolutionary politics was a thing of the past. Of course, as these four studies point out, despite the state's claim to represent a revolutionary or post-colonial government, they were anything but. Indeed, what prompted students in Mexico, the Philippines, Indonesia, and the Congo to take to the streets was the fact that these supposed revolutionary governments had become over varying amounts of time, defenders of the status quo. THA may have claimed the revolutionary or post-colonial mantle, but in reality they display the same entrenched, conservative, and unyielding qualities of many Western governments. What the students in each of these countries came to realize in the 1960s was that post-colonialism in the Congo, guided democracy in Indonesia, institutionalized revolution in Mexico, and nationalism in the Philippines were constructed notions used to maintain order and to propagate the power of individual leaders or mass political parties. The goal of the students during the 1960s was to tear down this facade. Challenging the state's revolutionary monopoly meant making nationalist claims, a theme that each author highlights in their respective studies. The's four chapters therefore work to unsettle common approaches to the 1960s, which often do not focus on nationalism. The reader will notice that these nationalist claims manifested themselves very differently. In the Philippines, for example, the Movement for the Advancement of Nationalism MAN, heavily criticized the Philippines' industrial and economic policies, Marcos's close relationship with the United States, and the continued influence of foreigners in the Philip introduction, 15 Pines National Affairs. In Indonesia, however, students made the opposite claims, demanding more American influence in the Indonesian university. Nevertheless, both sets of students relied on nationalist repertoires in an attempt to change policies in their respective countries. So, too, did students in the Congo, who criticized the government for its reliance on colonial tactics, especially when it came to disciplining dissent, and demanded that Mobutu Africanize the Congolese university. Even in Mexico, a state that gained independence well before the Congo, Indonesia, or the Philippines, students still relied on what Julia Sloan calls a history of revolutionary nationalism to justify their position. The students' nationalism upsets the binary between activists and the state that is present in many instances of unrest in the 1960s. As each of the authors in this section demonstrates, the students' demands, as well as their rhetoric, often overlapped with that of the state. At times this blurred the line between state and student, and occasionally allowed for the state to absorb the student movement more easily. Pedro Monaville, for example, demonstrates that Congolese students and President Mobutu both claim to represent the interests of a post-colonial society. Meanwhile, in Indonesia, there was little distinction between the army and the main student group, the Indonesian Student Action Front. As Stephanie Sapi's chapter points out, despite fee-erk disagreements in the Philippines between Marcos and the main student movement, 
Erwin Fernandez's study shows that in the end, it's the student group's objectives fit well with Marcos's nationalism. Even in Mexico, where the students and the state fought a fierce battle that ended in horrible violence, students protested more against the current iteration of the Institutional Revolutionary Party, PRI, and its Ossify Catayan, than against its revolutionary heritage. As Julius Lone's chapter points out, the PRI was able to placate dissent when it rediscovered its populist past and incorporated many activists from the 1968 student movement into the bureaucracy. Each of these case studies, despite their differences, brings forth a unique strand of the 1960s experience, that of challenging a ruling elite that is not necessarily anti-revolution, but relegates revolutionary politics and culture to history. And this, in essence, became the central conflict for the student groups discussed in this section, where each government claimed to be the affide child caretaker of a revolutionary society. The students saw elites, hierarchy, contradiction, and the status quo. The 1960s was an exercise in reclaiming the revolutionary mantle from an older stultified generation of leaders. In the end, however, the ruling parties and elites could not abide such a challenge to their power or a disruption to the status quo, and so dissent was often met with bloodshed and violence, both from the government and in the case of Indonesia, from the students and the army. While the sections discussed above represent a unique theme or narrative that can be found in each of the chapters, we hope that the reader will continue to approach the TH Bird world as a loosely bound collective body. Getting bogged down in the particularities of each case study is to lose the scope and dimension 16, Introduction of the Broader TH Bird World Experience. The opposite is also true. Approaching this collection of essays from a purely global perspective is to obviate the nuance of each individual case. What is required of the reader is a very delicate balance that allows for the global, national, and local to coalesce into a single history. The chapters in this volume do not claim to define the th third world experience of the 1960s. Dha served to open the field and to begin a new conversation. If this volume unsettles or upsets notions of what the 1960s means, what the th third world means, or how they might come together in a scholarly conversation, then our aim has been achieved. DH is an exciting step in what promises to be a rich and highly nuanced discussion that will include voices from and about the 1960s. In the end, what this volume hopes to demonstrate is that a truly global analysis of this decade is impossible without an in-depth and prolonged conversation about the THR world. Note Samantha and Zachary would like to thank Timothy S. Brown, Martin Klimke, and the three anonymous readers for their very helpful comments regarding this introduction and collection. 1. Jeremy Varon, Bringing the War Home, THE Weather Underground, THE Red Army Faction, and Revolutionary Violence in the 60s and 70s, Berkeley, University of California Press, 2004, 7. 2. Arthur Marwick, THE 60s, Cultural Revolution in Britain, France, Italy, and the United States, Oxford, Oxford University Press, 1998-16. 3. David Barber, however, 
disagrees with the New Left's commitment to the THR world. He contends that the failure of the New Left was partially due to their inability to understand their whiteness and privilege and to truly embrace both the black power movement and liberation struggles in the THR world. See David Barber, A Hard Rain Fell, SDS and Why It Failed, Jackson, University of Mississippi Press, 2008-89. 4. Max Elbaum, Revolution in the Air, 60s Radicals Turn to Lenin, Mao and Che, New York, Verso, 2002-53. 5. IBID, 48. 6. Carol Fink, Philip Gassert, and Detlef Junker, EDS. 1968, THE World Transformed, Cambridge. Cambridge University Press, 1998-25. 7. Timothy Brown, 1968, West Germany in the World, Cambridge. Cambridge University Press, forthcoming. Quinslobodian, Corpse Polemics. THETH World and the Politics of Gore in 1960s West Germany, in Timothy Brown and Lorena Anton, EDS, Between the Avangard and the Everyday, Subversive Politics in Europe, 1958-2008, New York, Bergon Books, forthcoming, Neil Seibert, for Jessine Protest, Internationalismus und Antirassismus 1964-1983, Mu. Combining Diaresis and Stir, Unrest Verilog, 2008. 8. Kristen Ross, May 68 and Its Afterlives, Chicago, Chicago University Press, 2002. 9. Maurice Isserman and Michael Kazin, America Divided, THE Civil War of the 1960s, Oxford, Oxford University Press, 2000, 277. Introduction, 17. 10. Cynthia A. Young, Soul Power, Culture, Radicalism, and the Making of a USTH Third World Left, Durham, N.C., Duke University Press, 2006, 3. 11. Todd Gitlin, T.H.E. 60s, Years of Hope, Days of Rage, New York, Bantam Books, 1993. 262. 12. Varen, 2004, 53. 13. Ibid, 70. 14. Keith Brewster, Reflections on Mexico 68, Malden, M.A. Wiley Blackwell, 2010. Eduardo Valley, El No de la Rebellion por la Democracia, Mexico City, Oceano, 2008. Elaine Carey, Plausitive Sacrifices, Gender, Power, and Terror in 1968 Mexico, Albuquerque, University of New Mexico Press, 2005. Enrique Dussel, Beyond Philosophy, Ethics, History, Marxism and Liberation Philosophy, Lenham, M.D., Roman and Little F.I.L.D. Publishers, 2003. Solidarity Under Siege, T.H.E. Latin American Left. 1968, American Historical Review, Volume 114, Number 2, April 2009, 348-375. Quito Swan, Black Power in Bermuda, DHE Struggle for Decolonization, New York, 
Palgrave Macmillan, 2009, Christopher Dunn, Brutality Garden, Tropicalia and the Emergence of a Brazilian Counterculture, Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina Press, 2001, Andrew Ivaska, of Students, Nizers, and the Struggle Over Youth, Tanzania's 1966 National Service Crisis, Africa Today Volume 51, Number 3, Spring 2005, 83107. 15. Mark Kurlansky, 1968, T.H.E. Year That Rocked the World, New York, Ballantine, 2004. Jeremy Shuri, Power and Protest, 1968, Memories and Legacies of a Global Revolt, Cambridge, M.A., Harvard University Press, 2003, Philip Gassert and Martin Klimke, 1968, Memories and Legacies of a Global Revolt, Bulletin of the German Historical Institute, No. 6, 2009. 16. Martin Klimke, T.H.E. Other Alliance, Student Protest in West Germany and the United States in the Global Sixties, Princeton, N.J., Princeton University Press, 2010. 17. John is Bister. Promises Not Kept, Poverty and the Betrayal of THR World Development, Bloomfield, C.T., Kumarian Press, 2003, 32-41. 18. For a discussion of the term THR World and its meaning, particularly after the end of the Cold War, see Mark T. Berger, THE End of the, THR World, THR World Quarterly Volume 15, Number 2, June. 1994, 257-275. 19. For an in-depth discussion of the historical origins of the term THR world, see Christoph Calter's chapter in this volume. As the subject is addressed at such length in the VRST chapter, we won't duplicate the discussion of the historical development of the term in this introduction. 20. Alfred Savi, Truamunds, Unplanned, L Observator, the 14th of August 1952, 14. 21. For a discussion of the Bandung Conference and its impact on the THR world, CVJ Prashad, DHE Darker Nations, A People's History of the THR World, New York, W. W. Norton, 2007. 22. Frederick Cooper, Colonialism in Question. T.H. Erie, Knowledge, History, Berkeley, University of California Press, 2005, 9. 23. C. Marwick, 1998, and Jared Reiner Horn, T.H.E. Spirit of 68, Rebellion in Western Europe and North America, 1956-1976, Oxford, Oxford University Press. 2007, for a prolonged discussion of the long 1960s. Both scholars begin their analysis of the 1960s with a discussion of the various political and cultural movements that emerged in the 1950s in Europe and the United States. 18. Introduction. 24. Sanyu Sayers, ed. THE 60s, Without Apology, Minneapolis, University of Minnesota Press. 1984. 25. T. H. Omus Borstelman, T. H. E. Cold War and the Color Line, Cambridge, 
M.A., Harvard University Press, 2003, 205. 26. Clifford Geertz, What Was the Th-Erd World Revolution? Descent Volume 52, Number 1, Winter, 2005, 3545. 27. Although Latin America and the Caribbean did not follow the same trajectory as Africa and most of Asia, these countries still had to deal with a distinctive form of colonialism. T.H.E. Monroe Doctrine in the United States continued forays into the Caribbean and South America meant that these countries were nominally independent, but not free of outside interference. 28. Geertz, 2005, 35. 29. Prasenjit Duara, ed. Introduction. The decolonization of Asia and Africa in the 20th century, in decolonization, perspectives from now and th on, New York, Routledge, 2004, 10. 30. Cooper, 2005, 18. 31. Diera, 2004, 2. 32. The Congo was perhaps the clearest example of Western influence in a nominally independent power. The United States VRST supported the assassination of Patrice Lumumba, and then saw that Mobutu Sese Seko was able to come to power. In 1968, President Mobutu ordered the slaughter of students protesting against Western influence in Congolese society. For a discussion of the Congo in 1968, see Pedro Monabil's chapter in this volume. For a general analysis of the United States manipulation of the Congo, see David N. Gibbs, The Political Economy of DHR World Intervention, Mines, Money and U.S. Policy in the Congo Crisis, Chicago. D.H.E. University of Chicago Press, 1991. 33. Partha Chatterjee discusses the development of the nation-state in the THR world, tracing its normalization as a means of political and social organization to the Bandung Conference. He also discusses the ideal of a strong state in the face of colonial oppression. See Partha Chatterjee, Empire and Nation Revisited, 50 Years After Bandung. Interasia Cultural Studies Volume 6, Number 4, 2005, 477-496. 34, Horn, 2007, 229. 35, In addition, the social movements of the 1960s have, in some ways, set the tone for subsequent dissent. Directly confronting the nation-state, as protesters did in the 1960s, has become the cornerstone of political protest in many th-erd world societies, especially because other outlets to engage with the state, democratic institutions, open forums, political rights, are unavailable to many citizens. See, Lisa T.H. Umpsun and Chris Tapscott, eds. Citizenship and Social Movements. Perspectives from the th-erd world, New York. Palgrave Macmillan, 2010, 26. 36. C. Marwick, 1998, 281-287, for a discussion of education and university reform in West Germany. See Nick T. H. Omas, Protest Movements in West Germany, A Social History of Dissent and Democracy, New York, 
Berg, 2003, 127-145, for a discussion of the Fauschet reforms, see Andrew Feinberg and Jim Friedman, eds. When Poetry Ruled the Streets, THE French May Events of 1968, Albany, State University of New York Press, 2001, 5, for a discussion of the evolution of radicalism at the University of California, see Isserman and Kazin, 2000, 167-168. Introduction, 19. 37. Robert Daniels. Year of the Heroic Guerrilla, World Revolution and Counter-Revolution in 1968, New York, Basic Books, 1989, Clint K., 2010, also discusses the importance of mass media in forging a deep connection between West Germany and the United States, 3. 38. George Katsiafi Cass, The Imagination of the New Left, A Global Analysis of 1968, Boston. M.A., South End Press, 1987. 39, C., for example, Surrey, 2003, and Klim K., 2010, 206, for a perspective of the Cold War and the Civil Rights Movement, C.T.H. Omus Borstelman, D.H.E. Cold War and the Color Line, American Race Relations in the Global Arena, Cambridge, M.A., University of Harvard Press. 2001. 40. Egypt is a particularly strong example, in which both Gimel Abdel Nasser and Anwar Sadat attempted to balance their policies between nationalism, leftism, capitalism, and radical Islam, as well as pressure from the Soviet Union and the United States. The pressures of the Cold War shaped the reigns of each of these men. See John Waterbury, The Egypt of Nasser and Sadat. DHE Political Economy of Two Regimes, Princeton, N.J., Princeton University Press, 1983. 41. For a discussion of the Cold War and its impact on the THR world, see Adarni Westhad, DHE Global Cold War, THR World Interventions and the Making of Our Times, Cambridge, Cambridge University Press, 2005. 42. Scholars such as Detlef Siegfried have challenged the utility of this concept of youth revolt. See Siegfried, Understanding 1968, Youth Rebellion, Generational Change and Post-Industrial Society, in Alex Schilt and Detlef Siegfried, eds. Between Marx and Coca-Cola, Youth Cultures and Changing European Societies, 1960-1980, New York, Bergon Books, 71. 43. Martin Klimke and Joachim Charloth, 1968 in Europe. An introduction in Klimke and Charloth, eds. 1968 in Europe, New York, Palgrave, 2008, 2. 44. Of course, the idea of youth revolt does lend itself particularly well to the case of Mexico particularly in the counterculture of Mexico City, as discussed in Eric Zolov, Refried Elvis, The Rise of the Mexican Counterculture, Berkeley, University of California Press, 1999. 45, Gitlin, 1993, 263. 46, 
Peter Brownstein and Michael William, EDS. Imagination, T.H.E. American Counterculture in the 1960s and 70s, New York, Routledge, 2002. Julie Stevens, Anti-Disciplinary Protest, 60s Radicalism in Postmodernism, Cambridge. University of Cambridge Press, 1998. Marwick, 1998. 47. For a discussion of the Situationists, see René Vinette, Enrages and Situationists in the Occupation Movement in Paris, 1968. Brooklyn, NY, Automedia, 1992. For a more extensive discussion of Communae, see Brown, forthcoming. 48. T.H. Omis Hacken and Legata Grisinia, Situationism, in Martin Klimke and Joachim Charloth, EBS. 1968 in Europe, New York, Palgrave, 2008, 24. 49. Klimke and Charloth, 2008, 6. 50. For a general overview of the counterculture in Western Europe and the United States, See Jeremy Shuri, T.H.E. Rise and Fall of an International Counterculture, 1960-1975, American Historical Review, Volume 114, Number 1, February, 2009, 61-68. 51, Dunn, 2001, Zolov, 1999. 20. Introduction. 53. Ibid. 13. 54. Arif Ehrlich, 1968 in the TH Heard World, in Carol Fink, Philip Gassert, and Detlef Junker, EBS. 1968. TH World Transformed, Cambridge. Cambridge University Press, 1998. Part 1 Crossing Borders. T.H.E. Idea of the T.H.R. World and the Global 1960s Chapter 1 A Shared Space of Imagination, Communication, and Action Perspectives on the History of the T.H.R. World Christoph Kalter Does the T.H.R. World Still Exist? Stating the growing empirical diversity of the societies grouped together under this overall label, economists and political scientists have repeatedly proclaimed the end of the DHR world since the 1970s.1 in the 1980s. The THR world concept came under attack from a theoretical perspective. Post-structuralist critics condemned it as an essentialist and, indeed, Eurocentric approach, confronting it with what they described as a multiplicity of margins outside the realm of Western MODERNITY.2 In 1989-1991, the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the socialist second world seemed to finalize the doubts that social scientists had been raising for years as to the empirical and theoretical validity of the worldview dividing the globe into three parts for analytical, but also for economic, political, military, and ideological purposes. Since the 1990s, new dynamics of global interconnectedness and the triumph of the new paradigm globalization have furthered the decline of the three worlds concept. The term th-heard world itself may even disappear from usage altogether. Th us, 
a better way to put the question, and, indeed, the central enquiry of this chapter is, what was the DHR world? 3. Given the paramount importance of the cosmology of the three worlds for the second part of the 20th century, comparatively little historical research has been done on the genealogy of the concept and its myriad FECTs on political, social, and cultural representations and actions. 4. THs is particularly true in regard to the history of 1968 and the counter HEGEMONIC movements of the long 1960s5 all over the world. 6. THE connection between 1968 and the DHRD world is still frequently reduced to the impact of the Vietnam War for Western protest movements in the 1960s. Although extensive and important work has been done on this aspect, I would like to emphasize several aspects that have sometimes been neglected. First, this war was perceived by contemporary 68ers as being part of a larger THR world problematic shaped by the confrontation of imperialism and anti-imperialism. Second, representations as well as Tech 24, crossing borders neeks of protest used by the Western opposition to the Vietnam War were only partly new, while on the other hand dating back to the Algerian War, the Cuban Revolution, and other founding experiences of THRD worldism in the 1960s. THRD, the Vietnam War set aside, 1968 was also taking place in various DHRD world countries ranging from Senegal to Mexico, China, India, Turkey, and many others, thus turning 1968 in a global phenomenon. For many of the protesters of the 1960s, as will be argued in this chapter, the THRD world was essential, the concept allowed for radical critique of existing systems of power and representations while permitting them at the same time to elaborate equally radical alternatives. THETHRD world stimulated the transnational mobilization of protest movements. It had profound FECTs on worldviews and self-images of intellectuals and activists. To begin with, this chapter provides an overview of the making of the THR world in the social sciences and political discourse of the long 1960s. More specifically, it will address the situation in France, where the concept was invented in 1952, established as a scientifici paradigm in 1956, and, around 1960, turned into a highly politicized symbol in the context of post-war consumer capitalism, the Cold War, and the process of decolonization, especially the Algerian War. It will be argued that this symbol spread globally and created a space of imagination, communication, and action shared by, but at the same time specifically divided between, the first and the THR worlds, thus producing its fundamental ambivalence. THE making of the THR world, consumer capitalism, Cold War, and decolonization given the centrality of notions like development or progress for the idea of the THR world, the concept's history in a broader sense must be traced back at least as far as the 18th century. While Christian notions of a teleological history of salvation lingered on, they merged with a developmentalist paradigm emerging in scientific discourses and new time concepts emanating from the socio-economic and cultural upheavals caused by the Industrial Revolution. Together, 
these strands shaped the idea of constant material and immaterial progress in natural and human history. Seven. As for the latter, progress and civilization were thought to be originating in the rationality of the West. Eight and it specifically modern nine societies, but at the same time were ascribed universal validity. Hence. The duty of Western civilization seemed to be spreading its particular mode of societal organization to the rest of the world. In the course of the 19th century, this white man's burden or civilizing mission was foundational for the legitimatory discourse of European colonialism in Asia and Africa. One zero. After the First World War, Europeans warranted their ongoing colonial rule in these territories, as well as the mandate system of the League of Nations under the heading of their Maison Valor or Development. One one. While Europeans, as a result, a shared space of imagination, communication, and action. 25 had firmly established the belief in development by the mid-20th century. The related concept of underdevelopment brought forth in the aftermath of the inaugural address of U.S. President Harry S. Truman in January 1949 was a terminological innovation. TH's powerful innovation induced a set of semantic shifts as well as new institutions and practices that shaped the transition from European colonial rule to the U.S.-dominated post-colonial development age of the subsequent decades. One two the new signal term under development was also the starting point in the invention of the th heard world. When, in 1952, economist and demographer Alfred Savi, 1898-1990-13 created the term Tiersmund in an article entitled, Trois Mundes, Un Plant in the French magazine El Observateur. 14 He referred to the underdeveloped countries outside either of the camps of the Cold War. In defining the THR world for the FRST time in history, Savi thus combined the recently established notion of underdevelopment as socio-economic backwardness plus demographic pressure with a geopolitical argument. The competition between the developed societies in the capitalist first and the socialist second world, Savi thought, was centered on shaped by, and even originated in the existence of a th-herd, world.15 Although it was underdeveloped, and although it was ignored, exploited, and disdained like the th-herd estate had been on the eve of the French Revolution, the th-herd world held a central place in contemporary world politics. Like the th-herd estate some 160 years earlier, the th-herd world was striving for recognition in power. It constituted and that was Savi's equally central and predictive claim, a potentially revolutionary force.16 by relating the upcoming non or even anti-European revolutions of the THR world to the French and Western histories of enlightenment and progress. Savi, a liberal republican himself, endowed the project of THR world emancipation and development, which he thought were inseparable, with a historical legitimacy that stemmed from a European indeed Eurocentric, worldview. The resulting ambivalence was to mark durably the concept of the THR world. Savi, the head of the French Institut National d'Etude Demographiques, IND, between 1945 and 1962, had invented a new geopolitical space, a new world. His close collaborator at the Institute, anthropologist, sociologist, 
and Africanist Georges Ballandier, born in 1920, was to transform Savai's journalistic catchphrase into a paradigm of the emerging modern social sciences. In 1956, Ballandier edited the FRST book ever to have the TH Erd world on its cover. The contributions in lay, tears mund, su de acute veloppment at development displayed a multidisciplinary approach. 17 Economists, political scientists, sociologists, ethnologists, geographers, demographers, and historians were explaining the past, present, and future of what they understood to be the underdeveloped world. Adding a third criterion to the economic and geopolitical features identified by Savi in sufficient development and to neither nor position in the Cold War, they stressed a historical commonality of underdeveloped societies. All of them, so went the argument, were still or had been until recently colonized by Euro 26, crossing borders pin powers. None of the contributors, actually, use the term Tiersmund, but since Ballandier published their articles under this overall heading, they nevertheless effectively contributed to the discursive institutionalization of the concept. One step further in setting up this new discourse was the launching of the review Tiersmund by the French Institut d'Etude du Développement Economique et Social, IDES, in 1960.18 While books bearing Tiersmund in their title became more and more frequent in France since 1961, 19 from 1963 onward, the French term was translated FRST into English, German, or Swedish, 20 then into possibly every other language of the contemporary world. Quickly, the rather off-the-cuff invention of a French professor had become a global success story. But what made the idea of the th world so attractive? In the eyes of contemporaries. The concept had great plausibility, since it allowed conceptualizing three parallel, but also partly interdependent economic, geopolitical, and historical reconfigurations of the post-war world. THEFRST of these changes was the emergence of a U.S.-dominated economic world system whose center of gravity was the Atlantic integration of Western nations. THR economies benefited above all others from the rapidly growing quantity of international trade. Until the oil crisis of 1973-1974, the West experienced a golden age, characterized by three decades of unprecedented growth creating enormously prosperous societies of mass, consumerism. Th's overabundance contrasted all the more dramatically with what simultaneously came to be perceived as the dreadful misery of two-thirds of the global population, by contrast to the happy few in the first and the competing second world, material conditions, societal organization, and the people of the TH Erd world were now looked upon as being essentially poor and underdeveloped. 23 DHS constructing their need for development, a perception soon to be shared by many Africans, Asians, and Latin Americans themselves, the TH Erd world became an object and actor of Cold War rivalries. While trying to export theories and practices of modernization 24 and development, the first and second worlds strive to prove the superiority of their respective societies and, by doing so, create allegiances in the new THR world and its young nations. In addition to the developed-underdeveloped divide, 
The Cold War, then, became the second important frame in defining global politics and THR world characteristics. Despite what many people had been hoping for, the forceful anti-Hitler coalition, resting for a large part on the economic strength of the U.S. and the human potential of the USSR, was definitely over by 1947. The old allies had become superpowers feeding each other by every means possible, every means except open warfare and direct confrontation, which was, with regard to the destructive potential of nuclear weapons on both sides of the Iron Curtain, no longer an option. Washington, D.C., and Moscow became the defining centers of their respective political, economic, and military camps in a bipolar world. But bipolarity was not total, and many territories did not want to conform to the East-West dichotomy and its Cold War. Rather, they constituted a third a shared space of imagination, communication, and action. 27 space of global politics, a THR world acting on the two superpowers as well as experiencing enticements and pressures from them, often resulting in dreadfully hot proxy wars. 25 THE third reconfiguration of the global post-war era reflected in the concept of the THR world was decolonization. THE second world war had accelerated the end of empire, leading to the formation of new nation states in the former colonies. The decolonization of Asia, with the exception of Indochina, had been completed by 1950. In the following decade, national liberation movements appeared in Africa, claiming and obtaining the end of colonial rule. In 1960, the peak year of African decolonization, 17 new nation states were founded, and after 1962-1963, only Portugal and a few settler colonies in southern Africa still resisted the general trend toward transfer of power on the continent. In the light of this process of paramount importance for 20th century history, 26 the colonial past or present as well as the existence of anti-colonial parties, movements, or governments became an important element of contemporary definite ions of the THR world. As we have seen earlier, the THR world concept was established in the context of European social sciences as a means of talking about non-European societies, thus constructing them as the other of Europe. DH's one-sided discourse, though, was not to last very long. Following the landmark Afro-Asian Bandung Conference in 1955-27 the term Tiersmund, which had not been used by the participants of the conference, came to be employed more frequently by French, but also North African journalists and intellectuals in Paris. 28 The real breakthrough, though, was the final stage of the Algerian War. One of the most violent conflicts in the history of decolonization, the confrontation between the French army and the Algerian National Liberation Movement Front de Liberation Nationale FLN started in 1954.29 by the end of the decade, it had turned into a massive military and political conflict, thrusting the interconnected Algerian and French societies into a state of civil war unparalleled by any other colonial war before. TH's dramatic process brought about a strong politicization of the term THR world, expanding its use outside the accustomed realm of scientific and journalistic discourse. But there was even more to it. 
Through the Algerian War, the THR war became a de-Europeanized concept, a nodal point for political identities inside, but most of all outside the West. From THR world to global THR worldism, Fanon and the impact of the Algerian war when a radical, leftist publishing house in Paris edited Las Dames de la Terra, DHE Wretched of the Earth in 1961, the book encountered an immediate and long-lasting success and was soon to be translated into no less than 17 languages. 30 Its author, Franz Fanon, 1925-1961, born and raised on the French 28, crossing borders island Martinique in the Caribbean, had studied medicine in France where he published his Fierst book in 1952. Ponar, Masques Blancs, Black Skin, White masks reflected the author's personal experience and intellectual force as well as his familiarity with French philosophy. Post-colonial studies still emphasize its lasting importance for a theoretically and politically relevant critique of racism. One year later, in 1953, Fanon became the head of the psychiatric hospital Bleed Joinville in Algeria. In 1956, he left his post and joined the FLN, since then working for its newspaper El Mojahid, THE Freedom Fighter, 31 and traveling around Africa as a theorist and ambassador of the Algerian Liberation Movement, attending conferences and meetings with governments and national liberation movements in Ghana, Mali, Cameroon, and Angola. 32 In his 1961 anti-colonial manifesto, Les Dames de la Terra, Fanon depicts the impending end of empire not as a withdrawal generously consented to by the ancient colonizers, but as a colonial revolution forced upon them by the explicitly violent agency of the colonized. In Fanon's view, decolonization was a multifaceted process of political, social, economic, but also cultural emancipation collectively undertaken by the colonized subjects. In the process, so Fanon argued, the colonized deconstructed the universalist pretenses of the civilizing mission as an ethnocentric superiority complex and a discourse designed to legitimate the racialized control Europeans had been exerting over them. According to Fanon, colonial revolution, that is, decolonization, was a nationalist project responding to the specificity situation of each colonized collective, but also a transnational reality, a movement of solidarity transcending the boundaries of Algeria or Africa and stretching out into the entirety of what Fanon referred to as the TH Heard world. Fanon's book, thus, marks a turning point in the history of the TH Heard world concept. For the FRST time, a black anti-colonial activist publicly used a phrase originally coined by white French social scientists in an affirmative manner, designating not only the author self, but a potentially global collective of colonized revolutionaries. The wretched of the earth to which Fanon referred were no longer found exclusively, or even primarily, in the factories of the industrialized first world. 33 but rather among the revolutionary peasant masses of the agrarian th herd world. In the mind of Fanon, colonial revolution would not only free the colonized, but in fact was a starting point, and the precondition, of nothing less than the liberation of all humanity from capitalist exploitation, racism, and violence. Fanon, 
arguing that the THR world people were the new men, constructed them as the counter-model of a decadent Europe and its painfully patent incapacity to live up to its own outdated claims of being the center of humanity, history, and progress. Following from on, it became possible for THR world people to speak for themselves in a terminology that initially had been created to talk about them. DH's recontextualization of the THR world concept transformed it into a marker of anti- and post-colonial identities and practices, into a means of empowerment, a shared space of imagination, communication, and action. 29 of the South it combined with a programmatic decentering of the West. 34 Nearly a decade after its invention, the THR world thus took on an ambivalence that remained fundamental in the years to come. From now on, it was a concept constantly oscillating between the depiction of a THR world other on the one hand, and the assertion of a THR world self on the other. For the political and intellectual leaders and probably to a far lesser degree, for the people in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, the THR world became a powerful resource of political organization and legitimacy. THOs in charge of national liberation movements or post-colonial nation-states used it as a mobilization myth. 35 in their struggle for national independence, social revolution, autochthonous modernization, or, unfortunately, in the setting up of autocratic regimes and in securing their personal power. On an international level, THR world solidarity was called for, indeed, strived for, and at least partially institutionalized as an alternative to the Cold War binarity and as a weapon against neocolonialism and dependency. 36 for several decades, the THR world structured the collective articulation of interests shared by heterogeneous actors in the non-aligned movement, the Tree Continental, or in the Group 77. Starting with the Bandung and Belgrade conferences of 1955 and 1961, the non-aligned movement was constructed by advocates of peaceful coexistence and strict neutrality on the one hand, and militant anti-imperialists on the other, Accordingly, it vacillated between a doctrine of disengagement and the doctrine of combat.37 In contrast to this hesitancy, the confrontational, anti-imperialist stance of the Cuba-led Tree Continental Movement was very straightforward. In spring 1967, in a famous letter addressed to the OSPAAAL 38 formed at the FRST Tree Continental Conference in January 1966, 39 Ernesto Che Guevara called for the creation of two, three, many Vietnams as a means to encircle the repressive forces of Yankee imperialism. 40 As for the Group 77, it was less belligerent, but at least equally visible. Founded in 1964 during the FRST United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, UNCTAD, it assembled a loose coalition of THR world countries articulating shared demands in the United Nations. THE Group 77 targeted primarily the deterioration of the terms of trade and the structural disadvantages for THR world countries in the world market. In 1974, 
This battle culminated in a UN resolution demanding the construction of a new international economic order, NIEO.41 THS kind of collective politics and politicized self-images made available by the groundbreaking work of Fanon and centered on the notion of a post-colonial but potentially revolutionary underdeveloped but morally superior THR world is being referred to as THR worldism in the anglophone scholarly literature. DH's ex post facto term accounts for the ideas and practices of national liberation movements, of transnational THR world coalitions, of the fierce generation Bandung regimes up to the early 1960s and the more explicitly Marxist-Leninist second-generation Bandung regimes of the late 1960s and 1970s in the THR world.42 But there is more to it. THR worldism, and 30. Crossing borders especially its French equivalent, Tears M-O-N-D-I-S-M-E, 43 are also meant to include the attraction experienced by first world activists to the politicized concept of the THR world. Just as Fanon and others were appropriating this concept and giving it a wider and different meaning, the THR world traveled back to the first, where its semantics also expanded further. As a means of designating the THR world other, the concept continued to be used in Western social sciences, its media, and mainstream political discourse. But in the context of the Algerian War and the Cuban Revolution of 1959 it also became highly relevant for left-wing radicalism in France and elsewhere in the West. Alliance, Projection, or Mutual Constitution? THETHR world and the New Radical Left What we refer to as the New Radical Left came into being in France, West Germany, Italy, the US, and other Western societies since around 1956, the year Ballandier edited Leiter's Mund and Fanon joined the FLN. It was a heterogeneous, transnationally related set of political actors, comprising the Nouvelle Gauche, the New Left and Neuralinka, as well as old dissident left currents like Trotskyism or Anarchism. Later on, Maoism was equally part of the radical left. Its components thus were not only distinct, but sometimes rivals or even sworn enemies in the field of the political left. Together, they were at the core of, though not identical with, the counter-HEGEMONIC movements of the long 1960s in the West. What justifies, despite important differences, their common labeling as the new radical left, are there even more important commonalities? FRST, the radical left stood for Marxist-inspired politics aimed at socialist revolution, but nevertheless clearly dissociated itself from the traditional left incarnated by the old socialist and orthodox communist parties alike. The radical left accused reformist socialists and social democrats of giving away the idea of revolution. As for the communists, the emerging radical left interpreted the 1956 revelations of Stalinist crimes and the bloody suppression of the Hungarian uprising of the same year as painful proof of the corrupt nature of the Soviet Union, which had completely given up the promise for a better world it had originally stood for. Apart from being a dissident, but powerfully voiced new left minority, the second and equally decisive commonality of the radical left was that it conceived of itself as being radically anti-colonial or anti-imperialist and had a strong interest in and commitment to what came to be known as the THR world.
It unconditionally backed the process of decolonization, thus dissociating itself from the missing or only incomplete and hesitant support socialist and communist parties were willing to give to the colonial revolution of THR world actors. THS, the radical left in the THR world not only emerged roughly at the same time, the threshold from the 1950s to the 1960s, but they were to a shared space of imagination, communication, and action, 31 great extent mutually constitutive. The new radical left in France and elsewhere largely contributed to the propagation and the politicization of th Erdwalder presentations. Together with actors of the th world it institutionalized a set of discourses that motivated political action in the ancient colonies and in Western societies. Conversely, those THR world representations, as well as the concrete interactions with its representatives, made it possible for the radical left to create a distance from the old left, to develop new perspectives on worldwide revolutionary politics, to recruit new activists, in short, to exist as an independent political force, as can be shown through the widespread reception of the preface that Jean-Paul Sartre, Europe's most famous public intellectual, 44 wrote for Fanon's Last Dames de la Terra in 1961, the idea of a THR world functioned as a mobilization myth in the Western societies as well. Conflicts of leftist minorities with left mainstream parties could be articulated through the concept of the THR world. A new radical left could be institutionalized. The sparkling enthusiasm for THR world revolutions motivated activities. For example, supporting the FLN by means of propaganda or illegal actions that had long-lasting FECTs on worldviews, self-images, and practices of the radical left in THR world as protest movements in the West. Many of the French protesters of 1968, for instance, had not organized their FRST demonstrations in May or June of that same year, but already during the Algerian War. In the Parisian spring of 1968, they could rely on a network of political friendships built up some years earlier in the student union UNEF, 45 the dissident circles of the communist UEC, 46 in the anti-fascist FUA, 47 or in the radical left party PSU, 48 all of them highly engaged in the opposition against the Algerian war. As for the American war in Vietnam, French activists conceived of it as being part of the global colonial revolution theorized by Franz Fanon, Kwame Nkrumah, and Che Guevara, but also by Jean-Paul Sartre, Regis de Bray, or the authors of the French periodical, Partisans.49. In their view, the violent repression with which police forces met Parisian street riots in 1968 not only resembled the brutality the same police had deployed against Algerian migrants and French protesters in 1961-1962-50 but also was paralleled with the war crimes U.S. troops were thought to be committing systematically in the jungle of Vietnam. While the Viet Cong was suffering from toxic gases deployed by American soldiers, Parisian students it was claimed, were suffering from the very same gases deployed by French police forces. As this example indicates, for the Western radical left, the THR world not only allowed for making sense of the changes brought about by the end of empire while relating them to other defining configurations, namely, 
the Cold War and the perceived simultaneity of plenty in the North and scarcity in the South. Moreover, the THR world could be used politically, the colonial revolution was interpreted as a revolutionary space interconnected with first world struggles, giving them new, decisive impulses. Anti-colonial revolutions in the THR world would help anti-capitalist revolutions in the West. THE Stamina 32, crossing borders of the THR world, successfully feeding asymmetrical wars against seemingly superior Western enemies, made the small minority of Western left radicals feel they had a powerful ally in a common cause being fought for by the oppressed masses all over the world. Paris, Berlin, Prague, Berkeley, Tokyo, Algiers, Dakar, Havana, Mexico, or Hanoi. In the eyes of the radical left, it was all the part of the same combat whose actors were partaking in nothing less than a joint world revolution. Western minorities being marginalized in their own societies felt they were finally joining what they saw as the victorious majority of the world's population. If revolution was possible in the THR world, it had to be possible at home, too. THE knew radical left's ability to imagine and claim common cause with a radical THR world subject involved multiple translations and substitutions. It required the production of an imagined terrain able to close the multiple gaps between first and THR world subjects. 52 THE's transpositions which were needed to construct a common cause, were more or less convincingly grounded in theoretical and empirical arguments about the necessity and reality of joint, anti-imperialist action. But at the same time they were not exempt from stereotyped idealizations of the THR world that combined with the collapsing of strong disparities existing between the first and the THR world, or within the THR world itself. In this perspective, Decolonization was not only a THR world reality, but also a screen on which the first world radical left was projecting its concrete political objectives, as well as its rather vague desires for making history and experiencing adventure, for attaining change, purity, heroism, and grandeur that were supposedly incarnated by the THR world. Stereotyped perceptions of difference as well as romantic or political projections of a self on its other of course, were potentially and sometimes effectively mutual, THR world actors as well held stereotyped ideas about THR and first world realities, and they too could use first world activists to further their own political goals or suppress their political opponents by means of propaganda or material support. Describing these projections, distortions, or instrumental approaches should not, though, prevent us from acknowledging the remarkable destructive and constructive potential of the THR world concept for the new radical left and the counter-HEGEMONIC movements in the West as well as for THR world actors themselves. All over the world, the THR world allowed for radical critique of existing systems of power and representations that were considered to be effective globally, imperialism, but at the same time to be rooted locally 
i.e., to take on a specificy form in any given society, e.g., colonialism in Portuguese Angola, corruption of neocolonialist elites in Senegal, exploitation of migrant workers in France, racism in the U.S., apartheid in South Africa, authoritarian or fascist structures of society in Western Germany, etc. Mediated through the TH Heard world were not only critiques of these and many more existing structures in semantics, but also a continuation and modify a shared space of imagination, communication, and action. 33 Shane of others. DHs applies, for example, to the Marxist tradition, which in the process of constructing the TH Heard world, came to be revitalized and enriched by approaches originating in Algeria, Ghana, the Portuguese colonies, Vietnam, China, or Latin America, that is, outside the classical centers of Marxist thought in Western Europe or the Soviet Union. 53 th's kind of constructive decentering also affected key concepts of Western social sciences and everyday knowledge like progress, development, or modernization, which under the sign of the th heard world slowly came to be discussed in a new light. Conclusion. T-H-E-T-H heard world in history so what was the T-H heard world? As this chapter has argued, in the long 1960s, unequal development, the Cold War, and decolonization came to be conceptualized in the paradigm of the three worlds. Invented within French academia, the T-H heard world became a cornerstone of Western modernization theory, social sciences, and development politics. At the same time, though, the THR world became associated with revolutionary non or anti Western politics in the context of the Algerian War and Fanon's last Dams de la Terra. While depictions of the THR world as distinct from and inferior to the First World lingered on in academic circles, media, and politics of Western societies, the semantic shifts induced by Fanon and others allowed for new imaginations of the world and the self in the First and in the THR world. In the process, THR world activists and governments as well as radical leftists in the first world came to see the former as the driving force of a shared project of emancipation. THO's ideas had an explicitly global scope and were themselves mediated by a wide array of practices of transnational communication and action. Physical and intellectual mobility, and most of all travel, print culture and image-making media were, as Cynthia A. Young has rightly pointed out, essential technologue IEs of time-space compression that were helping to disseminate THRD world ideas across the globe. 54 THE idea of the THRD world itself, in fact, had initially helped to create this global space it was now being disseminated in. While on the one hand preserving essentialist and Eurocentric perspectives, the THR world concept on the other hand was fundamental for decentering claims to the superiority of the West over the rest. 55 in sum, it was an ambivalent, yet very powerful, discursive reality of the long 1960s. Whether the term THR world still holds any analytical or political value today is more than doubtful. 56 from our point of view, the THR world belongs to days gone by advocating the necessary historicization of the concept, as we have done in this chapter, does not, 
of course, imply that its history is irrelevant for understanding our present day, one world. On the contrary, appreciating the historical dimension of recent processes of globalization is hardly possible without accounting for the shared space that the th world concept had 34, crossing borders opened up, thus creating and representing global entanglements between seemingly distant worlds. Notes 1. See Mark T. Berger, After the th World, History, Destiny and the Fate of th Worldism, in Berger, ed. After the th World, London, Routledge, 2009, 939-30, originally published in th World Quarterly Volume 25, Number 1, 2004. 2. France J. Schurman, Paradigms Lost, Paradigms Regained, Development Studies in the 21st Century, Th. World Quarterly Volume 21, 2000, 720. 3. One of the best articles on the subject is B.R. Tomlinson, What Was the Th. World? Journal of Contemporary History Volume 38, 2003, 307-321. See also V.J. Prashad. T.H.E. Darker Nations, A People's History of the T.H.R. World, New York, T.H.E. New Press, 2007. 4. Still the most important starting point, Carl Eplich, T.H.E.T.H.E. Worlds, or the Division of Social C&T5C Labor, circa 1950-1975, Comparative Studies in Society and History, Volume 23, 1981, 565-587. 5. On the long 1960s, see for example Arthur Marwick, 1968 and the Cultural Revolution of the Long Sixties, C.1958-C.1974, in Gerd Reiner Horn and Padraig Kenny, eds. Transnational Moments of Change, Europe 1945, 1968, 1989, Lanham, M.D., Roman and Little F.I. Eld, 2004, 81 Despite a general defiancy of scholarly accounts, some authors have actually stressed the th world dimension of 1968. See for example, Ingo Juckler, Die Stuzentanbewegungen in den Vereinigten Staaten und der Bundesrepublik Deutschland der Sixiger Jahre, eine Untersuchung hinsichtlich Europäischen Verlassung durch Befreiungsbegungen und Theorien aus der Dritten Welt, Berlin, Dunker und Humblot, 1996, Arif Ehrlich, THETH World, in Carol Fink, Philip Gassert, and Detlef Junker, EDS. 1968 THE World Transformed, Cambridge. Cambridge University Press, 1998, 295-317. Kristen Ross, May 68 and its Afterlives, Chicago, University of Chicago Press, 2002. Cynthia A. Young, Soul Power, Culture, Radicalism and the Making of a USTH Third World Left, Durham, Duke University Press, 2006. Robert Frank, Imaginaire Politique at Figures Simbliques Internationals, in Genevieve Dreyfus Armand et al. eds. Les Anne 68, Leyton de la Contestation, Bruxelles, Editions Complex 2000, 
3147, Romain Bertrand, May 68 et anti-colonialism in Dominique de Mame et al. EDS. May June 68, Paris, 8 Lear, 2008. 89101, several contributions in Yannick Marina Schaufelbuel, ed. 1968-1978, Ein Bewegs Jahres und in der Schweiz und Dissene Movementi und Suisse, Untermeider Beidven avec la Collaboration de Nuno Pereira und Renata Schar, Zurich 2009, and numerous contributions in the excellent volume Jens Kastner and David Mayer, eds. Welt Wendy 1968, on Yaros Global Jishichlikur Perspective, Wien, Mandelbaum, 2008. 7. Reinhard Kohler and Twiklung, Mu, Combining Diaresis and Stir 1998, 1158. 8. Alistair Barnett, The Idea of the West, Culture, Politics and History, New York, Palgrave Macmillan, 2004. 9. Peter Wagner, Modernity, History of the Concept, in Neil C. Smeilser and Paul B. Baltz, EDS. International Encyclopedia of the Social and Behavioral Sciences, Volume 15, Amsterdam 2001, 9949-9954. A Shared Space of Imagination, Communication, and Action, 35. 10. Boris Barth and Jew, Combining Diaresis, Regen Osterhemmel, EDS. Zivilisierungs Mission in Imperial Weltverbesserung CI Dem 18. Jürgen Lurt, Konstanz. UVK Verlagsgesellschaft, 2005. 11. Gilbert Rist, THE History of Development, From Western Origins to Global Faith, New York, Z Books, 2002. 4768. 12. IBID, 72F. Arturo Escobar, Encountering Development, THE Making and Unmaking of the TH Heard World, Princeton, NJ, Princeton University Press 1995, Heidi Irene Schmidt and Helga Faro, Introduction, Europe and the First Development Decade, THE Foreign Economic Assistance Policy of European Donor Countries, 1958-1972, Contemporary European History Volume 12, 2003, 387-394. 13. Michel Margares, Alfred Savi, in Jacques Jolliard and Michel Winock, EDS. Dictionnaire des Intellectuels Français, Paris, Editions du Soil. 1996, 1032-1034. 14. Alfred Savi, Truamunds, Unplant, 1952, in Elsa Island, Sophie Bissis, and Serge Cordelier, EDS. La Fille and Dutersmund, Paris, De Couvert, 1996, 145-147. 15. Strangely enough, the importance of TH Heard World Societies for the dynamics of the global Cold War emphasized by Savi has received very little attention in historical accounts of the post-war world up to the 1990s. Only recently have historians begun to investigate this aspect, see for example Adarni Westhad, THE Global Cold War, 
D.H. World Interventions in the Making of Our Time, Cambridge. Cambridge University Press, 2005. 16. The most famous citation in Savai's article, Car and Fien, Satir's Mund Ignore, Exploit, Me Prize Conlatures Attat, Viewed, Louis Aussie, Etra Qualc Chose, is a reference to the famous pamphlet Kuesa Kalatires Attat, by Abis Yeis in 1789. Revolution, indeed, was to be a central characteristic of th world societies in the second half of the 20th century. See the chapter, THR World and Revolution, in Eric Hobsbawm, THE Age of Extremes, A History of the World, 1914-1991, New York, Pantheon Books, 1994. 17. George's Ballandier, ed. Lay, Development. Preface D. Alfred Savi, Paris. Presses Universitaires de France, 1956. 18. In 1967 it changed its name into Revue Tiers Monde, which is still being published today, see, http colon slash slash www.armand-colon.com slash review slash 30 slash 1 slash review dash tiers dash monde dot php, access the 30th of June 2010. 19. THEFRST1s were Robert Desloy orders, Jean-Claude Riverdy, and Claudine Desloy orders, L. Algerie Despidonvilles, Laetiers Monde dans la Site, Paris, Mouton and Co., 1961, Marc Bonifuis, Europe at Tiers Monde, Leide, A. W. Sivoff, 1961, H. Chamber, J.P. Saltuel, and A. Nowicki, Tiers Monnet Commerce des Pays de l'Ele, Paris, ISEA, 1962, Jean Lacouture and Jean Baumier, Les Poets du Tiers Monde, Unmilliar Dihams, Paris, Arthod, 1962. 20. Early Anglophone volumes were Mario Rossi, THETH Heard World, THE Unaligned Countries and the World Revolution, New York, Funk and Wagnalls, 1963. And Peter Worsley, THETHR World, London, V. Eidenfeld and Nicholson, 1964. For a short history of the invention and the FRST translations of the term C. Eric Tangerstad, THETHR World as an element in the collective construction of a post colonial European identity, in Bo Straff, ed. Europe and the Other and Europe as the Other, Brussels, P.I.E. Peter Lang. 2,157, 193. 21. Hermann van der Wee, der Gebremst Wohlstand. Weiter aufbau, Watchstum Instructor und Elder Weltwirtschaft seit 1945, Munich. Deutscher Taschenbuch Verlag, 1984. 36. Crossing Borders. 22. See the chapter. The Golden Years in Hobsbawm, 1995. For a historical account of consumerism in the last century, see Victoria de Gracia, Irresistible Empire, America's Advance Through 20th Century Europe, Cambridge, Belknap Press of Harvard University Press, 2005. 23. On this process see the chapter, The Problematization of Poverty. 
The Tale of the TH Worlds and Development in Escobar, 1995. 24. On Modernization, see David C. Engerman et al. EBS. Staging Growth, Modernization, Development, and the Global Cold War, Amherst, University of Massachusetts Press, 2003. Michael E. Latham, Modernization as Ideology, American Social Science and Nation Building in the Kennedy Era, Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina Press. 2000. Andreas Eckert, Stefan Malinowski, and Corinna R. Unger, EDS. Modernizing Missions, Munich, Beck, 2010, originally published in Journal of Modern European History Volume 8, 2010, 1. 25. Bernd Greiner, Christian T.H. Mew, Combining Diaresis, Lur, and Dirk Walter, EDS. High Krieg im Kalten Krieg, Hamburg. Hamburger Editions, 2006. 26. Contemporary awareness of the importance of decolonization was widespread. See for example Jeffrey Bergloff, The Revolt Against the West, 1964, in Presenja Duara, ed. Decolonization. Perspectives from Now and Th on London, Routledge, 2003. 118-130. 27. See the contemporary account by Richard Wright, T.H.E. Color Curtain, a report on the Bandung Conference, 1956, with a foreword by Gunnar Myrtle and an afterword by Enrijit Singh Jackson, M.S. Banner Books, 1995. See also Jamie Mackey, Band on 1955, Non-Alignment and Afro-Asian Solidarity, Singapore, Editions Didier Millet, 2005. 28. Evil Cost, Country Les Anti-Tiers Mondestes et Country Certain Tiers Mondestes, Paris, La de Couvert, 1985, Tangerstad, 2168 F. 29. On the Algerian War, see Benjamin Sora and Mohamed Harvey, EBS. La Guerre d'Algerie, 1954-2004, La Fille and l'Amnesty, Paris, R. Lafont, 2004. 30. Although the book had for a time been censored by French authorities, in France it sold 150,000 copies until 1968. See Claude Lealzu, Intellectuels du Tiers Monde et Intellectuels Français, Les Années Algériennes des Editions Maspero, in Jean-Pierre and Jean-François Cyrinelli, eds. La Guerre d'Algérie et Les Intellectuels Français, Paris, Institut d'Histoire du Temps Present, 1988, 105-118-113, on the Publishing House Editions Maspero, see Julian Hage. L edition Popula Aridi Extreme Gauche en France et en Europe dans les années 1960-1970, L Exemple Francais des Editions Maspero, 1959-1983, Memo Ire de Dea sous la Direction de Jean-Yves Mollier, Université de Versailles Saint-Quentin en Yvelines, 2003. 31. Hans Ware, A Dictionary of Modern Written Arabic, Arabic English, ed. J. Milton Cowan, 4th ed. Wisebaden, Harasowitz, 1979, 169.
32, on Fanon's life and work, see Alice Jerky, Franz Fanon, A Portrait Ithaca, NY, Cornell University Press, 2006. 33, Arise, Wretched of the Earth was the beginning of the Fiorest stanza of T.H.E. Internationale composed by Eugene Pottier after the Paris Commune in 1871, C. Mark Farrell, L. Internationale, Histoire d'Enchantment de Pottier et de Gieter, Paris, Gnosis, 1996. T.H.E. Internationale soon became the most popular anthem of international socialism thus turning the wretched of the earth into a globally recognized representation of the exploited, revolutionary industrial workers, a shared space of imagination, communication, and action. 37. 34. On this aspect, see Christoph Kalter, Le monde va de l'avant, et vous sets en marge, de colonisierung, des entrierung des westens und entakunder, Dritten Welt in der Radikalen Linken in Frankreich in den 1960er Jahren, Archiv Fu, Combining Diaresis R. Sozial Jeschkitty Volume 48, 2008, 99-132. 35. THs is the term used by Berger, 2004, 36. 36. For an introduction to the concepts of neocolonialism and dependency, see for example Robert J.C. Young, Postcolonialism, an historical introduction, Malden, M.A., Blackwell Publishers 2001, 4456, Ilan Kapoor, Capitalism, Culture, Agency, Dependency versus Postcolonial T.H. Erie, T.H. World Quarterly Volume 23, Number 4. 2647-664. 37. THE's alternatives were being discussed by contemporary authors like, for example, Jean Lacouture and Jean Baumier, Les Poets du Tiers Monde, Unmilliard de Homs, Paris, Arthod, 1962, 243-279. OSPAAL equals Organization of Solidarity with the People of Asia, Africa and Latin America. 39. On the conference, see the contemporary accounts by Albert Paul Lenten, La Lutre Continentale, Imperialism et Revolution après la Conference de la Havane, Paris. 1966. And by an anonymous author, THE First Afro-Asian Latin American People's Solidarity Conference, in Yearbook on International Communist Affairs, 1967, 451-457. 40. C. Ernesto, Che Guevara, Creates Who, TH Re, Many Vietnams, That Is The Watchword, Tree Continental Volume 14, 1969, 86-95. 41. On the Non-Aligned Movement, the Group 77, and its demand for NIEO, see for example Mackey, 2005. Robert A. Mortimer, THETHR World Coalition in International Politics, New York. Prager, 1980. Tomlinson, 2003. See also Richard L. Jackson, THE Non-Aligned, the UN and the Superpowers, New York. Prager, 1983, Carl P. Sovent, 
DHE Group of 77, Evolution, Structure, Organization, New York, Oceana Publications, 1981, and Mark Williams, DHR World Cooperation, DHE Group of 77 and UNCTAD, London, Pinter Publishers, 1991. 42, Berger, 2004. 43, Jean Daniel and Andre Bergier, eds. Laetiers Mund at La Gauche, Paris, Suoil. 1979, marked the beginning of a highly polemical debate on Tiers Montisme in France. For a critical historicization, see Makes I'm Chapansky Uri. L. Ideologie Tiers Montiste. Constructions at Usages d'une Catégorie Intellectuelle on Cries, Raisons Politiques Volume 18, Number 2, 2005, 2, 2748. An influential historical definition of Tiers Montisme was given in Pierre Vidal Nacoé, Un Fidelite Tattoo, La Resistance Francaise Grave La Guerre d'Algerie. Ving Team Siegel, Review d'Histoire Volume 10, 1986, 318. Historiographical use of the concept has been made, for example, by Robert Malley, THE Call from Algeria, THR Worldism, Revolution, and the Turn to Islam, Berkeley 1996, or Monica Cult, Tears Mondismus in der Schweiz der 1960er und 1970er Yara. Von der Barmherzigkeit zur Literatat, Bern 2010. 44. On Sartre, C. Sunil Kilnani, Arguing Revolution, THE Intellectual Left in Post-War France, New Haven, Yale University Press, 1993, Tony Judd, Marxism and the French Left, Studies in Labor and Politics in France. 1830-1981, Oxford and New York, Oxford University Press, 1986, and Michel Winock, Sartre S.A.I.L.T.O.U.J.O.U.R.S. Trompe, L'Histoire Volume 295, 2005, 3445. 45. UNEF equals Union Nazi and all Desatudians to France. 38. Crossing Borders. 46. UEC equals Union des Etudiens Communists. 47. FUA equals Front Universitaire Antifasciste. 48. PSU equals Parti Socialiste Unifié Acute. 49. On the cooperation between Guevara and Debray, see Bernhard Geerds, Che Guevara, Regis Debray und die Focus Theory, in Wolfgang Kraushar, ed. Diaraf under Linko Terrorismus. BD. 1. Hamburg. Hamburger Edition. 2006. 182-204. On Partisans. See Julian Hage. Sir Les Chamans du Tiers Mund en Lut. Partisans. Revolution. Tree Continental. 1961-1973. In Philippe Hartiers and Michel Zancarini for now. EDS. 68. Un Histoire Collective, 1962-1981, Paris, La Découverte, 2008, 86-93. 50. 
The most famous examples are the repression of the demonstrations of October 1961 and February 1962, see Jim House and Neil McMaster, Paris 1961, Algerians, State Terror, and Memory, Oxford, Oxford University Press, 2006, Alain Dior, Charani, 8 Février 1962, Anthropologie Historique d'un Massacre d'État, Paris, Gallimard, 2006. 51. Gas de Guerre, Leaflet, the 13th of May 1968, BDIC Paris Nanterre, Fons Candel, F Delta Rees 7032, La Rue Vancro. In L Action, the 13th of May 1968, BDIC Paris Nanterre, Fons Candel, F Delta Rees 7321. 52. Young, 2006, 4. 53. Th's is one of the central arguments unfolded in Young, 2001. 54. Young, 2006, 9. 55. Stuart Hall, The West and the Rest, Discourse and Power, in Stuart Hall and Brom Gibbon, eds. Formations of Modernity, Cambridge, Polity Press in association with the Open University, 1992-118-130. 56. For a discussion of pros and cons see the contributions in Berger, 2009. Chapter 2 China's Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution and the Imagination of the THR World Zachary A. Scarlett No event since the Communist Revolution in 1949 had a more significant impact on the Chinese state than did the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution. THR's event has garnered tremendous attention from sinologists, scholars, however have traditionally approached the Cultural Revolution from the perspective of the nation-state, analyzing the machinations of the Chinese Communist Party CCP, the causes of student factionalism, and the role of political elites in the movement. Few scholars have considered the Cultural Revolution in a global context. One THS has led to the perception that the Cultural Revolution was an isolated and insular movement that was generally cut off from the rest of the world. However, many Chinese students, particularly those associated with the Foreign Ministry and Beijing's foreign language institutes, engaged with the political and social movements of the THR world in the 1960s, primarily through national cultural symbols, revolutionary rhetoric, and the image of Mao Zedong. Two THE's cultural symbols took on both national and transnational meaning during the Cultural Revolution. Chinese students, who formed into Red Guard units at the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, constructed multiple identities, and envisioned themselves both as the vanguard of revolutionary politics in China, as well as participants in the myriad th world revolutionary movements of the 1960s.3 by incorporating the th world into their movement, Chinese students made the Cultural Revolution both an ultra-nationalist and transnational event. Chinese students integrated the THR world into the Cultural Revolution in two important ways. THEFRST was by creating a rhetorical bond between the Cultural Revolution and the THR world, specifically by adopting a militant anti-imperialism. Harangues regarding American aggression in Vietnam or Soviet influence in the Middle East, for example, 
appeared alongside articles sharply criticizing British colonialism in Hong Kong. The Red Guards also used the THR world to castigate their enemies in China, claiming that some of Chiles, such as the head of state, Liu Shaoqi, and the foreign minister, Chen Yi, had 40. Crossing borders betrayed not only the Chinese Communist Party, but also the revolution in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Despite claims of fraternity and solidarity with the THR world, however, the rhetoric of the Cultural Revolution also contained overt strains of paternalism. Unlike in the West, where the THR world inspired radical students, Four Red Guard newspapers and official state declarations portrayed the THR world as a place where China's revolutionary guidance was imperative. THE's documents suggest that the only way the THR world revolution could succeed was by following the model established by the Cultural Revolution and more specifically by Mao Zedong. The second way in which Chinese students and the state engaged with the THR world was by projecting Mao's image across national borders. Mao became a national and international symbol during the Cultural Revolution. Students published articles and other items in their newspapers asserting Mao's importance in the THR world. Mao appeared in Red Guard newspapers both as the leader of the CCP, as well as a symbol of the TH World Revolution. Several newspapers carried a weekly section, entitled, Mao is the Reddest Sun in the Heart of the World's Revolutionary People, which detailed Mao's global importance, and the ways in which his theories were transforming the TH World. Once again a paternalistic tone infused Mao's global image. Mao was often presented as the savior of the THR world, whose revolutionary credentials trumped those of the Soviet Union. THR was little difference between Mao as a national hero and Mao as a global symbol. Chinese students used Mao's image as the savior of the CCP and imprinted that perception onto the THR world. And yet, the representation of the THR world was often imagined rather than based in reality. Five students adopted the language, ideology, symbols, codes, and posture of the Chinese state and the Cultural Revolution to compose the THR world devoid of contours and nuance. Some Red Guard groups used the THR world to reinforce their own position in China and refi RM the necessity and importance of the Cultural Revolution. THE students could not escape the rhetoric or images of the Cultural Revolution, and reports of revolutionary movements in the THR world used the same communist jargon that dominated the Chinese movement. In so doing, the Red Guards mediated the THR world through the means of a Chinese reality. In essence, the THR world came to mirror the Cultural Revolution. Student newspapers made it appear as if many cultural revolutions were taking place throughout the THR world. DH's representation suggested that the Cultural Revolution had implications that stretched well beyond the borders of the Chinese nation-state. As with many other events during the Cultural Revolution, that state manipulated and influenced the students' engagement with the THR world. Hi-Fi Childs and elite organizations also co-opted the THR world to promote their own agendas during the Cultural Revolution, burnish their revolutionary image, and criticize foreign countries, particularly the United States and the Soviet Union.
TH has had the trickle-down FECT, students, who were not privy to the inter-China's great proletarian cultural revolution and the imagination of the TH art world. 41 now machinations of the CCP, adopted the language and the affectation of hi-fi childs and approached the TH art world in a similar manner. At the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, the Foreign Ministry took the lead in promoting Maoism and the prospect of global revolution. On the 17th of June 1966, in the VRST days of the Cultural Revolution, Foreign Minister Chen Yi delivered a speech to students in which he declared that he, the revolutionary, will strive for the victory of world revolution. It is our obligation to internationalism to build up our strength. 6. Ironically, in 1968, the Red Guards accused Chen Yi of subverting global revolution and giving comfort to imperialist enemies. The Foreign Ministry was not alone in promoting the revolutionary potential of the THR world. At the 11th plenum of the CCP, which took place from 112 August 1966, the party issued a statement that declared that the world was in a new era of revolution. Officials at the Plenum Ulcerifira Medlin by ISSA entitled, Long Live the People's Victory, which declared that the THR world had become an important revolutionary area. Seven People's Daily, the official newspaper of the Chinese Communist Party, published several articles proclaiming Mao's importance to the THR world revolution. Eight DHE newspaper also carried editorials that encouraged students to remain vigilant against imperialism. DHS became particularly important in the summer of 1967 when Chinese students on the mainland challenged British rule in Hong Kong. DHE Central Cultural Revolution Committee, CCRG, which became one of the most powerful organizations during the Cultural Revolution, also played a role in shaping the Red Guard's relationship with the THR world. DHECCRG promoted a radical approach to foreign affairs and attempted to manipulate China's foreign policy during the Cultural Revolution to support social movements in the THR world. Nine much of the state's approach to the THR world was also a result of the very negative relationship with both the Soviet Union and the United States. It is the former, however, which is the most important in this discussion. Both China and the Soviet Union claimed to be the global revolutionary authority, and the dispute between the two countries was partially fought over the hearts and minds of the THR world revolution. Indeed, the Sino-Soviet split shaped the states and the Red Guards' approach to the THR world and set the tone for the internationalism of the Cultural Revolution. The Sino-Soviet split in China's engagement with the THR world Any ostensible observation of the international situation in the years leading up to the Cultural Revolution would only confide RM that China was generally isolated from the rest of the world during the 1960s. After the Sino-Soviet split in 1961, China was unhinged from the communist world and largely isolated from the international community. However, despite Beijing's antagonistic foreign policy 42, crossing borders and generally poor relations with the rest of the world, the THR world became extremely important to China in the 1960s. After the breakdown in relations between the Soviet Union and China, the Chinese government began to search for new potential allies.
It also increased its support for radical movements in the THR world, bypassing unfriendly state governments and appealing directly to pro-Maoist revolutionary groups.10. So while the Chinese government may have been isolated from the international community in the 1960s, the Communist Party maintained an active campaign to promote Maoism and criticize Soviet revisionism and American imperialism, especially in the THR world. One of the reasons why China's relationship with the Soviet Union soured was over the issue of how actively communist states should support revolutionary struggles against imperialism in the THR world. Mao and the Communist Party were outraged by Khrushchev's claim that the communist and capitalist worlds could peacefully coexist. Mao strongly believed that imperial powers like the United States would never rest until they had colonized the entire world. Although the relationship between the two countries broke down for myriad reasons, China's approach to the THR world epitomizes the different ideologies that Khrushchev and Mao embraced. The Soviet Union already regarded cautiously in China because of Khrushchev's commitment to detente with the United States, had traditionally embraced progressive modernization in the THR world that was to be guided by the Comintern.11 Mao, however, stressed permanent revolution, and the two countries differed over the stability required for modernization and the need for continued revolutionary action in the THR world. After the Sino-Soviet split, China hoped to build a revolutionary consensus in the THR world that would oppose both the United States and the Soviet Union.12 Many THR world countries, however, were hesitant to turn their back on the more powerful Soviet Union. THS created a profoundly precarious situation for China in which international friends were few and far between and in which solidarity between China and revolutionary groups in the THR world became more important. As Tech Yang Lai writes, such a situation must have reminded the communists of the pre-revolutionary days when the party battled the nationalist government during the civil war in the 1940s.13 instead of looking to the Chinese peasantry as a place to recruit new members, as they did in the 1940s. The CCP instead looked to the THR world as a powerful ally to feed GHT, the United States and the Soviet Union. In 1965, Lin Biao summarized this sentiment by declaring that China's enemies could be defeated only if they were surrounded by a radical THR world, just as the Chinese peasantry surrounded the nationalist armies from the countryside. Specifically predicting the downfall of the United States, Lin declared that, the peoples of Asia, Africa, Latin America and other regions can destroy, the United States, piece by piece, some striking at its head and others at its feet. 14 Lin's message is clear. Only by working together can China and the THR world defeat American imperialism. China's great proletarian cultural revolution and the imagination of the THR world. 43 Lin's statement was partially the result of years of effort by the Chinese state to build stronger relations in the THR world. In 1960, Beijing celebrated the creation of a Sino-Latin American Friendship Association and a Sino-African People's Friendship Association.15 After 1962, China also began to push for greater influence in the Afro-Asian People's Solidarity Organization. The party used this organization to argue that the Soviet Union was not interested in solving the THR world's 
problems. 16. China believed the THR world was its natural constituency in the years leading up to the Cultural Revolution. 17. Th's feeling of solidarity between China and the THR world, precipitated largely by the state's actions, influenced the Red Guard's embrace of revolutionary action in Asia, Africa, and Latin America during the Cultural Revolution. Many governments in the THR world, however, viewed Chinese motives with suspicion or even outright hostility. And yet, interest in Maoism as an alternative to Soviet communism grew among radical organizations during the 1960s.18 Beijing facilitated this increased attention, lauding and supporting any group that expressed an interest in China. On the other hand, Governments and political parties who voiced opposition or even remained neutral toward Maoism were criticized. China condemned the entire non-alignment movement and its failure to actively combat the United States and the Soviet Union. 19. India's generally cordial relationship with the United States and the Soviet Union also deeply frustrated the Chinese. 20. As an alternative to India's neutralism, China began to actively support pro-Maoist groups in India like the Nyaxalits. The Chinese government printed countless leaflets in English, Hindi, Bengali, and Nepali that contained different quotations from Chairman Mao, and attempted to distribute these leaflets in areas where the Nyaxalits convened. Tha also translated Lin Bai Ia's Long Live the People's Victory and drop copies of the essay from a plane over India.21 THR efforts paid off at least in the short term. In 1970, students in Kolkata vandalized parts of the city, and the Nuxalite leader called on his followers to form into Red Guard units.22 So while China may have been searching for new allies in the THR world, they were unwilling to compromise their ideals in order to obtain these new friends. DH's policy made the 1960s and the wave of revolutionary movements that broke out in the THR world extremely important to China. When the Cultural Revolution began, students seized on this growing importance of the THR world in Chinese politics. Red Guard rhetoric in the THR world China's engagement with the THR world during the Cultural Revolution manifested itself in the rhetoric of some Red Guard organizations. Ostensibly, any mention of the THR world was meant to show the Red Guard strong support for revolutionary movements in Asia, Africa, or Latin America. And in 44, crossing borders some cases, this support signified a genuine feeling of outrage over imperialist abuse in the THR world. However, by reporting on the THR world's support of the Cultural Revolution, students also used the international situation to justify domestic actions and refire their own political campaign. For example, during the foundational meeting of a student group in Beijing called THE World's Revolutionary Proletarians for the Repudiation of Revisionism, a Brazilian into South African, Freedom Figter both took the stage to laud Mao's revolutionary vision in conceiving the Cultural Revolution. 23 THE article reporting this event, published by an organization called the Center to Liberate Foreign Affairs, concluded that even though all of those attending the meeting were speaking a different language, they were able to communicate with one another and convey the fact that Mao was the reddest son among the world's revolutionaries.
24 Another Red Guard newspaper published by the Beijing No. 2 Foreign Language Institute reported that the Vietnamese people wanted nothing more than to see the ultimate victory of the great proletarian cultural revolution. 25 Chinese students used the THR world as a tool not only to expand their revolution, but also to further its domestic aims. According to these newspapers, the cultural revolution significant stretched around the world. Chinese students were able to keep abreast of developments in the THR world by reading the Atlas Fighting Papers, a leaflet published out of Shanghai. DH's paper denoted exactly where revolutionary struggles, Palestine, Vietnam, Burma, were taking place. 26 Red Guard groups used music to demonstrate their support for the THR world. One song during the Cultural Revolution was entitled, THR World, Let's Unite and Fight. 27 Revolutionary Fraternity, however, most clearly manifested itself in the students' staunch anti-imperialist attitude. THETHR World's struggle against Western influence was referenced again and again in many student newspapers during the Cultural Revolution. DH's anti-imperialism was used to project fraternity with the THR World, as well as castigate American aggression, Soviet revisionism, and the ideals of bourgeois capitalism. On the surface, Anti-imperialism established a common discourse among the Red Guards and their THR world counterparts. Antagonism toward American imperialism was particularly acute during the Cultural Revolution, especially regarding the Vietnam War. Some Chinese students attended rallies in order to express their support for the Vietnamese struggle. At one particular rally, Chinese students carried signs that read, China is behind Vietnam. 28 An article reprinted in the Peking Review declared that the 700 million Chinese people who are armed with Mao Zedong th ought most resolutely support their Vietnamese brothers in resisting U.S. aggression to the end. 29 Some Red Guards also used the theater to demonstrate their disdain for American imperialism in Vietnam. In his memoir, Gao Yuan recalls a time during the Cultural Revolution when he and his fellow classmates performed a play in which three students dressed as an American soldier, pilot, and sailor took the stage to confess their crimes and stupidities in Vietnam. 34 China As for the China's great proletarian cultural revolution and the imagination of the THR world, 45 rest of the world the Vietnam War became one of the central issues of the late 1960s. It also placed some Red Guard organizations in league with many TH Third World revolutionaries. However, while the student support for the Vietnamese struggle was often meant to express solidarity, backing from the government held a strategic purpose. 31 China wanted to position itself as the savior of the Vietnamese people, especially in comparison to the Soviet Union. To this end, they denied the Soviets permission to use Chinese airspace in order to deliver military equipment to the Sino-Vietnamese border. 32 TH's decision colored the way that students saw not only the Vietnam War, but also the entire THR world. Chinese students' feelings of solidarity with THR world revolutionaries often intermingled with the state's tactical battle against foreign enemies. THE students were never able to actually escape the state's foreign policy, 
and any condemnation of imperialism was also a tacit rejection of the Soviet Union's revisionism and a reaffirmation of Mao Zedong Thot. Rhetorical support for anti-imperialist struggles went beyond Vietnam. In June of 1967, for example, the Center to Liberate Foreign Affairs lamented the invasion of Arab countries by Israeli forces and claimed that this invasion was the work of surging imperialists. According to an article published in the organization's newspaper, if Israel did not have American backing, it could not conduct the invasion of Arab countries. The article went on to blame the predicament in the Middle East on the armed invasion of the American imperialists and their running dogs. 33 The Mexican authorities' slaughter of students in October of 1968 also garnered attention, but was again placed in an imperialist context. One article, entitled, A Storm is Shaking the Backyard of U.S. Imperialism, notes that, young Mexican students have recently unfolded torrential waves of struggle against persecution and slaughter. 34 While expressing support for revolutionary causes abroad, these reports also reminded the Red Guards that the counter-revolutionary enemies of the communist state were everywhere and that vigilance was the only antidote to these omnipotent forces. TH has in turn reinforced the need for the Cultural Revolution, and further the belief that the TH Art World Revolution and the Chinese student movement were one and the same. Victory in the latter would ensure the ultimate success of the former. At times, the Red Guard's anti-imperialism did move beyond rhetoric, but only when specified see Chinese issues were at hand. In June 1967, during some of the most chaotic and radical days of the Cultural Revolution, British ownership of Hong Kong became a major issue. When a demonstration was held in Hong Kong against English rule, a Red Guard newspaper lauded the patriotic acts of our fellow countrymen in the struggle to resist the English invaders. The same article went on to mention that demonstrators in Hong Kong were looking to the Cultural Revolution to emulate as a form of protest, even planning to hold a Beijing-style march. 35 When, in August 1967, it became clear that the 46 crossing borders Chinese government would not support protesters in Hong Kong with anything beyond words. Chinese students and workers began to hold mass demonstrations in front of the British mission in Beijing. The's protesters formed into the liaison station of capital revolutionary rebels against imperialism and revisionism, and continued to place pressure on the British government to abdicate rule in Hong Kong. The protest became frenetic and took on the fanatic revolutionary fervor. 36 Both Yuan Lai, the vice chairman of the CCP, and Chen Boda, the head of the CCRG, tried to intervene and disperse the students, but they would not listen to these high officials. Partly motivated by an editorial that appeared in People's Daily on 3 June 1967 that urged all Chinese to support protests in Hong Kong against the British government. Many of the workers and students were convinced that their protest represented a truly revolutionary action. 37 The protest lasted through the summer, until finale on 20 August 1967. Students and workers stormed the British Embassy and burned part of the building to the ground. The's events embody the chasm between rhetorical denunciations of imperialism in the THR world and tangible action on the part of the Red Guards. During the Cultural Revolution, 
students used their own newspapers to vociferously condemn imperial aggression in the THR world. And yet the greatest show of revolutionary force against imperialism during the Cultural Revolution involved British colonialism in Hong Kong. It took a purely Chinese issue to transform the Red Guard's anti-imperialist rhetoric into action. The Chinese government's anti-imperialism and support for the people of Hong Kong also proved to be ostensible. UMII and Chen Boda were both furious with the students and workers who took part in the burning of the British missions. Zhuao and Chen held a meeting on the 22nd of August that excoriated the students' actions. Zhuao declared that burning the embassy was tantamount to anarchy, and that the students and workers were out of control. He also downplayed China's future support for Hong Kong and pledged that diplomacy rather than militancy would guide foreign affairs for the time being. 38 Even Mao did not approve of the burning of the embassy, and arrested several members of the CCRG that he believed were behind the students' actions. 39 The above examples demonstrate how the THR world became a means through which the Red Guards could target foreign enemies, particularly the United States and the Soviet Union, as well as legitimate their own actions. The THR world, however, was also sometimes used to criticize enemies in the CCP, who certain Red Guard organizations declared were not only responsible for suppressing the masses at home, but indeed had conspired to stifle revolutionary people throughout the world. Red Guard groups cast their opponents as enemies of the world's revolutionary people. Much of this criticism, however, was dictated by a fight Childs in the CCP. For example, in the campaign against Liu Shaoqi, the CCRG ordered officials in the foreign ministry to hand over their archives concerning Liu's attitudes toward global revolution. The propaganda team of China's great proletarian cultural revolution and the imagination of the THR world. 47 The CCRG was to look through this archive and ascertain if Liu had suppressed foreign revolutionaries as he, supposedly, had done in, China.40 Meanwhile, students in China followed the lead of the CCRG. In September 1967 Red Guards from the No. 2 Foreign Language Institute reported with a certain amount of disgust that in 1965 Liu Shaoqi told the people of Latin America, If American imperialists interfere with you, we cannot go to help you because it is too far. 41 The article concluded that this statement proved that Liu Shaoqi had a highly revisionist and anti-revolutionary attitude. The case against Chen Yi relied even more heavily on global narratives, mainly because Chen Yi was the foreign minister. Chen Yi was one of the more moderate high officials during the Cultural Revolution and he was eventually criticized by members of the CCRG and the Chinese students. Chen Yi's downfall came from his involvement in the February Adverse Current, a campaign conducted by radical officials in the CCP who believed that the Cultural Revolution was being subverted by moderate voices. In a meeting among leading government officials on the 16th of February 1967, Chen Yi and several others criticized the radicalism of the Cultural Revolution and the actions of the CCRG, claiming that they were the true revisionists in China. After the meeting, 
Mao learned of Chen's statement and quickly reprimanded the foreign minister. 42 Once again, the students followed suit. A new organization called the Liaison Station to criticize Chen Yi was formed, which attracted members from more than 35 different Red Guard units. 43 Chen Yi was accused of being a FLUNKI of imperialism and of proposing less hostile relations with the United States. Any mention of Chen Yi's domestic crimes was almost immediately followed by a criticism of his willingness to capitulate to the enemy and tolerate American imperialism. 44 Although the students' actions were approved by the CCRG, some in the government moved to protect Chen Yi.45 UNII particularly criticized the phrase, down with Chen Yi, which the radical liaison station to criticize Chen Yi began to write on big character posters and chant at rallies. In February 1969, Chen Yi was sentenced to hard labor in a factory along with the other Afi Chiles involved in the February adverse current. His supposed crimes, both foreign and domestic, were used to justify his removal from any position of authority. The fact that these students used domestic issues as well as the third world to disgrace Liu Xiaoqi and Chen Yi suggests that many Chinese students looked to the global revolutionary movement of the 1960s as another means to attack their enemies. Third world played a complex and contradictory role in many criticism campaigns. The passion displayed in these articles suggests that many did actually believe that Liu and Chen had hindered the third world revolution, and were disgusted by their actions. On the other hand, the THR world was co-opted by the Chinese students and used for purposes that furthered their own chaotic and violent revolution at home. Finally, the cases against Liu and Chen demonstrate the pervasive influence of the state. Afi Chiles in the CCP initiated 48, crossing borders criticisms of Liu and Chen, undictated the direction of the campaigns against these two Afi Chiles. Whether used to establish solidarity, castigate their enemies, or reinforce their own actions, what came to characterize the students' rhetorical engagement with the THR world was an overwhelming feeling of paternalism. Student newspapers often suggested that the Red Guards were solely responsible for the THR world's revolutionary education. Paternalism manifested itself in the depiction of the THR world, which was often described as fawning and eager to consume whatever it could from China. For example, a newspaper reported that one student from West Pakistan followed Chinese students around all day begging them for a book on Mao Zedong th. Paternalism also manifested itself in such a way as to suggest that Chinese students were the vanguard of the global revolution of the 1960s. One headline in a newspaper published by Beijing No. 2 Railroad Middle School Red Guard Unit, declared, We are the hope for the liberation of all mankind. 47 Another piece printed at the end of a Red Guard newspaper includes the phrase, We proletarian revolutionaries are the owners of the new world. 48 Th's paternalism, however, was not entirely the student's own doing. Such feelings of superiority were often fostered by the state. From the beginning, the Communist Party had promoted the idea that the Cultural Revolution was more important than any campaign yet undertaken by other leftist organizations.
Pronouncements from the party stressed that unlike the Soviet Union, China was one of the few countries that was moving forward with its revolutionary struggle. 49 th has furthered the idea that misguided radicals in the THR world needed to be saved from the torpor of revisionist countries. Chinese students embraced this and believed that the Cultural Revolution represented the pinnacle of global radicalism. Overall, the state's influence and the Red Guard's own feelings of revolutionary grandeur created a paternalism that often mixed with genuine feelings of solidarity between China and the THR world, and made global narratives vital to how Chinese students imaged their own movement. The savior of the THR world, projecting Maoism across national borders The THR world's role in the Cultural Revolution was multi-directional. Not only was the THR world present in the Cultural Revolution, but Chinese students and the CCP also promoted the idea that the THR world was eager to consume China's brand of revolution. THS was often facilitated by the image of Mao Zedong. During the Cultural Revolution, Mao's meaning in Chinese society embodied both national and international significance. Mao not only became a savior of the Chinese state, but also a transnational symbol of revolutionary change, one whose popularity peaked in the 1960s. THS was represented China's great proletarian cultural revolution and the imagination of the THR world, 49 in the propaganda from the cultural revolution. In many posters, the symbol of the red sun was used to demonstrate Mao's awesome presence. All of the qualities of the sun, its consistency, its power, and its place in the sky, were embodied in the figure of Mao Zedong. Like the sun itself, Mao's light did not only shine on China, it also illuminated the THR world. One propaganda poster, for example, urged Chinese students to resolutely support the anti-imperialist struggle of the Asian, African, and Latin American people. 50 THE poster itself is a montage of determined people, some of them armed, who appear to come from several different areas of the world. Behind them in the corner is a red sun, a symbolic reminder of the ubiquity of Mao Zedong. Another poster read, American imperialists, get out of South Vietnam. 51 standing right above this caption is a Vietnamese family, all armed with rifles and grenades. Again a red sun burns over their heads. TH's image of the red sun demonstrates how the propaganda from the Cultural Revolution projected Maoism across borders and promoted the idea that Mao was the leader of the global revolution of the 1960s. THE sun, however, was not limited to propaganda posters or even to Mao Zedong. Many Chinese students, in fact, describe themselves literally as the red sun at 9 o'clock in the morning. 52 th at the students saw themselves as the morning sun suggests that the Red Guards believed that the Cultural Revolution was a means to prove their revolutionary credentials and to fetter out an older generation of affied chuckles that had impeded the progress of the communist state. Such a sentiment was shared throughout the world during the 1960s and came to embody the radical spirit of the decade. For the Red Guards, once the older generation of communist leaders was gone, they would inherit not only Mao's revolution, but also the global revolution of the 1960s. In fact, 
In the article in which students called themselves the Morning Sun, they also exhorted their fellow Red Guards not to leave to others what we should do ourselves. 53 Mao's light may have stood at the center of the THR world and the Cultural Revolution, but the students presented themselves as the inheritors of the Global Revolution. During the Cultural Revolution, students suggested that the THR world was willing and eager to consume Mao's theories and ideology. DH has again manifested itself in several different student newspapers and often came in reports from THR world revolutionaries themselves. One student in Tanzania, for example, wrote a Red Guard newspaper to say that after receiving and reading THE quotations of Chairman Mao, he rushed right over to the local library and demanded that the book be included in their collection. 54 A student from Zanzibar wrote to a Red Guard publication to inform Chinese students that, in Africa, Chairman Mao's works are becoming the spiritual food of the revolutionary people. 55 Another writer from Morocco informed students that he studied Mao's work for almost two months, after which he realized that the problems of the Moroccan peasantry was the same as the problems of the Chinese peasantry. 56 Reading Mao's work was furthermore described as a revelation for many 50 crossing borders revolutionaries of the THR world. A Brazilian friend who traveled to China in 1968 claimed, for decades I have been seeking for a road that will lead Brazil to liberation. Today I have found it in China. 57 For China's students, the way that the THR world was going to realize its revolutionary aspirations was the same way that the Red Guards would ultimately triumph by using Mao Zedong THR as a weapon. A headline in one student newspaper declared that Mao Zedong THR is the beacon of the world's revolutionary people. 58 In the same article about the Moroccan revolutionary, a Syrian writer reported that he saved his money every day so that he could come to China to see Mao. The writer declared that it would be great if Chairman Mao would come to Syria. 59 Pictures were also a useful way of portraying Mao's importance in the THR world. One such picture showed a group of Latin American friends reading Mao's little red book with a caption that read, Latin American friends wholeheartedly study the treasured red book quotations of Chairman Mao Zedong. 60 Another picture captured a group of Congolese students in front of Mao's portrait with their guns raised above their heads. 61 Red Guard newspapers also suggested that Mao provided these revolutionaries with much needed encouragement during the low points of their revolution. One newspaper noted that even though revolutionaries in Angola, South Africa, and Zimbabwe have encountered numerous problems and hardships, they are still using Mao Zedong THR to arm themselves. 62 For their part, foreign diplomats, at the behest of the foreign ministry, also attempted to spread Maoist ideology. Chinese officials serving in Africa took to reciting Mao's sayings on public buses. One Chinese embassy even attempted to put up a sign affirming Mao's revolutionary superiority. 63 Jing's got so bad in Kenya that in 1967, Chinese diplomats were expelled from the country for distributing Maoist propaganda. 64 Like the movement's rhetoric, the student's transformation of Mao into a global symbol of resistance presents a muddled picture of the Cultural Revolution. In many ways, 
promoting Maoism abroad represented an authentic concern for the THR world. Students wanted to share Mao's radical message with other revolutionaries. One must also keep in mind, however, the singular position that Mao occupied in Chinese society during the Cultural Revolution. The only way that the Chinese students could assist the THR world during the Cultural Revolution was to offer them the hegemonic symbol of the Cultural Revolution. DHA simply did not have access to any alternatives. Projecting Maoism into the THR world also furthered the idea among the Red Guards that the Cultural Revolution lay at the absolute center of the global student movement, and that Maoism was its predominant ideology. Finally, Mao's transformation demonstrates that the Red Guards framed the THR world in terms of the Cultural Revolution and envisioned that the political and cultural symbols of their China's great proletarian Cultural Revolution and the imagination of the THR world, 51 movement were similarly being utilized in revolutionary movements around the world. Conclusion THR China used the THR world as a prop during the Cultural Revolution is not unique. THE THR world became a major symbol of the global student movement during the 1960s, employed in various countries and contexts as a means to promote revolution. THS was particularly true in the West, where the THR world acted as a type of inspirational model of revolution for European and American students. Although the THR world played a major role in China during the 1960s, it did not function in the same way as it did in the West. In fact, China's relationship with the THR world was inverted. Chinese students were going to inspire and educate the THR world, not vice versa. What Chinese and Western students did share, however, was a somewhat reductionist attitude toward the THR world. National realities impeded Chinese and Western understanding of the THR world. Struggles in the THR world were co-opted, distorted, and manipulated so as to feed tea into the framework of the Cultural Revolution. Many Chinese students view the THR world as a place without a true revolutionary identity, where those who were committed to radical change shared the ideals and the goals of the Cultural Revolution. Two scholars who have studied the relationship between China and the THR world have stated that the Cultural Revolution had very little to do with the THR world and that one of the goals of the Cultural Revolution was to demonstrate to foreign radicals that they could not rely on China for help. 65. While this may be true in some official circles, Red Guard newspapers indicate that the THR world played a major role in the construction of the students' identities during the Cultural Revolution. Articles detailing the THR world's reliance on China and on Mao reinforced the Red Guard's actions and expanded the implications of their movement beyond the borders of the Chinese state. By projecting national cultural symbols, namely language and Mao's image, into the global arena, the Red Guards were also able to maintain a national as well as an imagined transnational identity that imbued a sense of importance in their actions and affi remed their own revolutionary grandiosity. In order to maintain these identities, the Red Guards needed to construct a THR world whose revolutionary mission was nearly identical to the Cultural Revolution. DH has profoundly altered the students' worldview. For many Red Guard organizations, 
The 1960s was not a period in which students exercised their own freedoms and spontaneity to challenge authority and the status quo, as is often remembered in the West, but a time in which the Cultural Revolution was being repeated over and over again throughout the rest of the world. 52. Crossing Borders Sonia Rose has stated that when cultural symbols are repeated in different temporalities, they often take on new resonances and new meanings. 66 Such were certainly true during the Cultural Revolution. Th. Chinese students were promoting Mao's revolutionary ideology or criticizing imperialism during the Cultural Revolution was not novel. In fact, the cultural symbols that were used during the Cultural Revolution had appeared in several other campaigns enacted by the Communist Party. 67 What was new, however, was that the Cultural Revolution occurred during the ascendancy of the international left, not only in the THR world, but also around the globe. TH has created the appearance that what lay before the Chinese students was a revolutionary audience eager to consume Mao's radical ideology. Not only were cultural symbols repeated in a new temporality, but their meanings were also expanded and applied to a global discourse of revolution. TH has gave the cultural revolution a new significance, one that could not be contained by the borders of the Chinese state. It also reinforced the importance of the Cultural Revolution, suggesting to eager young students in China that their campaign was a movement to reshape the entire world. And although the violence and the chaos of the Cultural Revolution cannot be reduced to one cause, understanding the THR world's role in the movement offers a deeper insight into the Red Guards' mentality. THE Red Guards were, in many ways, modeling revolution for a world that seemed on the brink of radical social, cultural, and political change. In the minds of many Chinese students, victory in the Cultural Revolution would have freed the THR world and made China the ultimate revolutionary authority around the world during the decade when revolution was very much on vogue. Notes 1. Two notable exceptions are Ma Jison, The Cultural Revolution in the Foreign Ministry, Hong Kong, The Chinese University Press, 2004, and Cheng Yuhong, Xiang Shiji Shu Chu Jeming, Wenj Zaiya, Fi, Li Tiang Xin Chu Tan, Exporting Revolution to the World, Initial Research on the Influence of the Cultural Revolution in Asia, Africa and Latin America, Contemporary Chinese Studies No. 3, 2006. 2. TH's chapter is both temporally and geographically bounded. In the following pages I primarily discuss the years 1966 to 1968 when students operated with a modicum of autonomy before they were sent to the countryside. TH's study is also mostly limited to the city of Beijing, where the Cultural Revolution began and where students exerted the most influence on the movement. 3. For the purposes of this chapter and this volume, I use the term THR world as a shorthand for Asia, Africa, and Latin America, particularly those countries who were struggling against colonialism and imperialism. Although there was repeated reference to these anti-imperialist movements in China during the 1960s, the term THR world was not actually formalized into CCP doctrine until 1974, when Mao articulated his theories of the DH worlds. DH's new policy, which separated the globe into a developed, developing, 
and underdeveloped world, was precipitated China's great proletarian cultural revolution and the imagination of the THR world, 53 by the defection and death of Lin Biao and China's new policy of detente with the United States. Before the development of this theory, the THR world was seen in terms of anti-imperialism rather than economic development. The term THR world therefore rarely appeared in a Fai or Red Guard newspapers, although China's conceptualization of Asia, Africa, and Latin America aligned itself with the general understanding of anti-imperial and anti-colonial movements of the THR world in the 1960s. For a longer discussion of Mao's THRE of the THRE world, See Alexander C. Cook, THR World Maoism, in Timothy Cheek, ed. A Critical Introduction to Maoism, New York, Cambridge University Press, 2010, 296-299. 4. For examples of this, see Max Elbaum, Revolution in the Air, 60s Radicals Turn to Lenin, Mao and Che, New York. Verso, 2002, and Jeremy Varon, Bringing the War Home, THE Weather Underground, THE Red Army Faction, and Revolutionary Violence in the 60s and 70s, Berkeley, University of California Press, 2004. 5. In one of the most complete studies of the Cultural Revolution, Roderick MacFarquhar and Michael Schoenhills write that they have purposefully minimized their use of Redgar tabloids, preferring other sources that lead to a more accurate picture of the Cultural Revolution. TH's study takes the opposite approach, not necessarily because it disagrees with MacFarquhar and Schoenhills' analysis, but because it has a different purpose than their study. The goal here is to gain a better understanding of who the Red Guards were and what they were trying to accomplish during the Cultural Revolution by placing certain cultural signifiers in a global context. While this may not necessarily lead to an exact replication of the events of the Cultural Revolution, it does offer a deeper insight in the Red Guards' identity and mentality. See MacFarquhar and Schoenhills, Mao's Last Revolution, Cambridge, M.A., Harvard University Press, 2006, 481. 6. Quoted in Ma, 2004, 13. 7. Cheng, 2006. 8. Ma, 2004, 153. 9. For example, in 1967 Kiban Yu and Guan Feng, two members of the CCRG, encouraged members of the foreign ministry to break with Chen Yi and to take a more radical stance toward Burma and Mongolia. See Ma, 2004, 191. 10. The Nyaxalites in India are one example of this type of approach to the THR world. See Srimati Chakrabarti, China and the Nyaxalites, New Delhi, Radiant Books, 1990. 11. Adarni Westad, The Global Cold War, THR World Interventions and the Making of Our Time, New York, Cambridge University Press, 2005. 6. 12. George T. U., China and the THR World, Asian Survey Vol. 17, No. 11, November 1977, 1038. 13. Tech Yang Lai, An Indonesian View, 
The Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution, Jakarta, Lembaga Ilmu Penjuru in Indonesia, 1970, 14. 14. Lin Biao, Long Live the Victory of the People's War, Ren Min Rai Bao, 3 September 1965. 15. Roderick MacFarguar, The Origins of the Cultural Revolution, New York. The East Asian Institute of Columbia University, 1974, 271. 16. Charles Neuhauser, Th. World Politics, China and the Afro-Asian People's Solidarity Organization, 1957-1967, Cambridge, M.A., Harvard East Asian Monographs, 1968, 41-43. 17. IBID, 286. 54. Crossing Borders. 18. C. L. Baum, 2002. 19. Gopal Chowdhury, China and Non-Alignment, New Delhi. ABC Publishing House, 1986, 1727. 20. Barbara Barnyun and Yu Changjin, Chinese Foreign Policy During the Cultural Revolution, New York. Keegan Paul International, 1998, 71-22, there is little mention in student newspapers of the oppressive South African regime. Usually, when South African revolutionaries are mentioned, they are positioned as feeding for communism, and not necessarily to end apartheid. 24. Chedi Suu King Li Shi, Ziu Ki, Zai Gaoji Gong Dong Zong De Liu Du Zai Jing Gaoji Yu Ren Jai Hui Fanu Pai Pan He Aziuki, Wai Shi Hongki, the 17th of May 1967 in Song Yangi, Zinbian Hongwei Bing Shi Liao, Oak Tan, VA, Center for Chinese Research Materials, 2001. 11,848. 25. Mao Zuoxi Shi Shiji Ren Min Zin Zong to Hong Taiyang, Wai Shi Zan Bai A, the 9th of October. 1967. In Song, 2001, 11,890. 26. Lincoln Cushing and Ann Tompkins, Chinese Posters, Art from the Great Proletarian Revolution, Chronicle Books, San Francisco, 2007, 97. 27. Leu Yang Bryant, Music, Memory, and Nostalgia, Collective Memories of Cultural Revolution Songs in Contemporary China, The China Review Volume 5, Number 2, Fall 2005, 154. 28. Yang Keelan, Win Wada Jeming Bao Uwen, Hong Kong, Dong Feng Shubinshi, 1995. 502. 29. Statement of the Chinese Foreign Ministry on the New Developments in the Vietnam Situation, Peking Review Volume 10, Number 11, the 10th of March 1967, 12. 30. Gao Yuan, Born Red, 
A Chronicle of the Cultural Revolution, Stanford, C.A., Stanford University Press, 1987, 66. 31. Xu Guangzhou, Beijing's aid to Hanoi in the United States, China Confrontations, 1964-1968, in Priscilla Roberts, ed. Beyond the Bamboo Curtain, China, Vietnam and the World Beyond Asia, Stanford, C.A., Stanford University Press, 2006. 273. 32. IBID, 274. 33. Jianju Zai Chi Libo Ren Min Fan Ken Lu Ang Du, the 14th of June 1967, in Song, 2001, 11,860. 34. A Storm is Shaking the Backyard of U.S. Imperialism, Peking Review Volume 11, No. 42, the 18th of October 1968, 21. 35. Yao Jiai Fang, Naki Kiang, Yi Zhen Bao, the 18th of September 1967, in Song, 2001. 11,881. 36. Bar Nguyen and Yu, 1998, 71. 37, Ma, 2004, 183-188. 38, IBID, 205-207. 39, The burning of the British enemy led to the arrest of Guanfeng, Wang Li, and eventually Akiban Yu, all members of the CCRG, Guan, Feng, and Qi were each accused of being ultra-leftists. Moreover, this incident dealt a severe blow to the China's great proletarian cultural revolution and the imagination of the THR world. Fifty-five radical leftists in the CCP, many of whom shifted their course after learning of Mao's anger. See Macfarquhar and Schoenhills, 2006, 224-238. 40. IBID, 212. 41. Yao Jiai Fang, Naki Kiang, Wai Shi Zen Bai A, the 18th of September 1967, in Song, 2001. 11,881. 42. Mac Farquhar and Schoenhills, 2006, 191-197. 43. Ma, 2004, 117. 44. Chen Yi Shi, Sen Shi Yang Yi Mei, Chui Go Shuao. Wai Shi Hongqi, the 30th of June 1967, in Song, 2001, 11,864. 45, Ma, 2004, 118. 46, Mao Zuxi Shi Shiji Jemin Ren Min Zin Zong to Hong Tai Yang, Wai Shi Hongqi, the 26th of May 1967, in Song, 2001, 11,855. 47. Women Shi Ren Lei Ji Fang to Shi Wang, Women Shi Shi Wang, December 1967, in Song, 2001, 12,375. 48. Bai Ying Zhen Bao, the 1st of January 1967, in Song, 2001, 1041. 49. 
Such sentiments can be found in the Communist Party's early pronouncements, such as the 16 points and the May 16th notification. Both reinforced the impression that the Cultural Revolution was the pinnacle of revolutionary thinking during the 1960s. For more on these two pronouncements, see Macfarquhar and Schoenhill's 2006, 40, 90-94. 50. Cushing and Tompkins, 2007, 100. 51. IBID, 99. 52. Women Shi Ren Lei Ji Feng to Shi Wang, Women Shi Shi Wang, December, 1967, in Song, 2001, 12,375. 53. IBID, 12,375. One of the common themes among many students during the 1960s was the feeling that the previous generation of leaders had failed. In the THR world, this feeling often manifested itself in the sense that many leaders had not properly coped with the difficulties of post-colonial society, or that they were unsuccessful in ending colonial domination itself. In China, many students were upset about the adulteration of the communist revolution and of the potential that the students themselves may never have the opportunity to make their revolutionary mark on China. Despite the different motivations for their rebellion, what remained constant across state borders was the sense that the stultifying policies of the older generation had to be abandoned for the revolutionary fervor of the youth. 54. Jin and Mao Zedong Shi Jinping Hong, Beijing Gongxi, the 15th of September 1967 in Song, 2001, 836. 55. Mao Zuxi to Shu Shi Shiji Renman Zui Do, Dai Wai Win Wazan by A, the 5th of August. 1967, Song, 2001, 4227. 56. Mao Zuxi Shi Shiji Jemin Renman Zin Zong to Hong Tai Yang, Wai Shi Hong Ki, the 5th of May 1967 in Song, 2001, 11855. 57. The Asian, African and Latin American revolutions must take the road of the Chinese Revolution and win victory. Peking Review Volume 10, Number 46, the 10th of November 1967. 34. 58. Mao Zedong Sixian Shi Shiji to Dangta, Dai Wai Mao Oyi, the 14th of June. 1966. In Song, 2001, 4186. 59. Mao Zhuxi Shi Shiji Jemin Renmin Zin Zong to Hong Tai Yang, Wai Shi Hong Ki, the 5th of May 1967. In Song, 2001, 11855. 56. Crossing Borders. 60. Peking Review, the 12th of April 1968, 18. 61. Peking Review Volume 11, Number 19, the 10th of May 1968, 16. 62. Mao Zedong Sixiang Shi Quan Shiji Jiaming Rimin to Zilu Mingdang, Dai Wai Mao Oyi, the 21st of July 1966 in Song, 2001, 4209. 63. Yan Wei and Gao Gao 
Turbulent Decade, A History of the Cultural Revolution, Honolulu, University of Hawaii Press, 1996, 74. 64, Ma, 2004, 167. 65, Lillian Craig Harris and Robert L. Warden, China's TH Heard World Role in Craig Harris and Warden, EDS. China and the TH Heard World. Champion or Challenger, Dover, M.A., Auburn House Publishing Company, 1986, 3. 66. Sonny Rose, Cultural Analysis in Moral Discourses, in Lynn Hunt and Victoria Bonnell, eds. Beyond the Cultural Turn, New Directions in the Study of Society and Culture, Berkeley, University of California Press, 1999, 229. 67. In fact, the cult of Mao was employed during the Socialist Education Plan in the 1960s. Despite the ferocity with which the students worshipped Mao, the Cultural Revolution was not the FRST campaign in which his image played a major role. See Maurice Meisner, Mao's China and After, A History of the People's Republic, New York, THE Free Press, 1986. 295. Chapter 3 Politics and Periodicals in the 1960s Readings around the Nixalite Movement Avishat Ganguly A study of 1968 and the THR world can proceed in at least two directions. First, through a literal attempt to trace the different protest movements that happened around the THR world during the course of that year, taking the events in France, and perhaps the United States, as the implicit model that seeks to produce 1968 as a valorized historical marker in the VRST place. Such a heuristic, however, can raise questions about its widespread relevance and applicability, not the least of which is due to the fact that the year of global crisis halfway between the end of World War II and the end of the Cold War has yet to establish a solid position in contemporary history. One a second, somewhat less literal attempt on the other hand can theorize 1968 only as a synecdoch, a rhetorical figure that may be understood as a placeholder for all the diverse social and political movements taking place around that time throughout the world. However, the post-World War II years witnessed long and continuous histories of protest movements in the THR world, often in the form of anti-colonial struggles against various European powers, that were taking place prior to 1968 or even the 1960s. At the risk of going against the grain of this volume, it might be then possible to argue that a Euro-American 1968 probably needs to organize a DHR world in order to claim a global relevance for itself. Recent arguments about the specifical European provenance, leaving out even North America of the events of that year on the one hand, and the absence of too many studies on the non-Western careers of 1968 on the other would also seem to support this view. To nevertheless, a synecdochal reading that problematizes the privileging of 1968 as a singular marker within a seemingly continuous narrative of protest and social movements can also productively supplement our understanding of the DHR world ISM specify C to the 1960s movements that currently derives from two prominent moments of revolution in Asia, the Cultural Revolution in China and the war in Vietnam. In place of a singular anosmerabilis, then, 
I would like to propose the long 1960s. 3. I would argue for an understanding of the diversified antiquity and discursive construction of 1968 in terms of the 1960s that will hopefully open up interesting comparativist perspectives that go 58, crossing borders beyond simplistic models of influences and connections. My attempt is to move beyond the critical conundrum of either accusing the temporal category of 1968 of being Eurocentric and therefore a false universal or excusing its European provincialism from a corresponding nativist impulse that might unproblematically claim the THR world, China, Vietnam, for its beginnings, in the VRST section of the essay, I will explore the origins of the radical Naxalite movement in India that had peaked between 1967 and 1972 in order to stage the complex articulation of such protests at four in the second section. I will use the occasion of the Nuxalite movement and related larger political developments to segue into a brief discussion of a remarkable yet relatively understudied textual archive of the 1960s in India, a group of influential English-language periodicals that started appearing between the years 1959 and 1968, Seminar, Economic and Political Weekly, mainstream and frontier, emerging as the preeminent forum for debates and discussion about politics, society, and economics within national and international contexts. A comprehensive study of the influence of these periodicals on informed debate and decision-making in the post-independence Indian polity and public, all of which continue to be published even if some have lost their erstwhile prestige and circulation figures falls outside the scope of this essay.5 I will therefore focus specifically on Frontier, the Calcutta-based weekly, since it had the most sustained engagement with the Nuxalite movement in particular, and developments in international left politics in general. THE Politics THE Nuxalite Movement THE Beginnings of the Nuxalite Movement can be traced to the outbreak of armed resistance by a group of peasants, tribals, and local communist revolutionaries at Nuxalbari, a village near Darjeeling in northern Bengal, from which the movement took its name on 24-25 May 1967. THR protest was aimed most immediately at the local oppressive landlord police nexus, and by extension, as sympathetic accounts have argued, at the post-colonial bourgeois Indian state and its systemic structures of inequality and repression. 6 THE Nuxalite movement, like many other social protests of the 1960s, appeared to be a spontaneous, popular uprising. However, unlike many of these movements, it had largely institutional beginnings insofar as it took its place within the history of communist parties and politics in India. In order to develop an understanding of the origins, if not the spread, of the protests it is therefore instructive to revisit the ideological milieu that had incubated the movement. THE Nyaxalites, as the adherents of this radical politics came to be known, strained loyalties within the two existing communist parties in India, the Communist Party of India, CPI and the CPI Marxist, or CPI-M and precipitated a second decisive split to form the CPI, Marxist-Leninist, or CPI, 
ML, politics and periodicals in the 1960s, 59 the party most closely identified with their cause. The split mirrored the erstwhile Sino-Soviet dispute and international communism that led to a realignment of communist parties in politics in most places. Ideological tension within the CPI, the FRST and undivided Communist Party of India formed in the 1920s, had already become evident during the Indochina conflict in 1962. Differences about the characterization of the stage of the Indian Revolution and the problems of taking a unified stand on the China-Soviet Union confrontation eventually triggered its FRST split between the pro-Soviet CPI and the pro-China CPI in 1964. In spite of the split, a common element of the tactical lines of both the parties, however, retained the emphasis on peaceful means for achieving either a national democratic revolution or a people's democracy in the country, a stance that would eventually constitute a rift between the more radical pro-militancy factions, the future sympathizers of the Nuxalite movement, and the rest of the party. The newly formed CPIM, however, soon started distancing itself from the Chinese line in international communism following certain disagreeable actions including the latter's support for Pakistan during the Indo-Pakistan conflict in 1965 and along with the CPI, also decided to participate in the West Bengal State Legislative Assembly elections in February. 1967, TH's move constituted a second strategic point of difference with the political methods of the Nyaxalids who advocated seizure of power through an armed agrarian revolution, addressing the extreme agrarian inequality present in most parts of the region. The CPIM had campaigned on the promise of major land reforms benefiting landless peasants and sharecroppers famously using slogans like, Land to the Tiller. However, since no party had a clear majority in the 1967 election, a coalition, United Front government was formed and led by a chief minister who belonged to the other constituent party, the short-lived Bangla Congress but heavily backed by the CPIM. The Minister for Land Revenue in the new government, Herr Krishna Koner, a member of the CPIM, immediately made an announcement toward making good on the party's electoral promise of redistributing surplus land and ending the eviction of sharecroppers. Newly empowered by their party coming to power, CPIM cadres and activists enthusiastically carried on with the task of organizing the peasantry in many districts of the state, preparing them to take back the ownership of huge tracts of agricultural land often illegally maintained by big landlords and to which the latter believed they had a rightful claim. On the other hand, newly entrusted with the responsibility of governing within a parliamentary process, the party leadership quickly realized the difficulty of overcoming legal and bureaucratic constraints in the way of such large-scale land redistribution, and started betraying signs of going back on the air electoral promise. TH's move, perceived as an action and ideological compromise, sparked off widespread disillusionment among the party members. Revisiting the gestures of the earlier split within the communists, the more radical members within the CPIM gradually started gravitating towards 60, 
crossing borders prominent dissidents like Jaru Mazumdar, who openly criticized the party's revisionist tendencies while simultaneously advocating a strategy of seizure of state power through armed struggle modeled on the revolutionary ideas of Mao Zedong.7 Mao's approval of Lin Baiye's call for a people's war based on guerrilla tactics and rural bases in the THR world. During the 11th plenary session of the Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party in August 1966 probably served as the most immediate precedent for making such an argument. ATH's political tendency of dissident Indian communists acquires further significance within the larger history of a global reception of Maoist thought at the height of the Cultural Revolution in China. Nine, in keeping with the professed aims of the CPI, M. Mazumdar, along with some like minded dissident leaders of the party's Darjeeling District Committee, like Kanu Sanyal and Jen Galsantal, had been active in organizing the local peasantry since the late 1950s and this mobilization had already attained a new level of organization and militancy when it was programmatically linked with the struggles of tea plantation workers in the neighboring gardens. Ten emboldened by the new developments, Mazumdar and his cohorts now led the peasants and tribals, armed with not much more than bows and arrows, to occupy and symbolically establish their claim over small tracts of land that were owned, illegally in the eyes of the peasants, by local Jotars landlords. Point one one. A series of such low-intensity incidents happened between March and May 1967, while both the strength of the peasant resistance and the consequent police reprisal in aid of the landlords became more intensified. The decisive confrontation came on the 25th of May, when, following the ambush and death of a local police inspector on the previous day. A huge police contingent clashed with a large group of armed tribals and peasants resulting in the death of some tribal Santal women and children, among others, and sparking off an insurgency that would continue for several weeks. The longer build-up and grassroots constituency of the FRST moment of the Nuxalite movement, and its overtly violent confrontation with state power, characteristics shared by some other THR world protest movements as well, thus gives it a character of a full F-alleged social revolt, which then complicates the dominant narrative of 1968 as a series of spontaneous, urban, youth-based protests around the world. The deployment of a massive police and paramilitary force enabled the government authorities to successfully quell the uprising in the Nuxalbari region by August 1967 resulting in large-scale arrests and surrenders. However, it was scarcely anticipated at that time that the collapse of what was clearly the FRST stage of a militant movement would soon give rise to a series of similar violent confrontations not only in different parts of the state of West Bengal, but also in many other parts of the country. By November 1967, the Nyaxalites, as they had come to be known by then, had already established two periodicals to articulate their views, Dislibrati, a Bengali weekly, and Liberation, a monthly English politics and periodicals in the 1960s. 61 publication, they had also formed an All India Coordination Committee of Communist Revolutionaries, AICCCR, to channelize increasing dissent from pro-Nuxalite 
Maoist members within CPIM party units all over the country. One such prominent dissenting faction outside West Bengal was formed in Andhra Pradesh under the leadership of Tinagi Reddy, who led a mass exodus of radicalized members from the state CPIM party unit to form their own coordination committee that briefly became a part of the AICCCR. THEAICCCR eventually broke with the party in 1968, and a formal announcement of the formation of India's third communist party, the CPI, Marxist-Leninist, was made on the 22nd of April 1969. Factionalism seemed to plague the new party from inception as well. The Andhra Pradesh group, for instance, separated within a few months over differences about the correct strategic line to be pursued for the success of the Indian Revolution. But the CPI, ML, emerged as the Communist Party most closely affiliated with the Naxalite movement as it took its course in the following years. At its peak, the movement enjoyed widespread support among students and youth not only in West Bengal but also in Bihar, Andhra Pradesh, Orissa, Punjab and some other states, only to degenerate into a campaign of unorganized violence that called forth severe repressive measures from the state. By the mid-1970s, the Naxalite movement that had started in the foothills of northern Bengal and spread to college campuses in Calcutta and Delhi was more or less over. One two, a unique aspect of the Naxalite movement was that it was constituted by the mobilization of sections of the autochthonous peoples in the region, mostly Sandals and Arans, but also ethnic minorities like Rajbangshis, as Sumanta Banerjee, author of one of the better-known accounts of the movement observes in an article in Frontier. The Naxalbari movement has also rescued from the abyss of oblivion and negligence another aspect of our SOCIO economic life, the fate of the tribal population, and has drawn attention to their revolutionary potential, the primitive custom of bonded labor is still a practice among them. As pointed out earlier the question of organizing the landless has been neglected so long. The tribals who form a major part of them naturally shared the same neglect. One three, whether understood as an extension of a rural-based Asian revolution argued by Mao Zedong Thr as opposed to an urban proletariat-based European model, or as a direct contrast with the solidarity between students and intellectuals observed on the streets of cities elsewhere in the world. The participation of autochthonous peoples with histories of older and deeper struggles into this protest formation can provoke new ways of thinking about the category of the collective subject of these social movements. 62. Crossing Borders The Periodicals Frontier I have deliberately restricted the discussion of the Nuxalite movement to what can be termed its ideological rather than material or social origin so far in this chapter. I will now attempt to explore some of the concrete sites where these ideological discussions could materialize by focusing on a significant although understudied development. The emergence, within a decade, 1959-1968, of a set of English-language journals in India that came to exert a shaping influence on academic and informed discourse on contemporary issues. One four seminar founded by Raj and Ramesh T. H. Upper in 1959 in Bombay, and later started coming out from New Delhi, as was mainstream, edited and published by Nikhil Chakravarti since 1962. 
Economic and Political Weekly, EPW, formerly Economic Weekly, started appearing from Bombay in 1966 with Sachin Chowdhury as its editor. And Frontier, founded in 1968 by Samer Sen in Kolkata, the youngest entrant to this remarkable cohort of periodicals.15. All of them had similar aims of building vital connections between academia and the broader reading public while producing superior analytical journalism, but each maintained its unique style and organizational format. For instance, longer, analytical articles would more often fend their place on EPW in seminar, with the latter planning every monthly issue around opposing viewpoints and approaching a problem, while mainstream and frontier opted for a combination of strong editorials and opinion pieces on contemporary affairs. THE's periodicals appeared at a time in the history of newly independent India when the post-colonial state was grappling with a host of issues critical to its survival like modernization and development on the one hand and nascent separatist movements on the other. Taken together, they also presented, and this is most relevant to our purpose in this essay, a discursive site for discussing and debating a theoretically informed and globally situated left critique of the Indian left. Topics of international relevance, from the politics of the Cold War and non-alignment to the rise of the new left and nuclear non-proliferation, were also vigorously discussed and meticulously analyzed in the pages of these publications. All of these periodicals were interested in the changing configurations of left politics in India and abroad, however, it can be argued that Frontier, perhaps due to the proximity of Calcutta to the events in Naxalbari, devoted more editorial attention to discussions of the Naxalite movement than its peer publications. In my reading of these extensive reports, debates, and discussions in the pages of the early issues of Frontier, 1968-1972, I attempt to locate an important and influential discourse on the imagination of a global and THR world 1960s. THEFRST issue of Frontier was published on the 1st of April 1968, less than a year after the uprising at Naxalbari, and only a month before the events of May 68 in France. It was founded, with the initial monetary help of friends and admirers by Samer Sen, a noted Bengali poet, intellectual, journalist, and translator. Sen had started Frontier after losing his job at Now, another weekly and arguably politics and periodicals in the 1960s, 63 the predecessor of Frontier that had been thriving during his tenure as editor but where he was accused of being overtly leftist. Like Sen, the founding editors of all the other journals were prominent journalists if not public intellectuals in their own right, and have become legendary figures in contemporary Indian magazine publishing, not the least for variously standing up against the curbs on the freedom of press imposed by the emergency declared by Prime Minister Indira Gandhi from 1975-1977. All of them had leftist political sympathies, but found themselves at different stages of disillusionment with the official communist parties in India when they started their publications. Between themselves, Raj and Ramesh Th. Upper Seminar, Sachin Chowdhury, Economic Weekly, later EPW, Nikhil Chakravarti, Mainstream, and, of course, Samer Sen, Frontier, also mentor generations of scholars, intellectuals, 
and journalists by opening up the pages of their journals for publishing their initial research and findings. Sen continued to edit the weekly till his death in 1987, after which the work was taken over by Timir Basu. Given its self-positioning as a leftist critique of the left, Frontier was enthusiastic about the revolutionary developments at Naxalbari and critical of the police repression unleashed by the state. The Naxalite leadership, however, was initially skeptical of Frontier's editorial positions mostly due to the latter's support of the CPIM in the state assembly elections in 1969, and its critique of the movement's rhetorical and practical excesses. Adversity, however, brought them closer when, after the government ban on Nuxalite publications like Dishabradi and Liberation, Frontier offered a sympathetic forum for keeping the discussion alive and the communication going between the scattered leadership and its followers. Several pages in every issue of Frontier were devoted to analyzes of the ongoing debates within Indian and international left politics, some of which I have outlined above, but May 68 proved to be an editorial windfall for initiating a discussion of contemporary global protest movements. Observations and commentary from Frontier correspondents in France and the United States published during those years provide an interesting glimpse of the internationalist imagination of a global 60s at work in the pages of the weekly. I provide below an extended quote from a piece entitled, Letter from France, Nixalot International, written by Ashok Rudra, a regular contributor, in order to illustrate this better. What is happening in Calcutta and elsewhere in India by way of attacks on apparently trivial or meaningless targets by extremist youths is no isolated phenomenon. A wind is blowing all the world over, at least in all parts of the world outside Eastern Europe, where alone conformism reigns supreme. Everywhere else in the world increasing numbers of young people are not only rejecting the values of their elders, which include not only the institutions of the state but also institutions of the traditional left parties, but are also paying heavier and heavier prices. 64. Crossing borders ruining their studies, their careers, and clashing more and more often with the forces of law and order resulting in deaths and injuries. TH's phenomenon has been there with us for the last four or five years, with West German students feeding the police over Vietnam, with American youth marching onto the White House, keeping a nervous President Nixon awake a whole night, with this anti-imperialist movement of American youth getting more and more militant by its tactical alliance with the anti-racialist struggle of the American Negroes, with students of even the state British universities resorting to the unprecedented action of taking over universities under the leadership of extremist leaders. Above all, with the revolution in France in May 1968, which started with students taking over universities and developed into young workers taking over factories, and the general strike paralyzing the whole country. 16The argument that a proper understanding of the extremist protests by young people in India can be best understood only if it is considered in a comparative context that takes on board the French, the German, and the American contexts becomes evident in the author's discussion of the state's responses as well. Th's phenomenon has been with us for some time. But what is new in these countries is the adoption by the extremists of a tactic of what is being called urban guerrillas. In France the practitioner of this form of warfare are called less casers. 
The breakers. The news these breakers have been making red exactly like those one has been reading about the Nuxalite rampages in Calcutta. The news the upholders of law and order are making in France also read exactly the same as in India. THOs who are forging special laws for West Bengal to allow preventive detention could have learned a few lessons by studying the type of anti cassar legislation the French government has been preparing.17 since armed resistance had rarely been a feature of social protests in post-World War II Western Europe and North America until groups like the German Biedermeinhof Gang or Red Army Faction and the Weathermen in the United States were formed in the 1960s. The debates on the legitimacy of violence as a means of revolution had mostly remained marginal to their domestic political discourse. In contrast, social movements in the THR world before, during, and beyond the 1960s have often been characterized by armed struggle. A study of the THR world careers of 1968 will necessarily need to engage with this significant development. THE's concerns were being formulated even as the events were unfolding, as evidenced by the following extract from Armed Struggle in America, an article on the Black Panthers and the Weathermen published in the Frontier Issue dated 5 December 1970, Politics and Periodicals in the 1960s, 65 by and large Western leftists have viewed armed struggle rather benevolently and patronizingly as the revolutionary tool of the oppressed colonies, but armed struggle in the oppressor mother country has always been viewed from the safe distance of a lyrical romanticism. As the prospects of armed revolution in the THR world developed in the last decade, all that the white Western left was prepared for, ideologically and practically, was to stand on the sidelines and cheer, sounding even militant at times. The most pathetic unfolding of this theme was the spectacle during the May Revolt in France, when the tottering bourgeoisie summoned and received the aid of the old left to re-establish the power of a bankrupt capitalist regime. Today, in the U.S. there are signs that the ideological and political groundwork is being laid for armed struggle, for the VRST time in an advanced capitalist country. In an interesting negotiation between the global and the local, most of these frontier articles reporting on and analyzing revolutionary situations in other countries would often end with a section that would elaborate its relevance to India. For instance, a review of Warwick University Limited, edited by left-wing historian E.P.D.H. Omsun, Penguin. 1970, a book that chronicled the controversial issue of secret political philas on leftist students and staff being maintained by the university that was revealed during a student occupation of university buildings, asks at the end, how does all this relate to Indian universities and students, and provides an answer as follows, our universities are supposedly modeled after the British pattern. Definitely there are significant differences in the subjective conditions prevailing in India. University education is less guarded by liberal tenets and more prone to open identify cation with the ruling class structure. Here, mere academic exposes will not be enough. Students are required to stimulate direct action not to expose but to demolish. A series of books that had been published during the 1960s and variously commented on the ongoing or recently concluded protest movements all around the world were discussed in the well-known book review section of Frontier.
Some of the titles reviewed included Obsolete Communism, THE Left-Wing Alternative by Daniel Cohen-Bendit and Gabriel Cohen-Bendit, Intellectual Origins of American Radicalism by Strauden Lind, New York, 1968, Confrontation, Student Revolt in THE Universities by Daniel Bell and Irving Crystal, New York, 1969, Long March, Short Spring, THE Student Uprising at Home and Abroad by Barbara Ehrenreich and John Ehrenreich, New York, 1969, and so on. DHE following extract from the review of obsolete communism also reveals the comparative approach that was espoused by THR world commentators on the THR world revolutionary situation. 66. Crossing Borders Cohen Bendit's criticism and condemnation of the French Communist Party and his search for the roots of its betrayal in the history of the Bolshevik Party of the Soviet Union are important especially for those of us in India who are shocked and stupefied by the spectacle of EMS Nambudaripad using the hated and ill-reputed Malabar police to hunt down Ajitha and her comrades and trying them as criminals for attacking some police outposts, and Jyoti Basu launching a police campaign to disarm the Nyaxalits.18 Contemporary discussions of torture, prisoner abuse and human rights violations have a disturbing prehistory in the 1960s when these methods were systematically implemented both in colonial situations like Algeria and post-colonial countries like India. Ranajit Yahas, On Torture and Culture, published in Frontier, the 23rd of January 1971, straddles Fanon and Frontier in an attempt to drive home a central argument about the problem of when a regime takes to the use of torture as a part of its normal routine of political pacification, the state's response to the Nuxalite movement being the immediate referent, it must end up by producing a high incidence of mental disorder both among the torturers and the tortured. What I have attempted to do in this essay is to introduce an alternative archive from the DHR world into the study of the global 1960s. I have restricted myself to a brief reception history of only one significant journal, which should, however, take its place in a larger reception history of all these publications. It would also enable a new insight into the 1960s, this time as a point of departure for a history of contemporary print and magazine publishing in India, and perhaps even the THR world. My reading of the ideological origins of the Nuxalite movement and the larger discursive formation of which it was arguably a part seeks to pluralize ways of thinking about the events of the 1960s, and also complicate a straightforward narrative of influences and connections on the west-northeast-south geopolitical axes. It can perhaps be argued that journals like Talcool and France have performed similar functions at the peak of their influence in authoring creative literary responses to sociopolitical events taking place around them. However, the dominant imagination of the global and the transnational that is necessarily rooted through the West often remains undisturbed on such a reading. In reading the textual archive of Frontier and its sister periodicals, this chapter attempts to imagine the DHR world imagining the global 60s. As I have tried to show with the diverse examples from the pages of Frontier, this imagination of the global by and in the THR world is characterized by a comparativist approach already existing in that moment, 
which I submit, can productively supplement the histories of really existing networks of solidarity between the different protest movements all over the world. Politics and periodicals in the 1960s. 67 Notes 1. Carol Fink, Philip Gassard, Undead Left Junger, EDS. 1968, THE World Transformed, Cambridge and New York, Cambridge University Press. 1998, 1. 2. For an argument about why even a transnational study of 1968 should confine itself to the boundaries of Europe, see Gerd Renner Horn and Padraig Kenny, eds. Transnational Moments of Change. Europe 1945, 1968, 1989, Lenham, M.D., Roman and Little F.I.L., 2004, especially, Introduction, Approaches to the Transnational. 3. The long 1960s as a category for studying that influential decade has already been theorized, most notably by Frederick Jameson in his essay, Variodizing the 60s in Samusayers et al. eds. The 60s without apologies, Minneapolis, University of Minnesota Press. 1984-178-209. It is also mobilized in their respective accounts of the decade written by Arthur Marwick, THE60s, Cultural Revolution in Britain, France, Italy, and the United States, C.1958-C.1974, Oxford and New York, Oxford University Press. 1998 on Gerd Renner Horn, THE Spirit of 68, Rebellion in Western Europe and North America, 1956-1976, Oxford and New York, Oxford University Press, 2007. While Marwick and Horn have used the long 60s as a temporal category to include the prehistory and aftermath of the protest movements in Western Europe and North America, my usage here has a slightly different purpose, as I attempt to show in the rest of the chapter, for any understanding of a global 60s, 1968 to be meaningful and relevant, we will need to extend the spatial reach, the geography of the protest movements beyond Euro-America, to places where the presence of longer and continuing struggles might outweigh the uniqueness of a single year of far away, miraculous events. 4. My usage in this essay follows the established convention of referring to the movement by different names like the Nuxalbari movement, the Nuxalite movement, etc. 5. As part of a history of print and magazine publishing in post-independence India, I am beginning to work on a larger, more detailed study of the reception and influence of these periodicals. 6. See, for instance, Sumanta Banerjee, in the wake of Nuxalbari, Kakata, Sabarnarika, 1980. 7. By some accounts, the events of the communist-led armed peasant rebellion in Telangana, in the erstwhile princely state of Hyderabad in southern India in 1946-1951, was the earliest example of the application of Maoist revolutionary strategies and even predated the final victory of Maoism in China itself, thereby leaving a precedent in Indian Maoism. 8. For Lin Bai's thesis, see, Long Live the Victory of People's War. 
Peking Review Volume 3, September 1965. T.H.E. Nuxalbari Uprising also received immediate recognition from the Chinese Communist Party, with the latter hailing them as the truly revolutionary faction in India. T.H.E. message was put out through Peking radio broadcasts and editorials in the People's Daily and Peking Review. See, for example, Peking Review Volume 29, the 14th of July 1967, Peking Review Volume 33, the 11th of August 1967, and Peking Review Volume 39, the 22nd of September 1967. 9. For a study of the global spread of Maoist thought during the 60s, C.R.F. Derlich, Paul Healy, and Nick Knight, E.D.S. Critical Perspectives on Mao Zedong's THR, Atlantic Highlands, N.J. Humanities Press, 1997. 68. Crossing Borders. 10. Partha Chatterjee, T.H.E. Present History of West Bengal, Delhi, Oxford University Press, 1997. 87. 11. Although there is an ongoing debate on their proper self-identification, tribals is still the accepted usage in India for the country's huge indigenous autochthonous population. 12. Nixalite militancy has recently been on the rise in many states in India, particularly those with significant tribal populations, prompting the government to identify it as a major domestic, terrorist threat to law and order. 13. Sumanta Banerjee, Naxalbari. Between yesterday and tomorrow, 2. Frontier, 24 May 1969, 10. 14. It should be noted here that I am not looking at the literature published by the Nuxalite groups themselves since it generally functioned as little more than the programmatic, official mouthpiece of the party. The's periodicals, in contrast, were not affiliated to any political party and had a larger, national circulation and influence. 15. I was unable to locate any systematic history of these periodicals except for isolated reminiscences that were mostly published on the occasions of commemorative anniversary issues. 16. Ashok Rudra, Letter from France, Nixalite International, Frontier, the 13th of June 1970, 7-8. 17, Ibid. 18, Ashok Rudra, T.H.E. Anti-Leader, Frontier, the 14th of June 1969, 1416, Daniel Cohen-Bendit, Gabriel Cohen-Bendit, and Andre Deutsch, E.D.S. Review of Obsolete Communism. DHE Left Wing Alternative. Chapter 4 Liberation Struggle and Humanitarian Aid International Solidarity Movements in the DHR World in the 1960s Conrad J. Kuhn THE War in 1968 between Nigeria and its secessionist province Biafra and the start of the construction of a gigantic hydroelectric dam on the Zambezi River in 1969 in the Portuguese East African colony had extraordinary resonance beyond the country's borders and generated a wide range of transnational solidarity efforts and humanitarian aid engagement in Europe and North America. Both events in the southern 
hemisphere allow a close look at the ideological and physical connections and transfers between protest movements in the North and liberation movements in Africa. The severe famine in Biafra due to the ongoing war evoked the largest humanitarian aid action since the Second World War and the VRST in the THR world. The images of children dying of hunger were the stimulus for a broad range of people to become engaged with THR world issues for the VRST time. It was therefore a key event for mobilizing protest groups, humanitarian aid workers and thousands of donors. For the churches and their aid agencies, Biafra was a turning point with strong implications for future humanitarian aid work. Although Biafra as an African conflict had many political interlinkages, these issues were not widely discussed. Nevertheless, Biafra emphasized the broader public consciousness of decolonization and THR world issues raised by collective actors beyond formal politics. The Kabora Basadam, on the other hand, represented much more than a hydroelectric power plant in a remote, underdeveloped area of northern Mozambique. The Dam allowed the protest groups to denounce the involvement of major European corporations, revealing the support of colonial power in Africa and the apartheid policy in southern Africa. DHS. The dam bridged the different contexts and connected the liberation movements in Africa with emerging solidarity movements in West Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Sweden, Italy, and Great Britain. Furthermore, as an ideal symbol or the denunciation of injustice, Kabor Abbasi served as a linking element for political students and 70 crossing borders church actors. With both Biafra and Kedorabasa it became obvious for solidarity movement activists that humanitarian approaches to solidarity were not sufficient. Rather, for equitable development, the influence of corporations and European governments and the support and stability given to colonial rulers through the industrialized nations had to be criticized. In this way Biafra and Kabarabasa led to important transnational actions of solidarity, but they are rarely mentioned in existing literature. In the VRST part of this chapter, I will give a brief overview of the phenomena and the history of solidarity movements regarding issues of the THR world. Second, I will show how Biafra functioned as a formative event for a new kind of humanitarian aid that strongly shaped the view of the aid receiving. THR world within Western societies. THR, I will use as an example the actions against the Kabora Basadam to look at the transnational dimension of protest activities and the reciprocal references and implications of this formation of solidarity. I will generally argue that the discussion of issues regarding the inequitable relationships between the THR world and Europe is part of a general search for new forms of politics by the movements around 1968 that northern protest and southern topics were closely related to each other and that, in this way, 1968 as a global phenomenon opened windows for agency and opportunity for actors from the THR world that had not existed before. Solidarity Movements An attempt at an overview THE critical issue of injustice in the world and of solidarity with the people of the so-called THR world was raised by the student protest movements in the late 1960s in Europe and the US, with their commitment to international solidarity, anti-colonialism, and anti-imperialism. Conditions in the Southern Hemisphere and their wars of independence interested, inspired, 
and radicalized movement activists. At the same time, the earlier engagement of church actors and missionaries for the people in former colonies in Latin America, Africa, and Asia changed from an apolitical and paternalistic approach to foreign development aid into an attitude of solidarity with the peoples of the th third world. One the student groups formed heterogeneous and various solidarity movements, together with activists from the peace movement and from critical theology circles. Intellectuals and theorists from the THR world were well received in these new groups and their texts were studiously read. THE armed struggles of liberation movements were taken as inspiration for general resistance against the capitalist system, not only by members of radical leftist groups but also by the newly emerging broad student and church solidarity groups. THE church itself was increasingly concerned with political ethical issues through the ecumenical conferences in Geneva. 1966 and Uppsala, 1968 and the Pontifical Development Encyclical, Populorum Progressio in 1967. Development thus became a priority issue in liberation struggle and humanitarian aid. 71 The Church and was understood as a means for structural changes with the target of social justice and social liberation. For this the Church's influence by liberation theology were an important foundation for the formation of solidarity movements. THE's new development policy and solidarity groups, characterized by dependency of theoretical analysis, demanded structural changes in the relationships between the rich North and the poor South, and therefore viewed existing development aid critically. THE's new actors in Europe and North America encountered the world universally and retained equality, freedom from hunger, and oppression as motives for their engagement. Via publicity campaigns in northern countries, they attempted to create an awareness for the problems of the THR world. National protagonists in sectors such as banking, international trade, consumer policy, and cultural relations were confronted with intense scrutiny and publicly articulated critique with Biafra and Cabarabasa as two early campaigns. TH roughed the demands of the social awakening of the 1960s for a new definite ion of solidarity. Development aid policy became a contentious transnational field of discussion that occupied a considerable segment of the European and the North American public. Famine and airlift in Biafra Humanitarian aid in the DHR world after the Declaration of Independence in Nigeria, severe internal conflicts resulted in a military coup in July 1967, and the secession of the eastern provinces, known as BIFRA.2 The outbreak of violent and brutal civil war was conducted with cruelty resulting in countless casualties among the civilian population. THE reasons for the war included the economic interests in rich oil wells in the delta of the Niger River as well as the ethnic frictions that had been kept in check during British colonial rule. THE Ibos, traditionally resident in the Bifa region and Christianized early on by British and Irish missionaries, were favored by the colonial administration, which caused the envy of the Hossas and the Yorubas. The Ibos had hardly any influence in the newly emerging state after the independence of Nigeria in 1960. The encirclement of secessionist Bifur in a landlocked circle of rainforest surrounded by Nigerian troops caused a severe famine, affecting mainly children.
Nigeria used this blockade policy and thus starvation as a weapon of war to defeat Biafra. THR had long been almost no information on the ongoing catastrophe available to the world public, while Biafra gained only minimal support from governments of other states. On the other hand, Great Britain and the Soviet Union provided arms as well as military and diplomatic support to Nigeria. Three in the spring of 1968, the International Committee of the Red Cross, ICRC, and a number of Christian churches sounded the alarm, which did not awaken public interest. It was only when images of children dying of STARVA 72, crossing borders shin were increasingly shown in print and especially on television during the summer that interest in Western Europe and North America increased. Strong emotions were evoked and the desperate FGHT for survival of the locked in Republic of Biafra stirred up public opinion and had an extraordinary impact on the mobilization of donations in solidarity. THE images showed starving children reduced to walking skeletons with distended bellies and faded hair due to undernourishment. Estimates on the body count are around 2 million. THE militarily defeated leadership of Biafra soon began to distribute these images of famine caused by the blockade internationally. It hired the advertising agency Mark Press in Geneva, which waged Biafra's war and press releases on arms deliveries designed to embarrass European governments with stark warnings about starvation. THE advertising agency also arranged FL It's to Biafra for newsmen from Western Europe and North America, who provided eyewitness reports in their publications. Five soon churches as well as the ICRC were engaged in transportation of relief material and food aid to Biafra, which resulted in the establishment of an airlift with regular FL It's from Sao Tome. Six THE Catholic Caritas organizations were working closely together with Protestant human humanitarian organizations and the World Council of Churches. In October 1968, the Ecumenical Joint Church Aid was founded by 33 church aid organizations from 21 countries as an ad hoc coordination for humanitarian aid in Biafra. By December 1969 it had transported over 57,000 tons of aid material on 5,310 FL to Biafra, while the ICRC airlifted 22,000 tons, mostly food aid in the form of stock VSH, milk powder, and FLR. Besides the enormous amount of donations there were several governments contributing for airlift support. The United States provided $57 million, West Germany $10 million, Great Britain $5 million, the Netherlands $5.3 million, Switzerland $4.5 million, and Canada $2.8 million. Seven Biafra was for all involved organizations the largest humanitarian aid action since the end of the Second World War. THE war in Biafra strongly influenced public opinion in Western countries. In the view of one West German diplomat, even more than the Vietnam War or the Soviet invasion in Prague, neither Vietnam nor the events in Czechoslovakia have moved people so strongly as the starvation of the Ibos. Eight An additional factor for this intense solidarity can be found in the Christianity of the secessionist Biafrans, the Ibos. Church aid agencies did not shy away from discriminatory and racist calls for donations characterized by elements of a religious war, recreating the colonial favor of the Ibos, as the example of Swiss Catholic aid agency Caritas clearly shows. 
THEI bows are characterized by their intelligence, energy and efficiency, while the mostly Muslim Hossas are not capable of the same achievements. THS Jealousy leads in Africa to war and murder, especially because 60% of the Ibos are Catholics. THS is reason enough for the Muslims to use the opportunity to get rid of as many Ibos as possible. 9. Both the admiration for the Christian, independence-loving Ibos and liberation struggle and humanitarian aid. 73. The horror evoked by pictures of starving children led to a unilateral form of solidarity and commitment for Biafra in public opinion and perception in Western Europe and North America. Biafra as an African conflict had various implications and reverse FECTs for the humanitarian organizations in the North. THE huge amount of donations, the logistical challenge and rapid growth, caused structural problems and confusion among the operating aid agencies. Best known is the case of ICRC physician and former French Foreign Minister Bernhard Kuchner, who was disgusted by the organization's political neutrality and founded Medicine Sans Frontiers in 1971 to be able to conduct humanitarian aid under a new morality of urgency without the restrictions of state or legal obligations. One zero THE eight actions for Bifra caused major upheavals and led to reorganizations in the ICRC, Caritas Internationalis, and even Caritas Switzerland. THE structures of these eight agencies, having originated from the reconstruction work in war-torn Europe, were reshaped for their new mission and foreign aid in the THR world due to the events on Bifra. Biafra was thus a crucial focal point for humanitarian aid, evoking a political consciousness among the volunteers in Biafra and strongly adding to previously existing feelings in the European and North American public. Donations and Solidarity Efforts Biafra action groups rise on the local level. The Biafran conflict resulted in the creation of a multitude of action groups. For example, Action Pro Biafra, Frankfurt and Zurich. Joint Biafra Famine Appeal, Dublin, Biafra Actico Might, Amsterdam, American Committee to Keep Biafra Alive, New York, and Action Biafra Health, Hamburg were all founded in May or June 1968.11. Most of these groups consisted of students, workers, physicians, and priests, and were active in the collection of donations on the streets, in churches and in public relations campaigns to make the public aware of the urgency of aid by using press, television, radio, posters as stated by Action Pro, BIAFRA.12 motivation came both from a general wish to be active, to make a bit of a hustle, as Swiss Biafran activist Jörz Emenegger puts it, and by an attempt to combine political action with humanitarian aid, as in the case of West German Ruth, Bauer T.13 THE donations collected were used to support the airlift established by Joint Church Aid and some of the young activists managed to visit the war-stricken region themselves. THE's activist groups were very well received in the public sphere at the time and publicly supported by scholars, politicians, writers, business leaders, and editors-in-chief. Action Pro Biafra even had a high-ranking, although purely male, patronage committee and was officially supported by the mayors of Frankfurt and Zurich. TH's support led the way to close cooperation with established aid agencies and common calls for donations. 1474. Crossing Borders Clearly 
The sympathies of all activists were always on the Biafran side. Explicit political critique of neo-colonial structures and of the involvement of the former colonial power Great Britain was indeed articulated in demonstrations, but never gained greater success due to weak support of the heterogeneous supporting donors and action groups concerned with BIAFRA.15 THS was true as well with the critique of the practice of arms exportation to the Nigerian troops or the seldom broached issue of the involvement of multinational oil corporations in the Biafran Delta. THE strong support for Biafra was mostly humanitarian and not explicitly political. THE Biafran cause was thus never supported by the more political student movement organizations of the 1960s. For example the Sozialistischer Deutscher Studentenbund, SDS, although the West German Action Biafra Health tried to involve them but was rejected because Biafra did not match the suggested leftist and socialist concept of power, as student leader Daniel Cohen-Bendit puts it in, retrospect.16 It was only after the downing of an ICRC aircraft in June 1969 by the Nigerian army, illegally equipped with anti-aircraft guns built by Swiss arms company Yairlkenbu, combining diarysis that the issue of arms exportation was articulated in a broad campaign and led to the so-called BU, combining diarysis scandal in Switzerland. THS resulted in a political initiative to ban arms exportation, started in 1969 by peace movement activists and voted on in 1972, but defeated by a mere 50.3%. It was this campaign that moved rather theologically informed groups to a political position. THS, Swiss Protestant pastors wrote about the antagonism between humanitarian aid and arms originating from the same country. We have been collecting money for Biafra in our parish for several months. Coin by coin, sums have been accumulated to ease the war suffering. At the same time our country's armed factory has been earning a huge amount on the same war. THE credibility of our humanitarian effort is thus at risk. THS is a cause for great concern. 18 Biafra was thus an activating key event for some of the younger generation of students in critical church and university circles interested in development issues and it motivated them on an emotional level to participate in THR world issues, development policy, and critical solidarity work, although Christian paternalism toward African suffering remained. Bifra furthermore enabled the general public in Europe and North America to show solidarity with the suffering population and to engage in humanitarian aid in Africa for the VRST time. Kabora Basa Mammoth Dam and Protest Catalyst THE Gigantic Kaborabasa Dam, with an output of 2,000 megawatts, a retaining wall 160 meters high and 30 meters wide, and a reservoir of 2,700 square kilometers surface area, was built between 1969 and 1979. It remains one of the largest hydroelectric plants in the world. The primary benefactor of the generated electricity was to be the highly industrialized apartheid regime in South Africa, liberation struggle and humanitarian aid.
75 illustrated by the fact that transmission lines were only planned to the neighboring country and not to regions of Mozambique.20 planned by Portugal, largely financed by South Africa and supported by Rhodesia. The Kabarabasa scheme was a strategic undertaking in defense of the white minority regimes in southern Africa, as well as an area of growth, and thus a symbol for the theory of modernization. Starting in 1961, Portugal, as the last colonial power in Europe, was challenged militarily by the independence movement, which required enormous government expenditures. Only with the support of its NATO partners could Portugal sustain the war at all. At this point, Portugal, still poor by Western European standards and the developing country itself, was oppressing other developing countries. Its colonies, with the support of industrialized countries, with the dam and its irrigation projects as a white development zone, Portugal hoped to attract settlers and investors to exploit its plentiful mineral deposits in the Zambezi Valley thus halting the advance of the Frente de Libertação de Mocambique, F-R-E-L-I-M-O, liberation movement into southern Mozambique. THS, Caborabasa was, in the sense of, social engineering, a part of a larger development plan, in which colonial power Portugal was promised in economic and political strengthening of its colonial rule. Already early on, Opposition to the power plant stirred in the ranks of FRELIMO, both politically as well as militarily, via guerrilla attacks on the construction site. FRELIMO's struggle against Cabarabasa was supported by the independent African states, the Organization of African Unity, and the World Council of Churches. Th rough multiple UN resolutions against the dam, the international public was made aware of the Situation. In various European countries, the newly emerging solidarity movements, consisting principally of church youth groups, some of them already active on the Biafra issue, responded positively by denouncing Portuguese colonialism in Africa and condemning the participation of European corporations in the consortium that built Cabarabasa. TH's consortium brought together numerous German, French, South African, and Portuguese corporations. DHE Swedish Electricity VRMASEA, originally involved in project planning, withdrew in September 1969 shortly before signing a contract. DHS was due to pressure from an intensive campaign that had sympathizers in the social democratic government of Olaf Holm, despite resistance from trade unions. More than any other single issue, the campaign against Caborabasa mobilized and radicalized Swedish opinion, contributing both to the development of the reorganized Solidarity Movement and to the decision to extend a fight Swedish government support to the liberation movement in the region. 23THE Italian VRM Societa Anonima Elettrificasian also withdrew from the project in May 1970, after the Italian government cancelled interest subsidies for the export credit due to great pressure from the Italian Communist Party. 24 The British corporations GEC, or English Electric and Barclays Bank were also interested in the project, but similarly withdrew based on pressure from resolutions of the ruling Labour Party and from the action group Dambusters Mobilising Committee in London including 76, crossing borders the anti-apartheid movement, the Liberation Committees of Angola, Mozambique, and Guinea-Bissau and the movement for the liberation of 
Angola.25 Campaigns and protest networks of solidarity in West Germany. The Kaborabasa issue was taken up in January 1969 via the publications of the Sozialistische Deutscher Studentenbund, SDS, with a discussion of Portuguese colonial rule and its support by West. Germany.26 THE's links between the government and the colonial war allowed the student solidarity movement to tie the common struggle against imperialism to concrete starting points. THE struggle against one's own government and economy gave the theoretical debate on imperialism a specificity ground for confrontation and gave the respective solidarity movements a specificity form of responsibility. It was only the support within NATO and the delivery of materials from European corporations that created the necessary connection for a concept of assumed links of solidarity originating in a common adversary in an imaginary struggle. The Kaborabasa public campaign in Germany began with an appeal in early 1970, signed by numerous well-known personalities such as Alexander Mitscherlich and Ernst von Weizsäcker, calling on the participating German corporation Siemens, AEG Telefunken, BBC Mannheim, Hochstief, and Voith to withdraw from the Project.27 The foundation of the campaign spread quickly to establish organizations such as trade unions, religious youth groups and church working groups, peace movement organizations, and the Young Socialists. In addition, numerous action groups and local Kaborabasa groups formed, all active against the dam via intensive public relations. THE's groups also sent boycott postcards to consortium members, 28 and disrupted shareholder meetings. 29 FRELIMO itself endeavored to act directly in Europe against the dam and wrote an open letter to West German Chancellor Willy Brandt accusing West Germany of actively supporting Portuguese colonial rule and promoting the construction of the dam.30 THE Brandt government remained VRM in its stance and announced in July 1970 that it would stand by the issuance of state guarantees to the export companies.31 in Switzerland. Opposition to Kaborabasa VRST became evident on the occasion of a private visit of the South African Prime Minister and Finance Minister to the Swiss Federal Council and Zurich-based banks in June 1970, which raised the possibility of negotiations for Swiss equity participation for the power. Plant.32 There were no Swiss corporations directly represented in the construction consortium, however. Consortium member Brown Bavaria and Psy, BBC, Mannheim was a German subsidiary of a Swiss corporation, of which the parent company held a 56.6% stake. Swiss critics of the dam project focused on this indirect participation, because it was assumed that the Swiss BBC Baden was involved in supplying electrotechnical equipment or it at least hoped to liberation struggle and humanitarian aid. 77 takeover portions of the project freed up by the withdrawal of the Swedish, British, and Italian corporations. Regarding the UN resolutions and the international opposition to Kaborabasa, Jean Ziegler, 34 member of the Swiss National Assembly, broached the subject in a parliamentary inquiry to the Swiss Federal Council on the construction of the dam 
and called for action to be taken against the participating Swiss corporations. 35th's interest in Cabara Basel was quickly adopted by the still young Solidarity movement in Switzerland, some of them church youth groups already involved in the relief efforts for Biafra. The activities of these Cabara Basel working groups included the publication of articles and letters to the editor, organizing informational meetings, and research and data analysis. 36 opposition was directed mainly toward BBC Baden and the Swiss banks, which were called on to not participate in Cabarabasa, neither in supplying equipment nor with equity participation. 37 furthermore, the Federal Council was advised not to award export risk guarantees for equipment, warning of an affair that contains all the elements of an international scandal. 38 Swiss industry occupied itself intensively with the project. The delivery by the Swiss BBC of electrical equipment for the power plant with a value of approximately 25 million Swiss francs is a case in point. The's situation was not known at the time, but the claims of Swiss industry involvement by the Solidarity movement later proved to be accurate. 39 The fact that a Swiss export risk guarantee was never requested might be attributable to the intensive public relations work of the student solidarity movement groups. It might also be because the share of Swiss supplier BBC Baden was partially covered by the German corporations Hermes and Greta Tanstout Fu, combining diaresis R. Wider Aufbau. 40 The central mobilization brochure for the broad and diversified solidarity movements active in national and transnational networks against the Cabora Bassa Dam was the widely distributed Dutch booklet, Cabora Bassa, in Dam Tejan to Afrikanen published by student activists, translated into German and English, and containing background information and addresses of organizations in the Solidarity Movement. 41 The Caborabasa groups were also in direct contact with the liberation movements in the Portuguese colonies, via information offices in exile and English language newspapers and found recognition as northern contacts and feedback groups for an imaginary common concern. At this point the campaign against Cabarabasal was beginning to offer direct material support of African liberation movements through the Solidarity Movements. From this direct involvement, country SPECIFIC and often distinctly Maoist or communist-oriented solidarity committees arose providing ideological and material support for the liberation movements, especially in southern Africa. 42 involvement in the campaign declined noticeably around 1973. Solidarity work focused on new issues, and with the election victory and accession to power of FRELIMO in 1975, the topic disappeared completely from the focus of solidarity movements. The complexity of the situation was apparently too confusing. 78 crossing borders and it completely mismatched the worldview of the activists, who often had romanticized projections and dreams of simplicity in the liberation movement. 43 After independence, the new FRELIMO government was in urgent need of foreign currency from energy exports to apartheid South Africa, and therefore allowed the power plant to be completed by the original consortium, after being repackaged as a Portuguese entity. Notable is the complete absence of ecological criticism of the project. 
apparently the anti-imperialistic point of view allowed one to overlook these connections and problem areas. 44 Concluding remarks over the course of 1968, the TH Earth world became a major topic of interest for the students in the protest movements. THS Actors of existing development aid policy were seemingly challenged by the new emerging development policy groups in the church and student environments. But also the wider public focused on the decolonized parts of the world, and with mass media there soon was a distinct public image of the THR world. THE Biafra operation was the FRST of a new kind of humanitarian aid. Support and participation via aid donors became truly global and is an early example of the THR world as a field of operation for humanitarian aid agencies. THS humanitarian aid in today's well-known form emerged, European or North American-based aid agencies providing food and development aid. Funded by public donations raised using modern communication and media channels. THE Biafra operation was furthermore a crucial event for humanitarian interventions as well as a general turning point toward secular activities of church actors in the field of emancipatory development aid. THE political implications and interlinkages of this conflict were not widely debated and the action groups remained generally quiet on such issues. In addition, the difference between the vast popular support for secessionist Biafra and their government's backing of Nigeria was not criticized. Nevertheless, the solidarity and aid for Biafra fostered the emergence of a multitude of groups, some of them with students' involvement, that were engaged in practical solidarity work and transnational campaigns for THR world issues. Via the direct aid work in Biafra, the humanitarian organization served as an important performative tool for the view of Africa and the shaping of how the war was perceived in Europe and North America. Starvation and famine had an emotional impact on action activists as well as donors, while the mass media played a central role in mobilizing public opinion with the production of images and information on this African conflict. THE's images of Africa as aid receiving, starving from hunger, and struck by war are long-lasting and remain today. THE events on Biafra and the humanitarian aid provided are in this sense a persistent burden on efforts to emancipate Africa to the point of a self-reliant continent. Liberation struggle and humanitarian aid. 79 For the church organizations and part of the leftist student action groups. The debate over the Kabor-Abassa Dam in distant Mozambique was a central starting point for the practical discussion of imperialism and the dependency theory analysis of the global economy. THR world conditions were concentrated on the dam, ideally, the construction of a technocratic mega-project in an African colony with direct participation of European corporations guaranteed by European states, supporting both white domination in southern Africa in general as well as the Portuguese colonial rule through the sale of electricity to the apartheid regime. With the dam, the protest movements were able to illustrate the globally effective connections of oppression with a concrete example, and effectively identify the participation of one's own corporations at the national political level. In this way, 
the regional pragmatic and activist connection of Kabarabasal led many of the young development policy groups in Europe to politicize their formerly Christian humanitarian objectives. The opposition to Kabarabasa caused a change in the political structure of the solidarity movements, in that for issues of development policy, the gap between church actors and the new student groups could be bridged. In addition, through the existence of militarily active, anti-colonial liberation movements, solidarity, a sense of identity, and even support of the armed liberation struggle in the Portuguese colonies became possible. Generally, there are three observations I would like to make with this brief analysis of the historical factors of two events that motivated and structured expressions of solidarity. First, we encounter transnational networks, shared concerns, border-crossing transfers, personal encounters, synchronized mobilizations, and reciprocal references in different locations of the world playing a crucial role in the development of a global 1968. Northern protest events and issues were often closely linked to southern topics and struggles. THS is not only true for Vietnam and Cuba, but also for development in southern Africa or in Nigeria Biafra, as this chapter has shown. THE close cooperation with additional national groups on a concrete campaign presented options of transnational interaction both with similar groups in other countries as well as with liberation movements in the THR world. Here one could think of a national scope in which to base campaigns, criticisms, and political activities, closely linked to a comprehensive transnational network. Both theoretical analyses and concrete examples arose out of this scope. The development policy advocates built a sort of resonance network in the North that picked up these issues and translated them for their respective national situation. THS we encounter a transnational perspective combined with national identities as primary contexts and key aims of engagement. The 1960s opened in this way the views of perception for experiences out of Europe or North America. The world thus became the central focus of the protest movements of the 1960s. It was the events in the THR world that enabled protest movements to address their criticism and demand new forms 80 crossing borders of politics, both in their national context as well as on a transnational level. THS, it is important that we examine how various groups in Europe and Northern America, student groups, church actors, state policy makers, business actors, analyzed, constructed, and contested the links, images, arguments, and themes that FLO'd between the DHR world and their world. DHEDHR world shaped and constructed not only the solidarity movement but also humanitarian organizations, the media, and the general public in a highly effective way. For further research we need to ask, therefore, how the THR world generated and reformulated development policy, political systems and mass culture in transnational contexts and thus served as a performative tool for the distribution of ideas of global justice and responsibility. Second, the agency of Southern activists and their performative role in a politics of action in the North had rarely been put in a research focus so far. Th. Rough the emerging interest of protest movements of the 1960s, the actors in the often recently decolonized countries, or those still in a struggle for independence, had a unique chance to bring their issues into a transnational context.
In this area the new or the future elites encountered broad response and resonance and their issues were taken up by various groups and heard by a broad public. It was they who commanded symbolic resources such as communication and knowledge, and who gained political support by mobilizing solidarity groups, church actors, and a broad mass of donors for their cause. THS the year 1968 was formed as much by the liberation movements and the young independent governments in Africa as by the protest movements in Europe and North America. D.H. has said, the direct connections between the solidarity movements and groups in the North and the THR world liberation movement actors are equally important and deserve further historical research. THR we encounter several problematic dimensions in these new solidarity relationships, created on the basis of compatible elements. DHE solidarity movements and their political activists identified themselves with struggles for liberation in the Southern Hemisphere and perceived themselves as part of a global campaign against imperialism. DH has led to situations of misunderstanding and accentuated the difficulties of addressing solidarity. DH's chapter has focused especially on these problems emerging from a concept of solidarity relationships, which often had more of a one-way character and in which there were distinctions between providers and beneficiaries. THS, we fend this international orientation of solidarity made use of simple binary opposites in the sense that not only a common enemy, imperialism, but also a common goal were projected onto liberation movements worldwide. THR is the essential role of the transitory nature of the unequal connection as well as the FECT of the complexity reducing force of the enduring colonial projections on the solidarity movements. Identify cation with the liberated parties FRST became possible when the ambiguous positions became assumingly clear. THS solidarity movements self-liberation struggle and humanitarian aid. 81 empowered themselves in their desires for authenticity and their search for FZ and unchanging other in the THR world. Notes research for this chapter was supported by grants from the Avina Foundation and the Gottfried R. Friedley Foundation. I am grateful to Daniel Speich and Jim Rudolph for helpful comments on earlier drafts. All quotations are translations by the author. 1. THR4 I do not agree with the distinction between charitable and political from a political sciences view when it comes to solidarity movements. See Marco Guini, concluding remarks, conceptual distinctions for the study of political altruism in Amgeni and F. Passi, eds. Political altruism, solidarity movements and international perspective, Lanham, M.D., Roman and Little F.I.L. 2001, 235-244. 2. H. Egwai, T.H.E. Biafra War. Nigeria and the Aftermath, Lewiston, N.Y., Edwin Mellon, 1990. And A. R.N.A. Sievers, J.O.A.H.U.M., and S.M.E.S.I.A., A Social History of the Nigerian Civil War. Perspectives from Below, Hamburg. Lit. 1997. 3. THUS intervened in favor of Nigeria in the Biafra conflict but supported the Biafran independency by heavy humanitarian aid due to public pressure. C.L. A. Nvashuaku, 
USDH in United States and Nigeria 1960-1987, Anatomy of a Pragmatic Relationship, Journal of Black Studies Volume 5, 1998, 575-593, NJDH Umsun, American Policy and African Famine, DHE Nigeria Biafra War 1966-1970, New York, Greenwood Press, 1990. See also H. Agwai Conflict and Intervention in Africa, Nigeria, Angola, Zaire, Hampshire, Macmillan, 1990, 1168. For China, France, and African States, CNOBIAGA, THE Politics of Humanitarian Organizations Intervention, Landham, MD, University Press of America, 2004. 4. CF. R. Boutet, LEFF Roy Bulgare du Biafra, Paris. Editions Chaka, 1992. 5. R. Man, Election Humanitaire, Ever Use, Flammarion, 2000. 59. C. For Nigeria's Civil War, Hate, Hunger and the Will to Survive. Time Magazine, the 23rd of August. 1968. 6. For this airlift, see the memories of one of the key actors, T. Byrne, airlift to Biafra, breaching the blockade, Dublin, Columbia Press, 1997. See also J. A. Daly and A. G. Seville, T.H.E. History of Joint Church Aid, 3 volumes. Copenhagen, 1971. For the ICRC, C.T. Hench, Face Oblocus, Eastward L. Intervention du Gomite International de la Croix Rouge dans la Conflict in Nigeria 1967-1970, Geneva, Draz, 1973. 7. The total amount of aid given is $166.3 million, until May 1970. C.T.H. Umpsun, 1990, 130 and 167. For Caritas and Biafra, C.M. Schmidhalter, Dihif Section Full, Combining Diaresis, R. Biafra, Wendepunkt in der Auslandschilf des Schweizerischen Kurdeverbandes, Schweizerische Zeitschrift Fu, Combining Diaresis, Our Religions and Culture, Jeshkiti Volume 98, 2003, 171-182, and Nicholas Omenka, Hifl, Combining Diaresis, Our Biafra, Diefuerperfl, Combining Diaresis, Our Dicatastrophen Hilf Destiutschenkurdeverbandes, Karatas 97 Yarbuch Destiutschenkurdeverbandes, Freiburg, 1996, 6976. 8. Graf Posadowski Werner, leader of the Afrika Referat in the Foreign Office, a Gesamt of West Germany in Bonn, sit, Rennendorf die Stockfee SCH Bomber, Der Spiegel Volume 25, 1969, 104-116, here 113. 9. Spend enough of Caritas 1968, sit, Yours Alter Matt, Caritas von der Katholischen Milieu Organisation zum Sozialen Hilfswerk 1901-2001, von der Katholischen 82, Crossing Borders Milieu Organisation zum Sozialen Hilfswerk, 100 Jahre Caritas Schweiz, Lucerne, Caritas, 2002, 
1542, year 29. For religious discourse, see Protocol der Commission Fu, combining diaresis R Internationale Angelgen Heiten des SEK, 11. Mars 1968, in Swiss Federal Archives Bern, hereafter bar, SEK Archive, J2.257, 2124, BD. 10, DOS, 151. 10, for as a starting point for Doctors Without Borders, CPE Eberhard, A Historical Survey of Humanitarian Action, Health and Human Rights, Volume 2, 1996, 3044, on JC. Rufayen, Le Page Humanitaire, Paris, JC Lattes, 1986, 60. A Critical Perspective on Humanitarian Aid is Provided in F. Broche, O Bon Chic Humanitaire, Paris, Premier Ligne. 1994, 5054 for Biafra. 11, 4, Action Biafra Hilf, with a foreword by Goloman as a critic of the West German Students' Movement, CT2, combining diaresis LCH and KGORK, Biafra. On the documentation, Berlin, Lettner, 1968. THE archive of the Biofractico Might 1968-1971 can be found in the International Institute of Social History Amsterdam. For the American Committee to Keep Biofra Alive, CTH Upson, 1990-75-79. 12. Action Pro Biofra, Leaflet 1968, in Swiss Social Archives Zurich, Hereafter Sazarch, SWNQS. 13. Rellendorf die Stockfee SCH Bomber, Der Spiegel Vol. 25, 1969, 104-116, here. 114. 14. C. Communicator Caritas, HEKS, SAH und der Action Pro Biafra, the 29th of June 1968, in Sozarch, SAH Archive. R 20.971.115 15. For example, in Basel with around 5,000 participants shouting anti-British slogans, CF. Bar, SEK Archive, J2.257, 2124, BD. 10, DOS, 156. See also F. Forsyth, THE Biofra Story. DHE Making of an African Legend, Barnsley, Leo Cooper, 2001. 274. 16. CF. Titsu, Combining Diaresis, LCH, Diandi Ren 68 er Von der Protestbegung zur Menschenrechtsorganisation, 40 Euro Gesellschaft Fu, Combining Diaresis, R. Bidrod Volker, Medien mit Heilung, the 5th of July 2007. HTTP colon slash slash www.gfbv.de slash press emit.php question it equals 979 ampersand highlight equals BIAFRA accessed for March 2009 D. Cohen Bendit et al. Cop Gefu combining diaresis Hoshiu on the discussion you combining diaresis Burr Internationalismus.
Curse Bush Volume 57, 1979, 199-221. For an SDS perspective on Biafra, C.P. Antonello et al. Nigeria Gijin Biafra, Fausch Alternative and Odor U, Combining Diaresis Bur Diversar Funder Widers Pru, Combining Diaresis Chaim Neocolonialismus, West Berlin, Wajenbach, 1969. 17. Rudi Tobler, When Schweitzer Canon and Alf IKRK Flugs Der Boo, Combining Diaresis Hill Scandal, H. Lucer et al. EDS. Die Schweiz und Ihr Skandal, Zurich, Lim Matt, 1995, 93-104. 18. Resolution by Pastors of Canton Argyle, the 26th of December 1968, in, Bar, S.E.K. Archive, J2.257, 2124, B.D. 10, DOS, 156. 19. As Swiss activists put it in their memoirs, C.F. A.M. Hollenstein, R. Rentschler, and R. Strom, and Twicklung heist Befreiung, Ehren Rungen and I. Piani Ears I. Derklerung von Bern, Zurich, Kronos, 2008, 1993. 20. Essential K. Middlemas, Cabora Engineering in Politics in Southern Africa, London. Videnfeld and Nicholson, 1975. See also A. Isaac Displaced People, Displaced Energy, and Displaced Memories. The Case of Kahorabasa, 1972-2004, International Journal of African Historical Studies, Volume 38, Number 2, 2005, 201-238, and A. Isaac and C. Sneden, Portuguese Colonial Intervention. Regional Conflict and Post-Colonial Amnesia, Kaharabasa Dam, Mozambique 1965-2002, Portuguese Studies Review Vol. 11, No. 1, 2003-207-236, Liberation Struggle and Humanitarian Aid, 83-21, THE World Council of Churches provided direct financial aid to FRELIMO and other liberation movements and gained a wider audience through the issuing of a pamphlet on Kaborabasa in 1971, C.F. and the Struggle for Southern Africa, ed. World Council of Churches, Geneva, World Council of Churches, 1971. 22. The building of Kaborabasa was condemned in UN Resolution 2507, XXIV. 21 November 1969, by the Colonial Commission of the UN General Assembly in Document A7320, November 1970 and in UN Resolution 8022, XXV, December 16, 1971. The 26th General Assembly finally condemned Kabora Basla on 20 December 1971 in UN Resolution 2873, XXVI. 23. The protest in Sweden, starting in 1968, is covered in T. Selström, Sweden and National Liberation in Southern Africa, Formation of a Popular Opinion Volume 1, Uppsala, Nordisk Africa Institute Ed, 1999, 473-504.
24, Der Spiegel Volume 24, 1970, 96. See also letter by the Swiss Embassy in Portugal to the Swiss Federal Political Department, the 5th of January 1971, in, bar, EPD, Abdi Elon combining diaresis R. Paulides J. Angelgen Hyaiton, E2001, E01, 1982-58, 440, AZ, C.41.111.UCH. 25. The British government itself was not putting pressure on the companies, it was only the ruling Labour Party. See for example, Beric der Schweizerischen Botschaft in Großbritannien, Keller, zu Kabarabasa, the 24th of June 1970, in, bar, EPD, Abdi Fu, combining diaresis, R. Paulides J. Angelgen Hyaiton, E2001, E, 1980-83. 536, AZ, C.41.111.0.UCH. Evidence for the British Dambusters Committee is given in unreports, see for example Kaborabasa and the future of Mozambique. Report to the Special Committee on the Situation with regard to the implementation of the Declaration on the Granting of Independence to Colonial Countries and Peoples, A8148 Ad.1, EDS. United Nations, New York, 1972. The campaign against Kabarabasa in Great Britain is not covered in the literature on British protest and social movements. 26. THESDS info dating from January 1969 addressed the Portuguese colonies. THE issue from the 20th of May 1969 dealt with the imperialism of the Federal Republic of Germany and starting in February 1969 there were presentations on colonialism and the struggle for independence in the Portuguese colonies in Africa, which were released under the title, De Revolution Arbefrioyuns Krieg in Angola. Guinea-Bissau and Mozambique, CF. There too are mu, combining diaresis, lur, uberlegundensum verhutnis von Wissenschaft in politischer Basisarbeit, Freidensverkundend Entwicklungspolitik, to, combining diaresis, Seldorf, Bertelsmann Universitätsverlag, 1975, 157-162. Aufrufter, Camp and Kabarabasa, 1970, sit, Georg Schriag Legitimations per Belimim International and Project Jeschkaft, Kabarabasa und die Siemens AG, Jesens et al., eds. Falsehudians um International and Management, Rundlagen Praxis or Verungen Perspektiven, Wise Baden, Gabler Verlag, 2004. 503 520, here 511. 28. Siemens alone received over 2,000 protest postcards by April 1971, CF. G. H. Steinman, Corporate Morality Called in Question, THE Case of Kaborabasa, Journal of Business Ethics Volume 8, 1989, 680. 29. R. Tetzlaff. Transnazi in all unturn emin, der Stadt und der Bu, combining diaresis wager, zwerge gegen giganten, hat es zweck, gegen, multist supertest ihren, entwicklungspolitisch korrespondenz ed.
Siemens, vom Dritten Reich zur Dritten Welt, Hamburg, Gesellschaft Fu, Combining Diaresis R Entwicklungspolitische Bildungsarbeit, 1983, 107-119. 30. TH's Open Letter from Marcelino dos Santos, Vice President of FRELIMO to the Chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany, dated the 19th of March 1970, Bundesar 84. Crossing Borders Chib Berlin, DZ87302002 was printed on the 17th of June 1970 in Frankfurter Rundschau and is reproduced in W. Balsen and K. Russell, Hotch die Internationale Solidaritat. Zur Geschichte der Drittweltbewegung in der Bundesrepublik, Köln, Kölner Volksblatt Verlag, 1986-286-288. 31. Doc. 293, Notes 16 and 17, in, Acton zur Auswärtigen Politik der Bundesrepublik 1970 Volume 2, Munich. Oldenburg, 2001, 1096. 32. Was such der Su, combining diaresis Duffer Kunisch Minister President in der Schweiz? Schweizer Geld Fu, combining diaresis R. Rosenbau? Zu, combining diaresis Richer AZ, the 15th of June 1970, 1. 33. The Filas of the BBC's communication department in the archive of what is today ABB Switzerland indicate clearly that the campaign against Kaborabasa was very well documented, cf. Corporate Archive ABB Group Baden, hereafter ARABB, B0.8.100.539 Communication Sabtai Island Kaborabasa 1970-1979. 34. Jean Ziegler, born 1934, Senior Professor of Sociology, Geneva. Member of Parliament for the Social Democrats in the Swiss National Assembly, 1967-1983 and 1987-1999, United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Right to Food, 2000-2008, and since March 2008 Advisor to the UN Human Rights Council. 35. Klein Dringlich and Fris Jean Ziegler, the 10th of June 1970, in, Bar, EPD, Abdi Elung Fu, Combining diaresis R. Polides J. and Jelgen E. 2001, E. 1983, 536, AZ, C.41.1110.uch. 36. THS It is incorrect when it is declared that empathy and support for the liberation movements were completely absent, for example, in neutral Switzerland, 329. C.P. Glyses, Scandinavia and the Liberation of Southern Africa, T.H.E. International History Review No. 2, 2005, 324-331. 37. C.F. For example was just Chiept and Kaborabasa? Documentation, E.D.S. Arbeitsgruppe Fu, Combining Diaresis, R. Kirsch and Gieselschafter Evangelischen und R. Omlaut M.I.S.C.H.K.A.T.H.O.L.I.S.C.H.E.N. Universitätsgemeinden Bern und Arbeitsgruppe Angola, Bern, 1972. 38. 
Open letter from the Arbaites group Angola and the Arbaites group FU, combining diaresis R. Kirsch and Gieselschaft Berndug Swiss government, the 13th of June 1970, in, SOSARCH, R. 430.25.3. 39. THR were rectifying transformers, valves, and devices for high-tension direct current transmission lines delivered, CARABB, B0.8.100.539, Information U, Combining Diaresis, Burkabora Bassa, HR, Bernhardt and Dr. Rindernecht, the 7th of January 1971, 11. During the debates, although, Eric Bernhardt, Sales director stated the amount of BBC Baden only with a value of 11 million Swiss francs. See, Cabora Bassa im Meinungstreit, der Bund, the 1st of February 1971. THS is the amount covered by Hermes Exporters Eco Guarantee. 40. Equimine Rundbrief 2, ed. Evangelische Studentengemeinde in Berlin, the 15th of July 1970, quoted in Emsdale. H.K. Schmacher, and R.H. Strom, E.D.S. Cabora Bassa, Modulfall Westlicher and Twick Lungspolitik, Bern, Candelaber Verlag, 1971, 6970. T.H.E. coverage, decided on the 21st of April 1970, included approximately 11 million Swiss francs, C.A.R.A.B.B., B. 0.8.100.539, Information U. Combining diaresis Burkabora Bassa, H.R. Bernhardt and Dr. Rindernecht, the 7th of January 1971, 11. 41. The German versions were edited in 1971 and 1972. C.S. Bosgra, Cabora Bassa. Ein die Afrikaner, Berlin, Cabora Bassa Comedy. 1972. The English pamphlet was edited in Berlin in 1972. 42. For the case of West Germany, see Reinhard Kossler and Henning Melber. The West German Solidarity Movement with the Liberation Struggles in Southern Africa, A. Self, Critical Retrospective, in U. Engel and R. Kappel, eds. Germany's Africa Policy Revisited. Interests. Images and Incrementalism, Mu, Combining Diaresis and Stir, Lit Verlag, 2002, 103-126, Liberation Struggle and Humanitarian Aid, 85, 43, CF, Bomani Rumand, Sensutstrom, Waram die Revolution aus Bleib, in D, Kohnbendit and Ardaman, eds. 1968, Die Revolta, Frankfurt, A.S.A. Fischer, 2007, 223-234. 44, A. Isaac Mann and C. Snudden, Towards a Social and Environmental History of the Building of Cabral Bassa Dam, Journal of Southern African Studies, Volume 26, Number 4, 2000, 597-632. See also P. McCulley, Silenced Rivers, T.H.E. Ecology and Politics of Large Dams, London, Z. 1996, and B.R. Davies, A. Hall, and P.B.N. Jackson, Some Ecological Aspects of the Cabora Bassa Dam, 
Biological Conservation Volume 8, 1975, 189-201. 1.1. Trois Continents, Une Revolution, TH Recontinence, One Revolution, Poster, Serigraph, Paris, 1968. Call. BDIC, Paris Nantera. 1.2. Career Das, Trace, Muchos Vietnam, S. La Consigna. Che, Create 2, 3, Many Vietnams, that is the watchword. Che, Tree Continental Magazine, September October 1967, N Degrees 21. Call. BDIC, Paris Nantera. 1.3. Logo of the Tree Continental, Tree Continental Magazine, January April 1968, N Degrees 4 5. Call. BDIC, Paris Nantera. 2.1. Buy for wallpaper during the students' protest, Globals Creval, in Zurich, June 1968. Swiss Social Archives, Zurich, FNA 0001040. 2.2. Action Pro Biafra, poster on Bonhofstrasse, Zurich 1968. Photography with the kind permission of photographer Luke Chief Sex, taken from his work, S.I. Sur la Suisse, 1968-1969. 2.3. Cabarabasa Dam in northern Mozambique under construction, December. 1976. Picture taken from. Hydroelectric of Cahorabasa, EDS. Anasa Energeral Braca Mozambique. Our power embraces Mozambique. 25 degrees anniversario de Hydroelectric at Cahorabasa, Lisboa 2000. 3.1. Resolutely support the anti-imperialist struggle of the Asian, African and Latin American people. A poster from the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Image provided courtesy Lincoln Cushing Docs Populi. 3.2. Long live Marxism, Leninism, and Mao Zedong th art. Chinese poster. Image provided courtesy Lincoln Cushing Docs Populi. 6.1. Students protesting outside of the University of Cape Town, 1968. University of Cape Town Libraries. 6.2. Students stage a sit-in at University of Cape Town, 1968. University of Cape Town Libraries. 8.2. Miriam McCabe in concert at Lovanium University in 1968. McCabe was invited by AGEL, Lovanium Student Association. She performed on campus, in front of a huge crowd of students, who were equally galvanized by her artistic talents and political commitments. Image courtesy of Alexandra Lovantambo. 8.1. Miriam McCabe in concert at Lovanium University in 1968. McCabe was invited by AGEL, Lovanium Student Association. She performed on campus, in front of a huge crowd of students, who were equally galvanized by her artistic talents and political commitments. Image courtesy of Alexandra Lovantambo. 8.3. Miriam McCabe in concert at Lovanium University in 1968. McCabe was invited by AGEL, Lovanium Student Association. She performed on campus, 
in front of a huge crowd of students who were equally galvanized by her artistic talents and political commitments. Image courtesy of Alexandra Lovantambo. 8.4. François Candolo, Lovanium University's student president, released from Dondolo prison on the 14th of October 1969. Candolo had organized the student march of the 4th of June 1969. He was condemned to serve 20 years in prison. President Mobutu granted him together with the other student organizers an amnesty on his birthday. Image courtesy of Valerie and Milimgo. 8.5. The whole group of student organizers on the same day of their release from prison. Image courtesy of Valerie and Milimgo. 10.1. Mexican army troops and tanks enter the Zocalo in late August 1968 in response to repeated student marches to and rallies in Mexico City's Central Plaza. Authors Archive. 10.2. THU Sands of Students marched through downtown Mexico City on 27 August 1968 to protest President Diaz Ordaz's repression of their movement. Authors Archive. 10.3. During their marches, the student protesters organized themselves according to their academic departments. THE Faculta de Ciencias Políticas, Political Science Department, from the UNAM was one of the most active delegations in the student movement. Authors Archive. Part 2 Fresh Battles in Old Struggles, New Voices and Modes of Expression. Chapter 5 A More Systemic Fight for Reform University Reform, Student Movements, Society, and the state in Brazil, 1957-1968 Colin Snyder The Brazilian student movement has always had educational complaints and political struggle present in its activities. National Student Union, 19,631 down with repression. More funding for universities. Banners carried at student protests, Rio de Janeiro. 19,682 The well-known qualitative problems of Brazilian education continue to manifest themselves. Governmental Task Force for University Reform, 19,683 In 1963, the Union Nacional de Estudantes, National Student Union, or UNE, was hopeful of the prospects of reform under progressive President Joe Goulart heading into 1964. Yet on the 1st of April 1964, the Brazilian military overthrew Goulart, putting in place a right-wing military dictatorship. Four years after the coup, students protesting the increasing authoritarianism and repression of the dictatorship took to the streets, calling for both university reform and the end of the dictatorship. Even the military leadership under Presidents Humberto Costello e Branco, 1964-1967, and Artur Costa e Silva, 1967-1969, was well aware of the need for university reform, having signed two agreements with the United States to study the issue in the previous three years. By the end of 1968, just before instituting the Edo Institutional No. 5, Institutional Act No. 5, or AI-5 and ushering in the most repressive phase of the 21-year dictatorship, the military government issued its Reform Universitaria, University Reform. The reform marked the FRST sweeping university policy any government, military or civilian, had launched in over 30 years in Brazil, 
for and increased the number of openings in federal universities, streamlined administration, and provided more funding for universities with the hope that a new class of university-educated, white-collar professionals would lead Brazil to its rightful place within the developed world. 102. Fresh battles in old struggles however, as the quotations above make clear, the reform did not emerge out of the bureaucratic ether. Rather, it marked the culmination of a public debate between the Brazilian state and society that dated back to the late 1950s, before the military had assumed power. While scholars have tended to emphasize the events of 1968 in Brazil in a framework of student resistance and state repression, 5. The debate over the role of universities in Brazil reveals a much more complex process of dialogue between students, the state, and other social actors. THE's complicated debates over the issue of university reform played a major part in state-society relations in the 1960s and in the events of 1968 in Brazil. Developing the fight for university reform 6. THE debate over university reform 1957-1964 DHEVRST proposal for university reform originated not with students, but with the government of President Eurico Gaspar Dutra in 1948. DH at year, the debate over the late reform was Dutra's E-Basis, Law of Structural and Basic Reforms. LDB began at 7 in its original form, the law tackled a broad set of social reforms including reorganizing agrarian, administrative, and banking policies. It also dealt with educational reform, outlining a plan in which the federal government would expand the university system and increase the number of college-educated students in Brazil in an effort to improve national development. ATHE law was immediately controversial, however, and between other national political struggles like the re-election in 1950 and suicide in 1954 of President Getulio Vargas, the creation of Brasilia in the late 1950s, and the election and resignation six months later of President Genio Quadras in 1961, debate over the Leib and FLO'd, and it was only passed in 1961.9 as the LDB and the issue of university reform stalled among politicians in the 1950s, the student movement picked it up. In 1957, at the first National Seminar for Educational Reform, the leadership of UNE resolved to undertake a more systemic VGHT for reform. 10 in the late 1950s and early 1960s, students met annually to debate the infrastructural and pedagogic changes they felt were necessary. Feeling that they were an underrepresented group in the decision-making process in universities, UNE members insisted they should make up one-third of the academic directories of universities. THA also demanded an end to the system of Professors Cadreticos, who were employed for life or until retirement and who had to meet few academic conditions upon gaining their position. Students complained that this professorial autonomy and job security prevented professors from making any effort to improve 11 and rendered the university system archaic and authoritarian, marked by paternalistic and nepotistic professorial relationships and centered on outdated curricula far removed from the country's social and economic realities. Twelve one former professor's assistant even described the system as medieval. Thirteen to replace this structure, 
Una more systemic fight for reform, 103 suggested that Brazilian universities shift to a departmental system. 14 students also sought more funding from the government for the federal universities, which housed the majority of Brazil's university students into the 1960s. Another extremely pressing concern for Brazilian students and politicians was the lack of vagas, or openings, in the university system. Compared to Spanish America, Brazil's university system was extremely young, with the FRST University only forming in 1920, 15 just in time for the visit of the Belgian royal family. 16 While only a fraction of Brazil's population attended universities even in the 1960s, the number of students attending universities had grown astronomically in the previous 15 years increasing from 53,000 students in 1950 to 142,000 in 1964, 17 with some estimates putting 81% of that total in the federal universities. 18 schools were unable to keep pace and accidents. The students who passed the entrance exams but could not attend university due to these constraints began pushing for more openings in the university system. 19 Nor was this a banner that students alone adopted. Pedagogical experts and politicians across the country were increasingly concerned with the rate of growth of university-age students who were not gaining admission for the simple reason that there were not enough openings. President Goulart himself said, the biggest problem facing the Brazilian university was the growing number of matriculating students compared to the number of schools. 20. In order to force the issue of Vegas and university reform, students, politicians, and pedagogues all appealed to developmentalist thinking in Brazil that had begun in the 1950s under Juscelino Kubitschek, inextricably connecting educational and infrastructural improvements with national development and the need for constant advances in science, technology, and culture that only university reform could achieve. 21 Nor were they alone in seeing the quality of higher education and Brazilian development as intertwined. At an address to university rectors from throughout Brazil, one scholar commented that, despite the rapid growth of public and private universities in the 1950s, there had not been a similar growth in qualified professionals, of scientists and of intellectuals, nor had there been adequate, rapid scientific and technical progress. 22 Another expert noted that, national development depended upon applied research that could only be accomplished in universities, a task for which Brazilian universities were woefully under-equipped. 23 Some even maintained that the perfection of educational and assistance organs could only be attained via university industry program that would create a partnership between public universities and private industries to further Brazilian development. 24 TH's proposal was not the only one of its kind, and debate and advocacy were not limited to students or to the political left. In 1961, conservative business leaders, pedagogues, military officials, and middle and upper class professionals concerned by the growing radicalism of students and workers formed the Instituto de Pesquisas e Ayudos Sociais, Institute of Research and Social Studies, or IPE Circumflex S.25, believing that the direction of the country can no longer 104 fresh battles and old struggles be left only in the hands of politicians, 
IP Circumflex S's members sought to combat what they feared was mounting leftism in Brazil, threatening Brazil's moral fabric and their own interests. 26 in the 1960s, IP Circumflex S met regularly to discuss issues as diverse as administrative reform, land reform, and development in Brazil, attempting to steer the nature of the discourse away from the left and toward their own politico-economic agenda, with education being a major focus in this matrix.27 IPE Circumflex S sought to mold university students via more contact with businesses in their universities and business program, which consisted of extra classes for ambitious entrepreneurial university students.28 Indeed, with the downfall of Goulart, one of IPE Circumflex S's major political concerns prior to 1964 disappeared, giving the organization more time to focus on educational reforms. 29 THS, by the time the military overthrew Joe Goulart on 1 April 1964, multiple sectors of society, including students, politicians, business leaders, military officers, and pedagogical experts had all already begun to take VRM stances in a broad debate over the role of universities in Brazil and their importance to national development. The urgency of university reform, the debate for reform during the military dictatorship, 1964-1968 If the struggle for university reform among the student body began well before the military's coup, Goulart's overthrow gave a new impetus to many student leaders who believed the coup, broad reorganization of student organizations and the mobilization of a new generation of students with ID.30 The issue of accidents, already simmering, erupted after 1964. The universities simply did not have enough openings for the number of students who passed the entrance. Exams.31 A demand for greater governmental spending on higher education accompanied the need for more vagas. Students also continue to demand an end to the K-Dratikos, and to seek the most basic infrastructural improvements in universities, including inexpensive student restaurants, clean bathrooms, and functioning drinking fountains, all of which marked a continuation of the demand students had been making prior to 1964.32 The new political context of a military government also brought with it new educational and political demands from the students, responding to the atmosphere of political repression, particularly of progressive leaders, professors, and student leaders, students demanded an end to the military dictatorship both in private publications and correspondences and in public rallies.33 Additionally, the suspension of all political rights of professors had only left the under-equipped universities even more unprepared for the rising number of students. The military government under Castelo Branco also immediately established itself as the student's primary antagonist. First, it burned down the UNE headquarters in Rio de Janeiro on the very day the military assumed power. UNE itself became illegal when the government issued Decree Law 4464, better known a more systemic fight for reform, 105 as the Le Supplice, named after Flavio Supplice de la Carda, the Minister of Education and Culture at the time.
in addition to declaring UN illegal and creating its own government-supported apolitical student organizations, such as the Directorios Estudiantes (State Directories of Students) or DEE and Directorio Nacional de Estudiantes (National Directory of Students) or DNE. The Lay Supplicy also attempted to purge the university system of any political activity and criminalized politicization in the classroom. Although it was not strictly enforced, the Lay Supplicy became a central part of students' demands for university reform, joining the structural demands that predated the military, government. Three four political opposition leaders joined students in condemning the Lay Supplicy, including high-ranking members of the opposition party. The Movimento Democrático Brasileiro, Brazilian Democratic Movement, or MDB.35 However, the most polarizing issue that students focused on after 1964 was the collaboration between the Ministerio de Educação e Cultura, Ministry of Education and Culture, or MEC, and the United States Agency for International Development, USAID, THMECUSAID Accords, as they came to be known were to the students as much an ideological as they were an institutional affront. Looking to Cuba, China, and Che Guevara, students had already become extremely critical of the United States and its role in the Cold War. When the government announced it had entered into the MECUSAID Accords to improve university education, students were immediately critical of the foreign interference often branding it imperialism or neocolonialism. 36 In making public their contempt for the MECUSAID agreements, students felt they were participating in a dialogue that responded to the government's own efforts to improve education. 37 THA constantly attempted to present their demands to the national government, taking advantage of any opportunity to speak to any member of the government who could address their concerns. Sometimes, these efforts were successful, as when a small number of students gained a hearing with Costello Branco himself 38. Other times, they were less successful, as governmental affide Giles cancelled the meetings with students at the last, minute.39 Regardless of the relative successes or failures in these individual meetings, however, the student movements went far beyond simple protests and opposition to the military government when dealing with educational and political policy. Rather, the student movement's relationship with the state was far more complicated, sometimes involving the dialogue created when they took to the streets with their slogans and banners, but just as often using dialogue through petitions and meetings directly with the Government.40 Not all students opposed the military government or participated in UNE, and some did join the state-sponsored ease. Yet even these students acknowledged the need for university reform. For example, the president of the Rio de Janeiro State DE wrote to the Minister of Foreign Relations, suggesting that students travel to Europe and study the conditions of universities there, so that there are better conditions for us to offer to President Humberto Costello Branca 106. Fresh Battles in Old Struggles A Draft of Brazilian University Reform 41 Even though those students that supported the dictatorship were nowhere near as vocal or critical of the government as participants in UNE were, education reform remained important to their own state-sponsored student organizations, 
and they used these organizations to express their own demands and visions for reform. In spite of students' ongoing demands, they were not the sole voice in the debate on university reform after the military coup. Just as some students participated in the deeds, many politicians and civilians supported the military government. Forty-two some of these supporters and bureaucrats also pushed the military to institute major structural and even ideological reforms in the universities since taking power. Federal Deputy Antonio Carlos Magalhaes suggested that, among the immediate means for combating revolutionary war, the completion of the university reform in the shortest time possible would be as important as the expulsion of all true agitators among students from their schools. 43A meeting of members of the Ministry of Education and Culture's Directory of Higher Education sought the immediate, short and long-term expansion and perfection of Brazilian higher education via programs like MECUSAID, which it extended from the original 1965 agreement in 1967.44The military leadership was well aware of the issues students were facing, and it often agreed with students, politicians, and pedagogues on the need for, if not the substance of, university reform. Although Castelo Branco's administration was preoccupied with turning Brazil's economy around and removing dangerous political threats via suspension of political rights, arrest, or exile, it also acknowledged the need to begin improving and reforming Brazil's higher education system. Indeed, it often was difficult to ignore the students and their demands, as protests and meetings were regular and the security apparatus, such as the Departamento de Ordem Public e Seguranca, Department of Public Order and Security, or DOPS, were sending in regular reports to the government. Castelo Branco's second Minister of Education and Culture, Raimundo Moniz de Aragao, acknowledged students' dissatisfaction with the university system, 45 and Costello Branco himself said that Brazil relied on the universities to prepare technicians and scientists whose role will necessarily deliver national development. 46 in the Plano Dicinal to Disinvolvimento Economico e Social 10-year plan for economic and social development, Costello Branco's government acknowledged the importance of higher education to Brazil's development.47 The plan even highlighted the severe enrollment situation facing Brazilian universities, claiming that in 1965 there were 125,406 candidates who had passed the entrance exams, yet there were only 58,929 vagas available.48 and in 1965, Castelo Branco's administration signed the FRST of the MECUSAID agreements in an effort to streamline and modernize Brazilian universities.49 If Castelo Branco's government acknowledged the specificity problems facing Brazilian universities, the students' dissatisfaction, and the need for reform, Arthur Costa e Silva's administration prioritized education. Even before assuming a more systemic fight for reform, 107 the presidency in March 1967, Costa e Silva had allegedly told the American ambassador John Tuthill that education would be a central part of his administration. 50 had education reform not been on Costa e Silva's agenda, though, the events of 1968 would have put it there. 
students had increasingly begun protesting the dictatorship and taking their demands for university reform to the streets, and protests spread throughout Brazilian society as the military government began cracking down even harder on students and others who voiced dissent. 51 Indeed, part of the pressure to create AI5 came from high-ranking members of the military who wanted Costa e Silva to do something to reduce the explosion of protests and subversion in 1968. Costa e Silva himself was well aware of the students' demands declaring that, the majority of students clamor for a better quality of education, we respond with the reform universitaria. 52 Although the debate over university reform had been growing since 1957 and had become increasingly contentious since 1964, the issue gained even greater urgency in 1968. In March of that year, police confronted students protesting the closing of a student restaurant in Rio de Janeiro. Police opened Fury, killing Edson Luis de Lima Sudo, a poor high school student who had moved to Rio hoping to attend university and who worked at the restaurant. Students immediately seized upon Edson Luis's death, taking his body to the House of Deputies and displaying it with a Brazilian flag and placards calling the government assassins. 53 Because Edson Luis had no family in the area, students were able to use his death as a symbol to rally against military repression. 54 Thu Sands gathered at the Mass for Edson Luis in the Candelaria Cathedral, where police again attacked the students. While student mobilizations and rallies against the dictatorship had been building since at least 1966, 55 after Edson Lewis's death student mobilizations intensified even further, and began to gain support from workers, musicians, and parents of university, students. 56 Although violent police repression sparked many of the protests in the wake of Edson Lewis's death in 1968, university reform in no way disappeared from the scene in spite of the increasing opposition to the dictatorship and its repressive measures. If anything, by 1968 university reform and opposition to the dictatorship had grafted to one another. Students from the political left lambasted the demagogic university reforms the dictatorship was studying, calling them little more than means for the military government to impose ideological domination upon students. 57 THA even equated the invasions of university campuses to the military's use of torture and murder as part of the military's broader strengthening of the executive branch's power. 58 Students felt that their demands for more openings and more funding would lead to a more democratic university system than the one the dictatorship was proposing, and by pushing for a democratic university they were feeding for a democratic society in opposition to the military, government. 59 Even students not involved in more radical political groups were increasingly tying the issue of university reform to an end to the dictatorship, as the banners that simultaneously called for university reform and 108 fresh battles in old struggles, a bake so a did a duro. Down with the dictatorship. Seen at protests throughout that year made clear. 60 The students were not without a strong argument, either, given that the arrival of the military had led to an increased military presence on campuses and the blackballing of subversive professors and student leaders, which had made university education even more 
precarious.61 Students assumed that, by opposing the state's interventions in universities and its plans for university reform, they were clearly expressing the democratic and anti-dictatorial perspective. 62 parents also were increasingly entering into the battle as their children were caught up in the growing violence. Certainly, parents had been involved in the debate on university education previously, such as in 1962, when parents and students alike demanded the federalization of the private Mackenzie University in Sao Paulo.63 Still, their involvement was relatively minimal prior to the dictatorship. Between 1965 and 1968, though, many were increasingly shocked at the methods the state was employing against their own children. Some parents directly challenged the government's actions, as was the case with one father who went to the local prison and threatened to shoot whoever had arrested his son, only to discover that the arresting officer had been his other son, who had joined the military.64 Although most parents were nowhere near radical enough to threaten officers with a pistol, Many did join their children in the growing public protests like the March of the 100th Sand in Rio de Janeiro, a march that brought together students, professors, artists, singers, parents, and even some politicians to protest the death of Edson Lewis and the increasingly violent crackdowns on students.65 Even the parents who did not join their children in the protests were nonetheless concerned about their own children and actively hoped for a resolution to the growing conflicts of 1968 so that their children would be safe.66 THA2 had a vested interest in how the issue of university reform would play out, as they were among the hundreds of thousands of fathers and mothers who never finished elementary school and who hoped that a university degree would help their children enjoy greater material and social gains than the parents had.67 when these parents began to see the government increasingly attacking the children of the middle class they were forced to take sides in the struggle by the end of 1968 the issue had reached a turning point of sorts, as the military finale issued its Reform Universitaria. The Reform Universitaria did in one way or another address many of the issues that had been facing Brazil's university system for over a decade. Among other things, it acknowledged the glaring issue of Vagas, 68 as well as Brazil's need for more white-collar professionals to lead national development, 69 two issues students had been raising since the 1950s. To address these issues, it proposed expanding the number of federal universities by establishing new schools and federalizing existing schools, thereby creating more openings. It also recommended increasing the number of federally sponsored scholarships for students to attend college. In all, the state would a more systemic fight for reform, 109 assume control and monitoring the functioning of universities, expanding both the federal funds given to the schools and the number of technicians and bureaucrats who would monitor the schools on the part of the state. Th rough out the reform, down to the tiniest detail. The state's control expanded, establishing the model for university education that would dominate Brazil into the 1990s.70 conclusion when the military government of Costa e Silva issued the Reform Universitaria at the end of 1968, in one way it marked the culmination of a decade-long debate on Brazil's universities. Since the late 1950s, 
university students had been feeding for university reforms, demanding infrastructural and political changes that would give them more opportunities to attend school, a greater voice in the administration of the universities, and better infrastructure. And they were not the sole voices in the debate for university reforms. Both before and after the coup of 1964, pedagogical experts, politicians, white-collar professionals, military leaders, parents, and even artists from all parts of the political spectrum actively engaged in a debate over the future of the Brazilian university system.71 While this debate could indeed lead to direct confrontation between students, professors, leftists, and intellectuals on the one hand, and conservatives, the military government, and business leaders on the other, it also witnessed significant efforts at cooperation, collaboration, and more subtle forms of negotiation in exactly how the universities should be reformed. And the demands did not remain stagnant. Indeed, as the military dictatorship strengthened its control in the 1960s and grew increasingly repressive, students increasingly tied together university reform and the struggle for democracy in the years leading up to 1968. All of this demonstrates how the struggles of 1968 in Brazil were not sudden, and they were not a simple matter of resistance and repression, rather, they were part of much longer processes of contestation and negotiation among and within social sectors and the state. However, the reform universitaria did not mark an end point in the debate on university reform in Brazil. Although it did address issues that the students had been raising, such as the number of openings in schools and replacing the Catratico system with a departmental structure, students maintained their opposition, rejecting the reforma for both ideological and practical reasons. In the 1970s, issues that derived directly from the reforma universitaria, such as annual fees and the functioning of the department system, would be the targets of fear student criticism and old issues like the ongoing struggle for openings and federal funding would continue.72 In the process, 1968 would take on historical meaning as students tried to reconstruct UNE after years of repression.73 As the 1980s dawned and the dictatorship neared its end, students continued to call for university reform, and just as it had in 1968, the role of the University 110, fresh battles and old struggles in Brazil played a major part in the broader debate on democratization.74 1968 stands out in the narrative of Brazil's dictatorship because of the seemingly accelerated pace of events, but 1968 was not an anomalous year. Rather, it was but one eventful year in a decades-long process of struggles and debates between students, society, and the state over the nature of education, development, social justice, and democracy. Notes 1. Observation from a 1963 study composed by the Union Nacional dos Estudantes, National Student Union, Lutatul Pela Reform Universitaria, L514, called Sao Livros Aprendidos Pela Policias Politicas, Archivo Publico do Edu do Rio de Janeiro, APERJ, 5. 2. Banners used in protests in Rio de Janeiro in 1968. Image from the Memoria do Movimento Estudantil Collection. Online Photo Archive.
HTTP colon slash slash www.mme.org.br slash services FRM underscore MME slash album slash image navigator dot easy TSVC dot ask question photograph UID equals EA 79748-0C20-441F-A2CD-8F96A029B D1 4 and album UID equals BBB9B01D-EF89-4724-9660-21F082DB255 and service INSTUID equals 758B8CF2-70C4-4F69-A489-6-4415-27CBB15 and user SID equals 95FF4305-D81B-47C5-AAD3-FAA0E7BC4182NL language ID equals point BR. 3. Reform Universitaria. Expanse AA Duencino Superior Eomanto de Recursos para Oeticasau. Relatorio de subcomissão especial do grupo de trabalho de reforma universitária, Brasília, Ministerio do Planjamento e Coronação Geral, Ministerio de Fazenda, Ministerio de Educação e Cultura, Agosto 1968-6. 4. Getulio Vargas's administration was responsible for the previous broad reform, the Instituto das Universidades Brasileiras, in 1931. See Sofia Larca Vieira, O. Discurso de Reform Universitaria, Fortaleza, Sierra, Edicos Universidade Federal do Sierra Prode, 1982, 108, and Luis Antonio Cunha, A. Universidade Tempora, O. Ensino Superior de Colonia A. Gravera de Vargas, Rio de Janeiro, Livario Francisco Alves Editora. 1982, 250, 290. 5. C.T.H. Omus Skidmore, T.H.E. Politics of Military Rule in Brazil, 1964-1985, New York, Oxford University Press, 1988, and Maria Helena Moreira Alves, State and Opposition in Military Brazil, Austin, University of Texas Press, 1985. For Brazilian examples, See Ron Aldo Costa Caudo, Historia Indiscredita Ditadura e Doberda, Brazil, 1964-1985, Rio de Janeiro, Editor Record, 2003, and Elio Gaspari, A Ditadura Envergonhada, Sao Paulo, Editor Schwartz, LTDA, 2002. 6. Luda Pela Reform Universitaria, 9. Cold South Livros Aprendidos Pela Policias Politicas, APERJ. 7. C. For example, ATC 1960.06.25, Centro de Pesquia e Documentação de Historia Contemporanea, Fundação Getulio Vargas, CPDOCFGV, CMA Pi Mariani, C. 1953.09.17, CPDOCFGV, CMA Pi Mariani, C. 1953.09.17, CPDOCFGV, CMA Pi Mariani, C. 1977.09.01, CPDOCFGV, GCK 1951.01.10, CPDOCFGV, and LFC 1929.10.24, CPDOCFGV.
8. CCMA Pi Mariani, C. 1977.09.01, CPD OCFGV. 9. For the role the discussion had in the 1960s and the various permutations that the law assumed over time, see, for example, is Boko initial du plano de restructure ka a more systemic fight for reform, 111 de Universidade du Brasil, cakes of 46, and, ayudo sober organização universitaria, cakes of 49, called São Paulo de Assis Ribeiro, Arquivo Nacional, AN. See also, Projeto de Lei de Camera number 13 to 1960, Fixo as der e Bases de Educação Nacional, Cakes 243, Colt Sao Paulo de Assis Ribeiro, AN. 10. Lutatul Pela Reform Universitaria, 13, Colt Sao Livros Aprendidos Pela Policias Politicas, APERJ. 11. Lutatul Pela Reform Universitaria, 29, Colts Out Livros Aprendidos Pela Policias Politicas, APERJ. 12. Victoria and Langland, Speaking of Flowers, Student Movements and Collective Memory in Authoritarian Brazil, PhD Dissertation, Yale University, 2004, 4647. 13. Interview conducted with E. P. The 26th of November 2007. 14. Lutatul Pela Reform Universitaria. 30. Colts Out Livros Aprendidos Pela Policias Politicas. APERJ. 15. Scholars of Education in Brazil debate the actual date of formation of Brazil's FRST University. THE University of Rio de Janeiro. Established in 1920, was little more than the combination of already existing schools of law, medicine, and engineering. Some suggest that, since these schools already existed, the FRST Real University was the University de São Paulo, established in 1934. See Luis Antonio Cunha, 1982, Chapter 3, and Raimundo Martin da Silva, Four Centuries of Struggle. The idea of a Brazilian university and its history, Ph.D. dissertation, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, 1982, Chapter 5. Here I consider the University of Rio de Janeiro to be the FRST Brazilian University. 16. For more on this visit and its impact on social policy in Rio de Janeiro, see Suen Caulfield, in defense of honor, Durham. N.C., Duke University Press, 2000, Chapter 2. 17. Luis Alberto Gomez de Sousa, a J.U.C., O.S.S. Students Catalicos e Politica, Petropolis, Editor of Osas, 1984, 75. 18. Maria dos Gracas M. Ribeiro, Educa Superior Brasileira, Reforma e Diversifica Cacao Institutional, PhD Dissertation, Universidade de São Francisco, 2002-18. 19c, for example, Lutatul Pela Reform Universitaria, 20, Colts Out Livros Aprendidos Pela Policias Politicas, APERJ. 20, 
Discurso pronunciado na ceremonia de abertura dos cursos superiores da Universidade do Brasil, 1-3, A.T. Pagulart, J. 1963.00.00, CPDOCFGV. 21, Ludatul Pela Reform Universitaria, 28, Colts Out Livros Aprendidos Pela Policias Politicas, APERJ, Carta do Parana. Anexo the second in Maria de Lourdes de A. Favaro, a UNEM Tempos de Autoritarismo, Rio de Janeiro, Editor UFRG, 1995, XXXIXXCIX. 22. A Vitalism K.A. de Universidade Brasileira, Discurso Inspirador de Reunião de Reitores em Brasilia e Publica de Na Revista Brasileira de Ayudos Pedagogicos, 1. A.T. Pai Brito. AO 1961.11.29, CPDOCFGV. 23, C. Comentario, Sam Asinatura, Sobro Artigo de Anicio Tixera, No Journal Ultima Hora, ATPISS. 1964.00.00-3, CPDOCFGV, is Boco de Programa de Governo. 21 September 1961. RCE AG 1961.09.21, Pasta A CPDOCFGV, and, Plano Triennal de Disinvolvimento Economico e Social, Volume 1, 1963-1965, RCE AG 1961.09.21, Pasta IV, CPDOCFGV. 24, Antiprogito. Campanha Institucional em Favor dos Classes Conservadores do Brasil, 12, CMA PISS, 1961.00.00, CPDOCFGV, 112, Fresh Battles in Old Struggles, 25, Barbara Weinstein offers a great analysis of how, Far from remaining passive in the face of workers' organization, business elites form their own labor organizations in an effort to shape the workers' movement toward the owner's own interests from the 1930s up to and beyond 1964. Although her focus is more on labor policy than education, she also demonstrates how the two could and did overlap, especially in technical education. See Barbara Weinstein. For Social Peace in Brazil, Industrialists and the Remaking of the Working Class in Sao Paulo, 1920-1964, Chapel Hill, THE University of North Carolina Press, 1997. 26. Clarence W. Hall, THE Country DHX Saved Itself, Reader's Digest, November 1964, 137. Hall's Publication. Originally written in the American edition, wound up being retranslated into Portuguese and passed around in IPE Circumflex S's publications. For the presence of military leaders, including Goldberry Cauto e Silva, the future chief of staff to President Ernesto Geisel, 1974-1979, see Instituto de Pesquias e Ayudos Sociais de Guanabara. IPE Circumflex SGB, Relatorio Annual Referente a 1968, 6, Pacote 5, Cakes of 37, Coltsau IPE Circumflex S, AN, and, Discriminação dos Contribuicos dos Associados M 1969, 1 no semester, Pacote 1, 
Cakes a 10, Colts IP Circumflex S. A.N. For more on the Association of Business Leaders and Military Officers, see also René Armand Dreyfus. 1964. A Conquista du Adu. A Sao Politica, Pottery Galp de Classe, Rio de Janeiro. Editor of Osas, 1981, 174-176. For more on the formation of elite labor organizations, C. Weinstein, 1997. 27. Programa para o Forum de Debates a ser realizado pelo Rotary Club, com cooperacaia do IPE circumflex S, sobre o tema, casas de encaídas ao social no Brasil and seminario do IPE circumflex S, cakes a 317, colts ao Paulo de Assis Ribeiro, an. See also, Symposio sobre a Reforma de Edicação, Documento Basico, Cakes of 301, Colt Sao Paulo de Assis Ribeiro, A.N. 28. Universidade na Empresa, Cakes of 21, Colt Sao IPE Circumflex S, A.N. 29. Oficio Sacredo No. 377-IPM slash CNTI and Oficio Sacredo No. 420-IPM slash CNTI. Cakes at 21, Colts out IPE circumflex S, AN. 30. Analyst do movimento estudantil a partir de 1964, 1, dossier 6, Colts particulars. Jean Mark van der Weide, APERJ. 31. As just one example of this, Luis Antonio Cunha mentions that, between 1964 and 1968, the number of candidates per vaga in medical schools in Brazil wavered between 6.3 and 8.3 candidates. Cunha, a Universidade Reformanda, o Galp de 1964 e a do Ensino Superior, Rio de Janeiro, Francisco Alves, 1988, 88, see also, Noé do Rio, a Primera Cidade Universitaria do Brasil, Iniciativa Histórica. 1967-1970, Pasta 3, Colts Our Nani Amaro Pejodo, CPTOCFGV. 32. Informacaya number 271 DPPSRJ, Servico de Cadastro e Documentação, SCD, the 23rd of September 1968, Pasta 3031, Colts Audio PS, APERJ. In Bahia, Students occupied the rectors of FISA because of the bad quality of food in the university restaurant and the small number of student residential facilities compared to the large student body. CCMA Pi Fraga, A. 64.03.047, CPTOCFGV. For the reference to restrooms and drinking fountains, see, Analyse do Movimento Estudantil a partir de 1964, 1. Dossier 6, Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts Sao G. Mark van der Weide, APERJ. 33, C, for example, Inform S.O., the 14th of October 1966, Pasta 5, Colts Sao D.O.P.S., APERJ, Revista do T.C. Liver Alexandra van Uchilim, U.S.P., Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts Sao G. Mark van der Weide. APERJ, 
Document 6, Untitled, Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts Auger Ferreira de Sa, APERJ. See also Skidmore A More Systemic Fight for Reform, 113, 1988, Chapters 2-4, Coaster Caudo, 2003, Chapters 2-3, and Langland, 2004, Chapter 1. 34. From the standpoint of enforcement, the lay supplicy was minimally successful. UNE continued to meet illegally well into 1968 and beyond. Additionally, students simultaneously protested the government's attempted control of the students' central directories DCs, on campus, even while co-opting them and turning them into just another organ of the student movement. In spite of the difficulty in actually enforcing the lay supplicy, though, its importance in antagonizing students cannot be overstated. While there were voices of protest against the April coup and support for Goulart remained, many students, as with the rest of Brazilian society, were ambivalent about the military takeover, and were willing to wait and see what happened. With the lay supplicy, the student movement saw what Luis Antonio Cunha rightly calls the FRST moment of the FGHD against the student movement's organization in its own arena. Even radical students who were strongly opposed to the military government during the 1960s acknowledged the importance of the lay supplicy in radicalizing the student movement. See interview conducted with M. D. N. The 13th of August 2007. Interview conducted with F. G. The 10th of September 2007. And interview conducted with J. A. Conducted the 27th of December 2007. For student mobilizations within university organizations, see Nota Ofi Child UME, Fala 182, Pasta 6, Colts Audi OPS, APRJ. For quotation, C. Cunha, 1988, 60. For evidence of importance of lay supplicy to radical groups, see, Informe Estudantil Nacional de Politica Operaria, the 5th of August 1967, Dossi 11 of Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts Ao Daniel Arau Rice, APERJ. 35. Carta de Augusto do Amaral Pejodo Adersi Goncalves. AAP ALB 66.09.26 CPDOCFGV 36 C, for example, Informe Estudantil Nacional de Politica Operaria, the 5th of August 1967, Dossi 11, Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts Ao Daniel Arau Rice, APERJ, and Nota Ofi Child UME, Fala 182, Pasta 6. Colts Audi OPS, APERJ. 37. Guerra Popular No. 1, Anoai, October 1968. Dossi 9, Cakes of 5, Doc 245 of Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts Audi Daniel Arau Rice, APERJ. 38. Gaspari, 2002, 221. 39. Edu de Guanabara, Secretaria de Seguranca Publica, informs, SOSAA, 2,217,667, Ring 167, Fala 130, Colts Audi OPS, APERJ. 40. See Document 6, 
Untitled, 5. Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colzao Ferreira de Sa, APERJ. See also, Jarbas Passarinho, Minister of Labor under Costa e Silva and Minister of Education and Culture under General Emilio Garistaju Medici, 1969-1973, Um Hebrido Fertile, 3rd ed. Rio de Janeiro, Editor Expressao e Cultura, 1996-285. 41. Intercambio Cultural, of. Number 3666, JMC MRI, 66.03.15, Original Emphasis. 42. C. Daniel R. Al Rice, Ditador Militar, Esquare dos Esesidade, Rio de Janeiro, Jogarture Editor, da. 2005. 43. Medidas in Diodis to Comate a Revolucionaria, ACMPM 1964.10.00, CPDOCFGV. 44. Ministerio de Educação e Cultura, Diretoria de Ensino Superior, Convenio de Assessoria ao e Planjamento do Ensino Superior, May 1967. AAP Reverend 64-1967.05.09, CPDOCFGV, 114, Fresh Battles in Old Struggles. 45, Revista do DCE Liver Alexandra Vanucci Lim, 97, Doc, 10, Fundo Colcos Particulars, Coltsau G. Mark van der Weide, APERJ. 46, Ribeiro, 2002, 31. For Castelo Branco's recurring emphasis on the university's role in Brazilian development, see Humberto de Alencar Castelo Branco, Discursos, 3 volumes. Brasilia, Secretaria de Imprensa, 1965-1967. 47. Plano Dicinal de Desenvolvimento Economico e Social, Tomo the Sixth, Volume 1. I.I.I. Educa e mau de obra, versal preliminar, Ministerio do Planjamento e Coordinação Econômica, Brasilia, 1967-1617. 48. Plano Dicinal de Desenvolvimento Econômico e Social, Tomo the Sixth, Volume 1, I.I.I. 99. 49. In addition to MECUSAID agreements in 1965 and 1967, there were a handful of other studies on higher education that the government commissioned prior to 1968. See Sofia Larica Vieira, O. Dis de Reform Universitaria, Fortaleza, Sierra, Eticos Universidade Federal do Sierra Prode, 1982, Chapter 2. 50. Gaspari. 2002, 233. 51. C. Langland, 2004, Chapter 1, Caudo, 2003, Chapter 4, Favaro, 1995, 5972, and Zunir Ventura, 1968, Oa no que nao Rio de Janeiro, Editora Nova Frontier SA, 1988, for just some narratives of these events. 52, Passarinho, 1996, 318-319. 53, 
Si Maria Paula Araujo, Memorias Estudantes, Defundus Audone Aues Nasos Dios, Rio de Janeiro, Ediauro Publicacos Assay, 2007, 175. 54. For the importance of Edson Lewis's death as a symbol and in constructing memory in the student movement, see Langland, 2004, Chapters 1 and 4. 55. See, for example, Documento con endo expressos dos socios de SBPC Selbera 29, Feminine Ordinal Indicator Reunie Dossi 6, Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts G. Mark van der Weide, APERJ. 56, C. Florosu, Combining Diaresis 2nd, Coro, Contrarios, Massa, An Experiencia Tropicalistio Brasil Defends Dos Ano 60, in Carlos Basualdo, ed. Tropicalia, uma revolução na cultura brasileira, Rio de Janeiro, Museu de Arte Moderno, 2007, 3158. 57. Guerra Popular No. I, Ano I, October 1968, 34. Cakes of 5, Doc, 245, Dossi 9, Cold South Daniel R. Rice, APERJ. 58. Analyse do Movimento Estudantil, a partir de 1964, Dossi 6, Fundo Cold Colts out G. Mark van der Weide, APERJ. 59. Guerra Popular No. I, a No I, October 1968, p. 5. Cakes of 5, Doc, 245, Dossi 9, Colts out Fondos Particulars, Colts out Daniel R. Rice, APERJ. 60. See the second quotation at the beginning of this chapter. For more photographic evidence of this, see the photo archives of Memoria do Movimento Estudantil at http colon slash slash www.mme.org.br slash main dot asp question team equals percent seven b six c b six b three c four percent two d b six b f p e r c e n t two d forty five six percent two d eight b two a percent two d two eight six e d one five f two eight nine three percent seven d and Iraujo, Memoria Estudantil, 160, 178, 181, and 204. 61. Analyse do Movimento Estudantil a partir de 1964, 3, Dossi 6, Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts out G. Mark van der Weide, APERJ, for cases of invasions in Brasilia and Minas Gerais. See Antonio Gurgel, Ereblio dos Estudantes, Brasilia, 1968, Brasilia, Editor Reven, 2004, and the Luizio Pimento, Universidade, a Destruica de uma Experiencia Democrática, Petropolis, R.J., Editor Voces LTDE, 1984, respectively. 62. Analyse do Movimento Estudantil a partir de 1964, 3, Dossi 6, Fundo Colcos Particulars, Colts out G. Mark van der Weide, APERJ, A More Systemic Fight for Reform, 115. 63, 
Carta de Paulo de Almeida Salas Anicio Tixera, Informando LHE Envio de Copia de Mozao Pravada Pelo Plenario de Assemblea de Funda Que de Sociedade Pacialinos na Universidade Mackenzie, Sao Paulo, Photos 159-164, Roll 40, ATC 1960.06.25, CPDOC. 64. Interview conducted with J. F. The 19th of June 2007. 65. C. Gaspari, 2002-296-298. 66. Interview conducted with D. N. The 13th of August 2007. 67. Carta de Josio Sales Artor de Costa e Silva Solbera Sitro Ka do Ensino Superior no CUA, EUG 67.12.16, CPTOCFGV. 68. Reform Universitaria, 8. 69. Reform Universitaria, 11. 70. During his administration, Fernando Henrique Cardoso, 1994-2002 launched another major university reform that sought to undo many of the changes initiated by the dictatorship, including reducing the number of federal universities in favor of private institutions. See Ribeiro, 2002, Chapters 4-5. 71. Sisu, Combining Diaresis 2nd, 2007. 72, C, for example, and Carmen Jimento number 7375 DPPSINTRJ, Edu do Rio de Janeiro, Secretaria de Seguranca Publica DPPSINTRJ, the 25th of August 1975, 50, Pasta 40, Colt PS. Archivo Publico do Edu de Rio de Janeiro, APERJ, and Journal de Enganaria Anno the 4th, Number 8, June 1975, 1, DGIDPPSDOSB, Saitsao de Boscasas BCAs, and Carmen Jimento number 049, the 23rd of June 1975, Pasta 40, Colt Saudio PS, APERJ. 73, C. Langland, 2004, Chapter 4. 74, C. Colin Snyder, Uniting to defend THR interests, student movements, the state, and educational policy in Brazil, 1977-1985. Paper presented at the XXVIII International Congress of the Latin American Studies Association, the 11th of June 2009. Chapter 6 Speaking the Language of Protest African Student Rebellions at the Catholic Major Seminary in Colonial Zimbabwe. 1965-1979 Nicholas Creary, THR Lordships The bishops regret that due to the recent events they are obliged to order the temporary closure of the regional major seminary. THS marked the end of a process which commenced on Monday, the 30th September 1974, when the entire student body, with the exception of four students, boycotted lectures and retired to the football pitch. One. Kevin Kinane, Secretary General of the Rhodesian Catholic Bishops' Conference, 1974 between 1965 and 1979 The Catholic Major Seminary of Saints John Fisher and T. H. Omis Moore at Chishawasha, near Salisbury, Rhodesia, 
experienced extended periods of rebellion by African students, resulting in the seminary having to be closed on three separate occasions. THE's dates coincided with the conclusion of the Second Vatican Council, 1962-1965, the Rhodesian Front Unilateral Declaration of Independence, UDI, on the 11th of November 1965 and African nationalists waging an armed struggle for the liberation of Zimbabwe, 1966-1979. Following the student rebellion and seminary closure in 1974, the Rhodesian bishops removed the seminary from the administration of the Jesuit fathers who had run the seminary since its founding in 1936. A combination of factors contributed to increased student protests, including changes in the canonical administrative structures of the seminary that resulted in ambiguous lines of authority in seminary governance, and the influence of different missionaries' perspectives on the church and African culture in minor seminaries run by different religious orders from the Jesuits. The relatively intellectually open environment in the minor seminaries under the Bethlehem missionaries and the Carmelite, combined with increasing sentiments of African nationalism on the part of the seminarians and an increasingly aging and reactionary Jesuit community, set the stage for the rebellions that would shake the seminary in the 1960s and 1970s. A failed effort to integrate the seminary speaking the language of protest, 117 racially in 1965 ignited African students' frustrations and aspirations into activism and protest. While the escalating political tensions in colonial Zimbabwe certainly contributed to the seminarians' increasing consciousness of themselves as African Christians, the primary cause of the students' activism in the 1960s and 1970s was the Jesuits' failure to break with the dominant white Rhodesian culture and its paternalistic mindset. Th's failure on the part of the Jesuits is indicative of their larger failure to enculturate the Catholic Church at their missions in colonial Zimbabwe. As such, African seminarians' expressions of nationalism were part of a broader struggle to decolonize the Catholic Church. Seminary beginnings to Bantu language-speaking groups populated the territory of contemporary Zimbabwe, the Vashona, who entered southern Africa as early as the 9th century, and the Amandabil, who came to western Zimbabwe during the FRST half of the 19th century amid the disturbances associated with the rise of the Zulu state. Two Jesuit priests served as chaplains when British settlers financed by Cecil Rhodes British South Africa Company, BSAC, invaded Mashonaland in 1890 and Matabularland in 1893. The colonizers seized Africans' land and cattle and established the colony of Rhodesia in 1890. Jesuit superiors received extensive land grants to establish permanent mission stations in and around Salisbury and Bulawayo. BSAC and settlers established large-scale mining and commercial farming operations on lands confiscated from African inhabitants. As in South Africa, the financial success of both systems depended on exploiting cheap African migrant labor. Three in 1896, the Vashona and Amandibil rebelled against BSAC. African religious leaders played significant roles in planning, organizing, and coordinating armed resistance against BSAC. The rebellion, called Kimiringa in Chishona, drastically impeded Christian churches' missionary efforts in colonial Zimbabwe. BSAC suppressed the Kimiringa in 1897 
and after the rebellion, European missionaries began evangelizing aggressively. For amid growing African nationalism and pressure from London to allow Africans to participate in government, Rhodesian settlers sought to maintain white supremacy by unilaterally declaring independence in 1965. Rhodesia became a pariah state denied of official recognition by other countries and subject to international economic sanctions. In 1966, the Zimbabwe African National Union GNU, began the second Kimiringa against the Rhodesian state. The war raged until 1979, and on the 18th of April 1980, Rhodesia became the Republic of Zimbabwe with a government chosen by the African majority. 118. Fresh Battles in Old Struggles The Seminary of Saints John Fisher and Th. Omas Morafija opened at Chishawashal Mission on 1 January 1936, with eight candidates for the priesthood and four candidates for the Diocesan Brotherhood of St. Peter Claver. Thefrst buildings were made of thatch and mud and permanent structures were built between 1942 and 1945, largely with the labor of Italian prisoners of war. Five. By 1940, the FRSD seminarians began their studies in philosophy, and the seminary of Fijali became a major seminary in 1944.6. Despite the gradual increase in academic standards, the Jesuit staff geared the course of studies at Chishawasha to what they perceived as the low educational level of the students and focused on preparing the seminarians to be mission or parish priests. As was the custom in the pre-Vatican, the Second Church, philosophy, and theology courses were taught in Latin. Courses for the major seminarians focused mainly on theoretical scholastic philosophy and theology, defending theses with three examiners. Seven THEFRST seminarians from the Chishawasha Seminary to become priests were ordained in 1947, and were required to spend an additional pastoral year at the seminary. The regional major seminary and student protests in 1955, the Vatican established the hierarchy in southern Rhodesia. Salisbury became a metropolitan see and suffragancies were established in Bulawayo, Guilo, Umtali and WANKIE.9 Aston Chichester was installed as Archbishop in April.10 in 1956. Francis Markall succeeded Chichester as Archbishop of Salisbury.11. The erection of the hierarchy had a significant impact on the seminary. In 1958, Jesuit Father Francis McEwen became seminary rector.12 Also in 1958, Propaganda Fi decreed Chishawasha Regional Seminary.13 Previously, the superior of the Jesuit community served as the de facto superior of the seminary, reporting to the bishop and de jure superior of a diocesan seminary. As such, the bishop had a canonical right and responsibility to visit the seminary under his jurisdiction, even if he entrusted its administration to a religious institute, such as the Jesuits in this case. As a regional seminary, however, Chishawasha was to serve candidates from all the dioceses in southern Rhodesia. As such, the seminary became the property of the Vatican and came under the responsibility of propaganda fide, which entrusted the administration to the Jesuits. The bishops were free to interact and direct their respective candidates, but did not have the canonical right or responsibility to visit the seminary. Rather, 
They were required to meet each year to receive and discuss the report of the rector on the moral and economic state of the seminary, and any observations they may wish to make to the rector will generally be communicated to him by the local ordinary, the Archbishop of Salisbury. 14. Speaking the language of protest. 119. The change in the seminary's status resulted in confusion concerning the role and authority of the bishops in the seminary's governance and an ambiguous relationship between the seminary rector and the newly established seminary board of bishops. 15. Th's ambiguity was one of the significant factors that contributed to the rise and expression of student protests at the seminary in the 1960s and 1970s. The drive to make Chishawasha exclusively a major seminary was another significant contributing factor to the rise of seminarian radicalism. Prior to 1958, there had never been more than seven staff members teaching at the seminary at any time, and after 1940, they were required to teach both minor and major seminarians. One six by the 1950s, the number of seminarians had increased to the point that Chichester had to solicit funding to expand the seminary physical plant and seek additional money for their support. One seven in 1953, there were 55 students. By 1956, the number had increased to 76.18 as rector. Francis McEwen pursued the separation of the minor seminarians vigorously, hoping to ease an increasingly acute staffing problem resulting from the shortage of Jesuits in the Zambezi mission, the growing number of minor seminarians, and the disparity in ages between incoming minor seminarians and older major seminarians. 19. Beginning with the 1963 academic year, the Seminary of Saints John Fisher and T.H. Omis Moore at Chishawasha became a regional major. Seminary.20 Candidates for the priesthood were then sent to minor seminaries at Chiquinguijanirguelo or Melsetter in the Umtali, Diocese.21 As a result of this decision, African candidates for the priesthood were exposed to different perspectives on the church and African culture from those of the Jesuits. THEFECTs of that exposure were significant. THE Swiss Bethlehem Mission Fathers, whom Chichester invited to take charge of the southern part of the Salisbury Vicariate in 1938, ran the minor seminary at Chiquinguijha. Unlike the Jesuits, the Bethlehem missionaries took a very positive view of African culture, and greatly encouraged the incorporation of African cultural symbols and vocabulary into the corpus of the churches. Practice.22 By and throughout the 1970s there were more students from the Guello Diocese at Chishawasha Major Seminary than from any other diocese, and in 1977 more than from the dioceses of Salisbury and Bulawayo together. Between 1973 and 1976, nine African priests were ordained for the Guello Diocese, compared with six for Bulawayo, four for Umtali and two each for Wonky and Salisbury.23 The relatively intellectually open environment in the minor seminaries under the Bethlehem missionaries and the Carmelite, who took charge of the eastern districts of southern Rhodesia beginning in 1946, 24 combined with increasing sentiments of African nationalism on the part of the seminarians and an increasingly aging and reactionary Jesuit community set the stage for the rebellions that shook the seminary in the 1960s and 1970s. By the 1950s, 
African nationalism in southern Rhodesia was on the rise with the renaissance of the Industrial and Commercial Workers' Union, ICU, 120, fresh battles in old struggles and the founding of the National Democratic Party in 1959. African nationalism began to manifest itself in the seminary during this period as, well, .25, Jesuit documents make frequent references to, less visible respect for authority, challenges to authority, and, lack of respect, including a seminarian proclaiming to a staff member that Rhodesia needed a, Mau Mau and another incident in which an African deacon struck a Jesuit priest on staff. Point two six The rector, Francis McEwen, reported that, the seminarians seemed to be far too conscious of their own status and dignity, and too ready to feel slighted and offended. 2070 are frequent references to the seminarians' awareness of the political situation, and that this was causing the problems. African priests who spent their fifth year at Chishawasha were not only becoming less willing to be treated in the same manner as seminarians, but apparently did not consider themselves as seminarians, as was shown by the fact that they tended to ignore notices addressed to seminarians, and that the seminarians were slack in raising their hats to priests and on a number of similar points. 28 Francis McEwen noted that the FDH year has difficulties of its own, the chief being the mental or psychological adjustment necessary to live as a priest and yet one in state to pupil lorry. According to McEwen, bishops should have withheld the FDH year priest faculties and delayed their attendance at annual diocesan clergy conferences to help remind them that they are still student priests. 29 Another Jesuit priest on staff expressed concern that a FDH year African priest reported that the African workmen at the seminary were complaining of their wages and considered it dangerous if the seminarians went around inquiring into such matters and sympathizing with the workmen. 30th's attitude is indicative of the Jesuits' enduring paternalism and reflective of their growing isolation from the seminarians' concerns. During his annual visitation to the seminary in 1961, Salisbury Mission Superior T. E. Corriglin thought it incredible that the seminarians would talk politics and found it necessary to suggest means of controlling this. 31 in 1962, Corrig noted that the staff was worried about the general discipline, the contact and knowledge of the staff with regard to the seminarians, and the corresponding personal confidence that individual seminarians have in the staff. Urging the staff to make a very positive effort to know and be at the disposal of the students, Corrigan observed that it seemed that the Jesuit community is dangerously isolated from the seminarians, and consequently confidence and discipline are endangered. THR is also a very great danger that accurate knowledge of individual seminarians is lacking. 32 by 1963, although Corrigan commended the staff for having decided to take two meals per day with the students, he also scolded them for not having done anything to improve the lines of communication with the seminarians. In fact, the staff had revised the seminary constitutions and customs book in order to impose a stricter regime. Corrigan urged the cooperation of all to make it reasonable. 33 According to Jesuit Father Patrick Maloney, 
The staff had established a little Jesuit enclave at the speaking the language of protest, 121 seminary. 34 As late as 1974, it was common for Jesuit professors to tell African seminarians who asked in-depth philosophical questions in class not to bother with it as they were being trained to be simple parish priests. 35 1965, an attempt at racial integration the idyllic enclave came to an abrupt end. In 1964, Francis McEwen proposed and received approval from the bishops to enroll two white students at the seminary for the 1965 academic year. 36. Apparently, he did so without either having consulted the other members of the staff or having notified them that he would be stepping down as rector and leaving for sabbatical in 1965. Four students arrived from the segregated seminary of St. John Vianney in Pretoria. Less than a week after the term began, John Diamond, McEwen's successor, noted that the white students had expressed great dissatisfaction with the food, accommodations, timetable, and general living conditions. THA have allied themselves quickly with the professional malcontents. 37 THA adamantly opposed manual labor, especially laundry. 38 Although two of them, Jeff Ray Goodwin and Peter Saunders, left the seminary less than three weeks after the term began, alleging that they were grossly misled by Father McEwen as to conditions here. 39 Their grievances resonated with the African seminarians, who sent an anonymous letter of complaint to the Southern Rhodesian bishops from the seminary group. Despite the institution of daily afternoon tea for all the seminarians at the end of February.40, additionally, one of the two remaining white students, Anthony Turner, sent a lengthy memorandum on how the seminary should be run to Francis Markall, the Archbishop of Salisbury and chairman of the seminary board of bishops, after Turner left the seminary in April.41. According to Father Christopher Gardner, the fourth seminarian from St. John Vianney and the only one to stay past the FRST term of the 1965 academic year, the students were treated as second-class citizens compared to the Jesuits. We began talking with the other students about St. John's, and their eyes opened up. THE Jesuits told them this is how it was at other seminaries. We told them that they, the Jesuits, were using and abusing you. 42 THE4 decided to rebel by not going to manual labor. We stayed in our rooms and read, said Father Gardner, THR was conflict from the beginning. When they were not punished for their disobedience, Many of the African students question what they perceived to be differential treatment by the Jesuits, a charge John Diamond denied vehemently in the ensuing imbroglio with the bishops.43. According to Gardner, the African students were disappointed when Saunders, Goodwin, and Turner left.44. Gardner stated that Saunders, Turner, and Goodwin had approached Markall, their bishop, about transferring to Chishawasha from Pretoria.45 Gardner, the only one of the four born in Rhodesia, spoke with Adolf Schmidt, the 122, fresh battles in old struggles Bishop of Bulawayo. Whereas Mark all had some reservations about admitting the white students to Chishawasha, Schmidt was opposed because the seminary was not ready for integration. 
It would cause problems for the staff and students. 4060HE letter from the seminary group written at the end of February and received by the bishops in mid-March 47 alleged that the students had been complaining to the seminary authorities for years, yet nobody hears us. THA complained that the books in the library were at least 25 years old, all written by Jesuits and contained no modern philosophy. THE timetable was too rigid, not allowing enough time for study, and they were merely studying for examinations. As they wanted more time to read widely, accordingly, they proposed a new timetable. THE students also wanted more vacation time and to be allowed to spend vacations away from the seminary. With the money they would save from not being at the seminary during vacations, they requested that it be used to provide morning and afternoon tea. THE Seminary Group also asked that ordinations be moved from December to August-September due to the rains limiting access to the event, and that their relatives be allowed to visit, as they are becoming secular priests and not an order or the like. 48 In addition to criticizing every aspect of life at the seminary, Turner also accused the Jesuits of being too paternal and looking down on the African clergy and students as second-rate. Consequently, Turner believed there was an anti-Jesuit feeling among the Africans of southern Rhodesia. Despite the tensions that the four white students' presence caused, Christopher Gardner believed that the Jesuits wanted the experiment to work. On Sundays, breakfast was prepared around five o'clock in the morning and those of us who served the Mass at Chishawasha Mission didn't eat until after 10 o'clock. One Sunday in 1966 there were weevils in the porridge which had a hard crust on top. I complained to the refectorian, who said he couldn't do anything about it and to complain to Father Maloney. I was in my second year, so I picked up porridge and went to show it to Diamond. THE other students were afraid of what was going to happen. THR was a staff meeting in the rector's office, and I put it on Diamond's desk and said, Would you eat this? Maloney grabbed me and yelled, Down to my office. He read me the riot act. He told me I was taking advantage of my white skin. He told me to tell everyone to be in the refectory in a half an hour. We went back in a half an hour, and at Maloney's order there were eggs and bacon, toast and tea. Diamond then called a meeting and said there would be changes, better food and afternoon tea. And there were. THing's radically changed. 49 THs is confirmed by the minutes of the numerous seminary consultors' meetings dealing with the issue of how to keep Christopher Gardner at Chishawasha.50 speaking the language of protest. 123 THE Jesuits frequently complained of the poor educational abilities of the African seminarians. 51 Yet by the 1960s, they were becoming aware of the problem of the poor quality of the men that were teaching at the seminary. 52 Diamond did not take the criticisms of either the seminary group or Anthony Turner seriously. He thought Turner's memorandum was really only a heavy joke and he characterized the anonymous letter as not typical. However, it is a typical example of a certain type of African opportunism and meanness. 53 Because Turner apparently sent a revised copy of his memorandum to Francis Markle after he left the seminary on the 12th of April 1965, 
On the 5th of May the Board of Bishops met and decided to ask Propaganda Fide to approve an external investigation of the seminary by someone experienced in seminary administration in countries similar to Rhodesia in background, and commissioned Margall as chairman to draft and send a letter of request to Rome. The bishops action sparked an immediate and furious response from Diamond and the Jesuit superior of the Salisbury mission, Edward Ennis. In a flurry of correspondence between Diamond, Markall, and Jesuit superiors in London and Rome, and is pressed hard to prevent Markall from sending the letter to Propagandified, and by June had succeeded in making the bishops back down. Ennis and Diamond argued that in 1958 Chishawasha came under Propagandified's control when it became a regional seminary, which entrusted its administration to the Jesuits. Prior to the Rhodesian bishops' decision of 5 May 1965, there had been no criticism of the Jesuits' administration by either of the bishops or Propagandified. THS calling for an external investigation of the seminary without having previously notified either Diamond or Ennis was not only a gross discourtesy, but an unwarranted drastic measure that would signal a vote of no confidence by the bishops in the seminary administration, the rector in particular, would undermine the authority of the seminary administration and compromise discipline among the students, and would signal to the seminarians that such behavior could achieve results and reward malcontents for inappropriate behavior. Th's latter reason was particularly unpalatable to the Jesuits given their view that the failed effort at integration had caused such difficulties through no fault of their own, but because the four whites from Pretoria were not the right students with whom to try such an experiment. Five five. Evidently, Diamond kept all information of the conflict between the bishops and himself in Ennis not only from the students, but from the seminary staff as well. Five six. Although Diamond had not taken the seminarian's letters seriously, and had intended to let matters at the seminary cool off by themselves, the events of May 1965 were not lost on him. On the 22nd of June, he held a seminary staff meeting and asked his fellow Jesuits to consider whether any modifications of existing rules and arrangements are desirable. 57 resulting from this failed integration experiment, Christopher Gardner and the African seminarians were allowed to go home for the vacation between the second and third terms. The daily order was changed to include more time 124, fresh battles in old struggles for study and less time at manual labor, ordinations were held in August, and washing machines were installed. 58 THE 1967 crisis THE year 1967 brought another crisis to the seminary. 59 According to Diamond, discipline declined throughout the year, including representations for increased study time and abolition of manual works, culminating in an ultimatum delivered by the Beadle, Constantine, Masongniku, 60 Although Diamond noted that study time had been almost doubled to four hours per day since 1965, he decided to close the seminary on the 10th of October 1967, and send the students home for further reflection. On the 1st of November, when all the seminarians except Mashinganyako were allowed to return, they were required to sign an understanding to abide by seminary rules, manual work, etc. 61 Given that, 
Unlike the 1965 integration episode, the seminary closed in 1967, there is relatively little documentation of the incident. On the 12th of October, Diamond sent a letter to the bishops and to Edward Ennis explaining his rationale for closing the seminary. The white students in 1965 had succeeded in conveying to our seminarians the impression that they were receiving treatment inferior to that of seminarians elsewhere just because they were Africans. Masonganika had been away from the seminary on pastoral probation in 1966, and upon returning brought demands for more study time and morning tea and an end to manual works, culminating in the petition signed by 15 seminarians. According to Diamond, subsequent investigation revealed that Mashunganyika coerced younger seminarians to sign the petition, and the decision to close the seminary was an effort to prevent irreparable damage to the vocations of the younger seminarians as well as to facilitate getting rid of the unhealthy elements who were at the root of the troubles. 62 Mashunganyika, however, claimed that he was merely bringing the concerns of the majority to the seminary administration in his capacity as prefect, and that there wasn't any defiance of authority. The petition came from the majority of students, and there were four or five who didn't want anything to do with it, of whom three were asked to remain behind to answer staff questions, alleging coercion.63 as in 1965, the bishops apparently wanted to call in an external commission to make a visitation of the seminary, 64 and Diamond responded with the same argument against an external investigation. Unlike 1965, however, there is only one letter from Diamond extant, which appears to be the only evidence of Jesuit resistance to Episcopal interference in the seminary administration. THI was also no process of self-REF election on the part of the seminary staff or any effort to consider student demands. THI was, however, a confidential two-page summary of comments on seminary training by Phoebe recently ordained African priests, which indicated a speaking the language of protest, 125 perception of a condescending, paternalistic attitude on the part of the Jesuits, a narrow focus on scholastic philosophy and no knowledge of African life on the part of the staff, and an overemphasis on the seminary constitution and custom book, too much manual work, and priests having to observe the same rules as seminarians. The Jesuits did not regard you as a priest. The young priest concluded that there was no contact, let alone dialogue, between staff and students. It was a master-servant attitude. The trouble in October was not a matter which came suddenly, nor was it instigated by one seminarian, it could and should have come three years earlier. It was brewing all the time. Father Diamond tried to improve things but was too hesitant and did not have the cooperation of the other staff members. During the 1960s, although the seminary staff eyeing crisis became more acute, Diamond and his confreres at the seminary FL lately refused a suggestion that the Carmelite and Bethlehem missionaries be invited to assist in staff eyeing the seminary. 66 in 1970. Edward Ennis advised the bishops that staff eyeing at the seminary was minimal and that the majority of the staff was of an advanced age. He believed it a matter of great urgency that an African priest be appointed to the staff, and that, 
thought should be given to preparing selected seminarians for future teaching in the seminary. 67 Although the bishops agreed with Ennis's points and sent two African priests for higher studies, 68 They made no effort to appoint an African priest or a priest of a different religious order to the seminary staff until 1975. The 1974 strike by 1974, African seminarians were no longer willing to endure feeling like they were being trained to be second-class priests. 69 private studies for O and A levels were rampant, and lectures challenged the seminarians to want to be liberated not just politically but intellectually, socially, and spiritually. We wanted to have the totality of liberation. 70 The 1974 strike began Saturday, the 28th of September. When seminary rector John Barrell dismissed Deacon Ernest Mukaiwapazi for extended improper conduct. 71 The following day, the theologians met on the football pitch to determine a course of action, and drafted a letter to Barrell in support of Mukaiwapazi signed by six recent ordinands. 72 The students were very disturbed by the manner in which Barrell tried to remove Mukaiwapazi secretly. 73 DHA feared that what has happened to Ernest may be going to happen to many more and therefore we feel in conscience that things be put right for the good of the Church of God and asked to meet with the rector following night. Prayers.74 THE two sides met 126. Fresh battles in old struggles after afternoon tea and Barrel refused to discuss the reasons for Mukulpas' dismissal. The priests informed their fellow students that the meeting had been a complete failure. 75. One can say that it was here on Sunday evening that the students decided to speak a language that was going to make Father Rector see that he was badly understanding the students and that he was underestimating their deep feelings. TH's language, sorry to say, took the form of a protest. 76 On Monday, the 30th of September, the strike began in earnest with the boycotting of classes until Ernest Mukaiwapazi returned to the seminary. All but four of the students, including two priests, withdrew to the football pitch, except for meals and spiritual duties. 77 During meals the strikers maintained a rigid silence. Beryl Natifayed the bishop's secretary-general who in turn Natifayed Archbishop Markall. The rector and seminary consultors decided that they could not meet the students' demands. 78 The following day, the priest organizers tried and failed to meet with Patrick McNamara, the Jesuit superior, and with Archbishop Markall and Bishop Patrick Akaipa. Tensions escalated on Wednesday, the 2nd of October. At Mass that morning, one of the non-striking priests was the principal celebrant. All the strikers declined to make the sign of the cross at the beginning of Mass, declined to answer the responses except those to the reader and when the celebrant and a deacon were distributing communion, only 12 or 15 came to receive the sacrament. 79 at meals, those students who were working in the kitchen were outrageously rude to the sisters in the kitchen. 80 Barrel and some of the consultors met with the student priests, strikers and non-strikers in an effort to save the seminary from moral and physical ruin and destruction if a way could be found. The priests claimed that Mucoulpus's dismissal was the only issue when Barrel asked if there were deeper issues 
and they asked for a key singer to be brought in as a facilitator to take the heat out of the situation. His Grace, Markal or Bishop Akaipa was suggested. 81 neither were available to mediate. Later that night, anonymous threatening letters were placed under the doors of several staff members. On T.H. Day, the 3rd of October, efforts to secure a mediator failed again, and the incidents of rude and insulting behavior on the part of the strikers toward the non-strikers and staff increased. 82 on Friday, the 4th of October, the students' efforts to contact Bishop Akaipa failed again. T.H.E. Bishop's Secretary General, Father Kevin Kinane, informed the other bishops of the strike, and efforts at negotiation between the seminary staff and the strike leaders also failed. In the afternoon, a reporter from the Rhodesia Herald came out to the seminary, and Markall finally arrived to meet with Barrow and the seminary consultors. Markall told the staff that the seminary would have to be closed, and left the details to BERRELL.83 on the morning of Saturday, the 5th of October. Barrel gave Father Ignatius Mahanda, one of the strike leaders, a letter announcing the closure of the seminary. Mahanda read the letter to his fellow strikers, and they all withdrew to the football pitch. Mahanda and two other priests speaking the language of protest, 127 returned from the football pitch with a notice of closure saying the rector's signature was not sufficient. THA needed a document from Father Kinane to prove that the bishops really did endorse the closure of the seminary. Father Kinane kindly consented to come at once and brought the necessary documents from the Archbishop and the Secretariat, going with these to the football pitch and eventually convincing the strikers that they must pack and go.84 THE strikers asked if they could stay until the morning of Monday, the 7th of October as transportation to their home dioceses would be easier than on Saturday or Sunday. Beryl agreed on the condition that the strikers behave themselves. 85. According to Beryl, silence and surliness and worse rudeness to the staff continued. Some spent Saturday night annoying and attempting to terrorize members of staff on the internal telephone system, which had to be disconnected. The same rudeness and surliness continued through Sunday. 86 on the morning of Monday, the 7th of October, the seminarians attended Mass at 5.30, ate breakfast at 6.00, and then loaded the bus that would take them to Salisbury. The seminarians then ascended the terrace steps, formed a group and sang, Ishkambora Africa, God Bless Africa 87 and a folk hymn about going home after all these wasted years, whilst the rector and staff members stood by. The whole group of seminarians were then solemnly blessed by Father Mhanda, entered the bus in silence and departed. 88 following the 1974 strike against Jesuit objections. The bishops appointed an external commission to investigate the causes of the strike and to make recommendations for the long-term restructuring of the seminary. The commission concluded that the situation in the seminary had been tense for some time and Ernest Mukulpas's dismissal was the spark that set it off. It recommended that the seminarians not be punished collectively, rather that each bishop deal with each seminarian individually.
and that the seminary be reopened for the FRST term of February 1975 with Beryl as rector through the end of the year and an African priest as vice-rector with right of succession in 1976.89 THS. After 40 years the seminary's administration passed from the Jesuits to African priests. Approximately 40 of the 107 seminarians returned in 1975. Several of those who did not return joined guerrillas feeding against the Smith regime. 90The atmosphere at the seminary under Father Tobias Chiginian proved significantly. Chigini was quite adept and defused many of the students' concerns, including granting them an elected student representative. Council.91 He removed many of the petty rules that had been in force under the Jesuits and treated us as adults which was a great relief to the students. It was what we were waiting for all along, reflected Father Walter Nyatsanza. There were, however, tensions between Shona and Debele students that generally followed the divisions between the nationalist parties, the Zimbabwe African National Union Genu, and the Zimbabwe African People's Union 128. Fresh battles in old struggles, ZAPU. Hell broke loose shortly before the 1979 elections when ZAPU supporters tore down Genu. Poster.92 Francis Mugadzi, Chigenia's successor as rector, had very little choice but to close the seminary, as there was almost war between the students. 93THE Seminary did not reopen until after independence in April 1980. Conclusion in a commentary assessing the causes of the 1974 strike, Jesuit W.F. reopined that many Africans became Catholics and entered the seminary for unworthy motives and mixed ones, alleging that they did so for the only higher educational opportunities available to them at the time. But when they see their contemporaries and secondary schools and the universities making more progress than they, he continued, they cannot face up to the fact that this is due to their own lack of capacity and blame everyone and everything except themselves. He similarly alleged that Africans chose to become priests for the social status that the advanced education that seminary training would bring them, and ultimately absolved the seminary administration of any responsibility for the strike, which, in his view, was the product of African frustration at the lack of status recognition combined with the political situation and bad treatment of the seminary by the bishops.94. It seems, however, that Ree himself was determined to place land for the strike everywhere except with his brother Jesuits. The seminary staff repeatedly refused to change in the face of rising student expectations and demands. They did not heed T. Corrigan's admonitions between 1961 and 1963. John Diamond thought the seminarians' complaints to the bishops in 1965 were a joke, nor did the staff take any action on the comments of the young African priests in 1967. While the escalating political tensions in colonial Zimbabwe certainly contributed to the seminarians' increasing consciousness of themselves as African Christians, the primary cause of the students' activism in the 1960s and 1970s was the Jesuits' failure to break with the dominant white Rhodesian culture and its paternalistic mindset. The Jesuits' failure at the seminary is indicative of their larger failure to enculturate the Catholic Church at their missions in colonial Zimbabwe. As such, 
African seminarians' expressions of nationalism were part of a broader struggle to decolonize the Catholic Church. Notes 1. Jesuit Archives of Zimbabwe, JAZ Hereafter, Box 117-3, Report of Kevin Kinane, OFM, the Secretary-General of the Rhodesian Catholic Bishops' Conference, RCBC Hereafter, the 5th of October 1974. 2. David Beach, T.H.E. Shona and Their Neighbors, Oxford, Blackwell, 1994, S. I. G. Speaking the Language of Protest, 129 Mudang, A Political History of Monhu Mutapa, C.1400-1902, Harare, Zimbabwe Publishing, 1988, Norman Etherington, T.H.E. Great Treks, T.H.E. Transformation of Southern Africa, 1815-1854, New York, Pearson, 2001. 3. Charles Van Onselen, Chibaro, African Mine Labor in Southern Rhodesia, 1900-1933, London, Pluto, 1976, Robin Palmer, Aspects of Rhodesian Land Policy, 1890-1936, Salisbury, Central African Historical Association, 1968, David Johnson, Settler Farmers in Coerced African Labor in Southern Rhodesia, 1936-1946, Journal of African History Volume 33, Number 1, 1992, 111-128. 4. C. J. M. Zvabgo, A History of Christian Missions in Zimbabwe, 1890-1939, Gweru, Mambo, 1996. 5. A. J. Dox and W. F. Ree, T. H. E. Catholic Church in Zimbabwe, Guilo, Mambo Press, 1979, 136, 138. 6. J. Z. Box 108, Seminary Historia du Muse, the 3rd of February 1940, the 1st of February 1944. 7. Interview with Patrick Maloney, S. J. Prestige House Jesuit Community, Harare, the 29th of May 2000. See also Seminary Historia du Muse, the 30th of July 1945. 8. J.Z., Box 108, Seminary Historia du Muse, the 26th of October 1947, 22 and the 28th of December. 1948. 9. J.Z., Box 108, Seminary Historia du Muse, the 16th of February 1955. 10, IBID, the 24th of April 1955.